We don't serve their kind here. What? The joints. They left the weight outside. We don't want them. Hello and welcome to the Vintage Rebellion podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner, your host for the show, and you are listening to episode 47, The Cantina Patrons. Joining me, as always, is an R5-D4 focus collector. Uh, recently back from the state, it is Richard Hutchison. Rich, hello and welcome, mate. And did you bring yourself any solo goodies back from the US of A? No, I found absolutely nothing. Solo stuff. I went to Targets. I went to Walmart's, and I'm, I am pluralising these because I went to several of each. I went to Think Geek. I went to GameStop. Um, basically, every store that people were posting pictures online saying, "Wow, these are released from, from Solo." I went to every single one of them and found zilch. Did you go to KB? I couldn't find a KB. I found a Sears and I found a JC Penny, and I thought, you know, imagine being here 30 years ago. I did Disney Springs and I managed to bring back, I don't know if Pete can remember that uh, Return of the Jedi Disney set. There's about six or seven characters in the box. Oh, I brought, I... Yeah, I brought back, that back from Disneyland Paris quite a few years ago now. I saw I got the new Hope and I got the Empire Strikes Back one, and it was buy one, get one for like four quid or something. So I thought, oh, I'll bring them two back. So I've now got the full three in the set now. So I was pleased with that. But other than that, nah, there was nothing in any of the stores. There wasn't even that much Last Jedi. There was far more Force Awakens and Rogue One than there was Last Jedi or anything like that. A bit like over here then, really. Yeah, um, and Toys R Us so- as well. Toys R Us, I went, you know, I thought, oh, well, there'll be, you know, sales on the Toys R Us. It was 5% off and 10% off Star Wars figures. And it was just the Zuvios and all that kind of stuff like you see everywhere. Uh, you say 30 years ago, you were assuring those, some of those shops. That would have been 1988. What, what were you hoping for? Ghostbusters? No, I was hoping for discount bins. Obviously, uh, I'm not going to pay one ninety nine for a bloody card of figure. I can wait four years and get it for 99 pence. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, next up, an ESB collector and a Ray enthusiast. It's Peter Davis. Good evening, PD Weedy. Uh, Pete, you're off to Mexico at the end of the week. Uh, half Mexico and then half Atlanta. What I've heard is Lily Leddy is in abundance out there, and uh, oh, seemingly it's easier to find than a Mexican jumping bean, and I actually mean that. Do you know Mexican jumping beans cannot be found in Mexico? Well, I'm going to go finding Mexican wrestling masks and jumping beans. Okay, do that. I'd like to know the outcome when you get back. Uh, also here, Palatoy Collector and an extreme hoarder of anything from the 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s. It is Simon McCohen. Good evening, Simone. Evening, my snuggly little wicket. Simon, your, your dining room is filled to the brim with household waste and other people's rubbish and strangers' junk. <laughs> How's the wife? <laughs> oh. <laughs> is, she, is she happy with her dining room? Stacked with her? She's delighted, with mate. T- she, she looks forward to when I come back from Ford Market 
and a car boot sales. She loves it. She's waiting at the door with bated breath just to see the truckfuls of junk that I've bought that day. Uh, no word of a lie, listeners. He on a Thursday when he's gone to this boot fair, he, he posts me a photo, and there's normally like thirty old beat up Walkmans, kind of uh, old Amstrads to sell to Pete or whatever they are. <laughs> brilliant, figures. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, fresh from school, it is Jez. Um, it's it's Jez. Okay, one sec, boys. That is Jez. <laughs> uh, hello, mate. I've just introduced you on the show. What, what do you mean you're not coming on? H- how does gonorrhea stop you recording a podcast? <laughs> Surely it can't be that itchy. No, oh, actually, that does sound sore, mate. Yeah, best stop scratching it if it's that red raw. Yeah, no, mate. I won't make any clap jokes. I'll tell you what, I'll tell the listeners you're still working on your essay and because of the London Marathon this weekend, you're maxed out, something like that, yeah? Yeah, okay, mate, let's go. Uh, No, you say it first. No, you say it first. I always say it first. No, go on, you first. See? I love you too, mate. Right, speak later. Sorry about that, boys. (coughs) Where were we? (laughs) Oh, yes, oh, yes. Uh, And sadly, Jez can't be with us this month as he's still working on his essay, which needs to be in very soon. And it's London Marathon this weekend, so he is totally maxed out. Talking of Jez, as you may well know, I've seen or heard, he's he's taken on his final run in Stormtrooper Challenge, where he will run 100k in his Stormtrooper outfit. He'll be attempting this on the 17th of May, starting at one minute past midnight at Pinewood Studios. Uh, he's also obviously doing the London Marathon this weekend. Now, we never ask from our listeners to for a Patreon or anything, because even the word makes my skin crawl. It's not what we're about. It's not what podcasts should be about. So... I'm asking our listeners, though, to support Jez this May. You can do this in two different ways, or even better, both. Firstly, you can sponsor Jez over on Star Wars Forum UK. Jez is running a raffle, so every pound you sponsor him, you will get one raffle ticket in the draw. There's some great prizes being added already. Uh, there's a, a tour for two and a lunch at Palmer Studios. Uh, there's three yearly subscriptions for Star Wars Tracker donated kindly by Jared. Uh, there's artwork, prints from Dantel, amongst many, many other prizes and plenty of stuff being added. So go and check that out. You can also get involved by joining the running Stormtrooper virtual run, which I know us four on the show here have all started doing. I'll ask you boys in a minute. Uh, a virtual <laughs> run is a run which can be completed at any location at a time that suits you. So basically you do the run. Upload the evidence to the site via an iPhone or an app like My, My Run, and you'll be sent your medal. Jez has four different runs you can participate in. You've got one mile, where you get a nice red band to depict a red lightsaber. Five miles, which you get a green band on, which represents Luke's lightsaber. The marathon, which represents Anakin's lightsaber. Or you could do the 100k and get a pink purpley band representing Mace Windu. Now, you're probably thinking, there's no way I can run 100k. So here's the beauty. You could do that 100k in as many runs as you wish over a long period. All you need to do is make sure you take a snapshot of each run and then upload all the evidence. Uh, I've already completed the one mile, five mile. Five mile was a lot further than what I remember. Killed me. So people do that in two if you're as fit as I am. And I've started on running the marathon, which I'm going to do after over several runs. And then I plan to tackle 100k in May. So to enter the race... Each race costs £14, £5, which goes straight to the charity. The rest of the fee goes towards posting out your medal and the manufacturing of the medal. When Jess sent me a photo of these medals, I thought they looked good. But seeing them firsthand at furthest from, they are amazing. They are beautiful. And if you're a collector, this thing needs to be in your collection. Aside, Pete, you're both at furthest from. I'm not exaggerating. Aren't those medals the nuts? They're incredible. They're, they're well beyond what I expected. They, they, 
it amazes me that you could even buy such a thing for 15 quid, let alone sponsor, you know, money goes to charity, postage, and the manufacturer, and a tiny profit for the metal manufacturer as well. It's incredible. Pete, you've actually started, haven't you? Uh, you've started the yeah. 100k, haven't you? Yeah, I, I went for the 20k in one go. I didn't run it, I was going to walk it. Well, that's, we should also say that, actually. You, if, if you're not a runner, you can go out and you can walk that mile or walk 5k a week and, and build it up. 20k straight in. Straight in on one <laughs> night. So I'll do that. Uh, probably when I get back from the uh, my trip, because I don't like, you know, wreck my knees or anything. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, 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 see, it seems a long way. <laughs> but it's only 60-something miles. It's not, not ridiculous. It's only like, you know, travelling down to, to see Jez or... Whatever it's what it's what uh, Richard does in like an afternoon in his car, traveling around the <laughs> north of frozen north waste. Uh, Rich actually is probably about to um, to vector some back, so maybe next time you're picking up lots and lots, you should walk it. Yeah, get get the old trolley ticket, or all, ticket all off in one section, mate. I would do under normal circumstances, but I was at surgeon last week and I've been taking off all my painkillers in preparation for the next stage, so there won't be any running or walking for me for quite some time. Were you on codeine? I was indeed. Were you addicted? I, I don't think you I was. Withdrawals. Are we going to have a grumpy Richard tonight? Have, that's I'm, what I'm asking. I'm, I'm definitely having withdrawals. <laughs> I will never touch this stuff again. How would we know, Stu? <laughs> well, if you want to get involved, please go and check it out at www.myrace.run. I've got the two medals. I tell you what, you do it. I um, uploaded my evidence on a Tuesday night for the one mile. I, the medal arrived on the Friday. A really, really quick turnover. And they really are stunning. So, yeah, looking forward to completing this set on that. Talking of farthest from, we've just had a farthest from. Great little event, wasn't it? Sadly, Rich couldn't be where, which only heightened the actual delights of this event. <laughs> it was brilliant, wasn't it? I, I, I enjoyed it. It was a good one, wasn't it? The the, the Saturday social was, was superb. And it was a there was a nice feel to it on the Sunday, rather a relaxed feel to it, but a, a nice one. It just ticked over. Awful lot of mint on cards for sale there, and, and uh, a bit shocking to see old Steve Savory down the end selling off a massive load of stuff. He had some lovely stuff there, didn't he? He had some uh, some mint on cards. He had Luke Farm Boys, had solos on there, loose droids figures, including R two and three PO. He said a poppy for sale, didn't he? About two sixty, great price for a hand off. Here's some great, great stuff. So great to see Steve and all those sellers. Stu, Stu, let's let's just cut to the chase. Yeah, that, what we're really going to talk about is mm-hmm. your purchase and your non-purchase. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> my so purchase and my non-purchase. What yes. was my non-purchase? The, non- the thing that you should have bought and the thing that you shouldn't have bought. So let's start. <laughs> with your, your, and there are pictures of this being dragged over the road. So let's just go down that route. Okay, well, I wasn't going to quite go onto acquisitions just yet, but let's, let's go with it. Okay, so what you're talking about, Pete, is I talk on this thing about wanting the Kenner preschool stuff. And Steve Savory had a boxed Ewok treehouse with him. And I armed and I armed and I armed and I armed about it. And eventually, I bought instead a life size Ewok from Mark Hockley. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, it brings a smile on my face every time I open my office door, because it's standing there with his little face. My little girl was scared of it. I tried to introduce her to it, and she pulled her hand away. But um, I love it. I love it. And getting it back to the car, me and Pete kind of shuffled across the road. But I love it. But you may say you think you should have bought the treehouse. Well, on the 17th of May, Steve Savory will be bringing that to Pinewood for me. as uh, we complete that transaction so maybe next month i might have something different i might as well finish off my acquisitions because i've only got two other things whilst i was at father's from i also bought a kenna carded sundance kid from dave treestall mm. which is of course the luke skywalker farm boy figure repainted i just need to get a nice carded butch cassidy now well, i'd be happy 
and probably my biggest purchase ever, which I'm denied about, but Richard kind of told me to put a trigger on it, and that was a Greedo 20-pack Meccano um, on the square card. Um, it's got slight lift into the left bottom. Um, it's all right, Pete, I'm not going to reseal it. By far the most expensive thing i bought, but... Yeah, love it. Actually, really, really glad I've got it. So for me, my Greedo, my Ewok, and my Sundance Kid, three completely different items, and I love them all. Love them all so much. Let's go with the rest of you then. Pete, have you bought anything? Uh, well, I did want my purchasing. Something Richard has for me at some stage. I shall get him to send it to me, which I'll cover next time. But uh, that was from one of the big picks from CJ. So that that's coming. That that was something actually we've we've covered recently. So that would be nice. And it is vintage, and it is Empire Strikes Back. But um, at farthest from I, I was trying to tick off my list of stuff. You know, we I got all this stuff. I always collect like comics and car backs and that sort of stuff, and any stickers. And I always forget to take my list with me of what I need. And this time, I got myself sorted out, and I ticked off quite a lot. So I think I'm down to, out of the 328 comics you can collect, the UK ones, I think I'm down to about 40 now. And for car backs, I come in the, I think I'm 28 to get of all the car backs. So uh, that's what I was spending most of my money. I got some really nice car backs, actually. There was quite a few of them there as well. Some people asking DAF prices. There was like an EV99 there. Virtually half a card and someone wanted daft money for it, so I didn't bother. And some people um, had some lovely prices for their car backs. So I didn't, I didn't spend that much, but um, I'm getting very close to completing several of my runs all in one go. Out of interest, I, I don't, I don't, well, I have got some car backs knocking around, but it's not something I really buy. What's your average kind of price for a car back? It seems to be uh, sometimes kind of random. I would say below a tenner. You know, anything between one and ten pounds is a fair price for car parts, unless we're going down the the you know really really minty kind of ones you might display and stuff. I think I might display mine, mine eventually. I don't know. I guess I've got to get some acrylic with uh you know, I'll put a figure in front of it. But yeah, I mean, I mean that that seems to be a fair sort of price. Obviously, in the last seventeen ones are a little bit rarer. If you if you're going down the kind of I'm going to find this this kind of Meccano card and stuff, then you can pay like you know fifty sixty quid for a for a card sometimes. When I sold some thirty, some Palatoy thirty uh, bucks about two years ago, and they went for crazy prices, you know, eighty, ninety pounds in some in some aspects. Uh, I mean, these are rare things, but your, your bog standard return to like cards, you're looking about a couple of quid. You can pay more like two grand for a car back. But yeah, seen, yeah. seen some crazy, crazy, as you say, the Meccano and some of the Leddy stuff going for obscene money online. Yeah, just to, I mean, I mean, I'm just going for the, trying to get one of every figure, and that's what I'll be happy at, really. So, and then then. And I'll probably try and display them in an acrylic case with a figure in front to make them look right smart. Okay, Rich. Now, I know you had to pick up some stuff while you were in the States. So what have you brought yourself back? Well, yeah, as you see, I went to Ian Sanderson's and picked up uh, a lot of crap for you, Lord, that he's had lying around for quite a while. Also stuff that yes. he's stockpiled for me. I often buy the John Tyler Christopher action figure variant comics. So he's been stockpiling them for me for quite a while. So I picked up a load of those. Okay, can I um, stop you there for one second? Yep. The items you brought back for me are better than that. Carry on. <laughs> I also picked up quite a lot of the Ewok Village parts. I've been trying to put a Ewok Village together for as cheap as possible. Um, so I got a nice deal off Will Malin for the throne and various other things. But the main thing I, I 
got was from like pizza before from the big pick was we try logo amanaman with the one pound 59 sticker on it so i'm really pleased to bring that over and um, would it survive the journey from the states to the uk i think it probably would because it was really well packaged but it's just not worth taking the gamble for something like this and it's got quite a it's got quite a heavy crease running down the center although it's not really that noticeable when it's displayed flat and perhaps i'd be worried if it was bashed from the sides the bubble may have popped off i don't know but I'm, I'm pleased I've got that. But I know I don't really talk about modern, but I just want to talk about um, a modern pin that I've got for me, R5 Focus. So about a year ago, I was promised that a Disney limited edition pin, which was R5D4, limited to only 300, was going to be released around about, yeah, it was about 12 months ago now. And it was, don't worry, I saw it one fire. Never heard a thing. Forgot all about it. And then I was like, oh, no. But it just goes to show how much these modern limited edition things are, are a load of whatever, you know. So if only 300 of them were made. So I went on eBay and I thought, I wonder if I can get one and get it delivered to Ian. There was 10 listed on eBay for roughly the same price that they were selling when they originally came out. So, you know, these, these modern limited edition things are absolute rubbish. I, I wouldn't waste your money going and buy one in a big hurry when you can get, you know, there was, there was easily 10 on there out of the 300 that are supposed to have been made. So I'm pleased I picked up it anyway. So lost pickups, actually, Bridget, and I just actually just talking about something like a modern pin. I just want to say, I don't know who it was, but about two weeks ago, I had a Greedo patch come through the post, something I didn't buy. So whoever sent it to me, thank you ever so much. But please, can you just make yourself aware of who sent it to me? Because I would really like to know and really be able to thank someone properly. Um, it's about the third thing I've had arrive in about four months, and um, I don't know whoever sends them, and I never find out. So, Oh, well, where's our free stuff, eh, boys? <laughs> but when I flush my toilet, it goes to your house, doesn't it? So do I have to announce every one of those? Yeah, all right, mate. You have to go outside for your toilet. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, I know mm. you big spend up recently. Do you keep on saying this like it's it's. <laughs> well, you always no. say to me, you 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 are like rich, or like rich was for the first two years. You're like I didn't buy much, and then you just rattle off a list of stuff. No, no, it's been a lovely, lovely, peaceful, quiet month. I've been really good. Farthest from generated most of me purchases. Like Pete, I found myself grabbling through a few boxes of car backs, so I picked up a couple of those. I'm, I don't know. I say I don't collect car backs, but clearly I do because I spend some money on them. But I had from from Gary Smith a nice 45A Walrus Man and a 45A Lando car back. Love a bit of Palatoy love. And then from Tim, who was on the next stall to, uh, Tim with the stall at Snoopers. That's it, Snoopers Paradise. I had a 65 back Luke Jedi, which was smashing. But the, the buy of the show, and I could have sold it on about five times after that, was from Mark Daniels and Lee Bullock, which was that pot of pencils that you kept on trying to steal off me, Stu, uh, with the pencil toppers by Butterfly. So you've got, originally, I guess there would have been, I don't know, probably four of each, and it comes in a plastic tub with Return of the Jedi character pencils on the front of it, and in there you've got Emperor's Royal Guard, Vader, 3PO, and Wicket, and they're sort of, I, I hadn't seen them before. I hadn't seen them before at all. I've got a, I haven't even looked through Tomart yet to see if they're, they if they're in, in there. there. Yeah, I have a they? little look, yeah. Ah, okay. By Butterfly, which was, I think, one of the American sort of market items. And they do all the really weird stuff like pink Ewok glue and C-3PO's head on a pair of scissors and fold-out combs, which obviously I have a full collection of because I go through combs like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> 
they do all the really weird outlandish stationary items uh, and these fit quite nicely into that mold but they're brilliant i absolutely love them so that was my that was my star purchase other than that only other thing i can't even remember now if i mentioned it last month i don't know it's just sat here on my desk the return of the jedi marquee from across the atari with no, atari. you didn't, you didn't mention didn't that brilliant in which case i can mention it so yeah i bought a marquee from the top of the atari return of the jedi cabinet game on ebay for an alarmingly good price and it's just it's fantastic it's beautiful so as you stood at the machine it was the banner above your head of the cabinet that was lit up and it's absolutely stunning i've got to figure out a decent way of displaying it i think i'll i'll stick it in a in a frame that's got sort of no back to it so the light can shine through it and display it in all its glory but that's it continuing on from our recommendations for new collectors we've i've had a few messages from a couple of collectors with ideas of things to talk about things to recommend and we've done the books and we've done a bit on ethics and talking of ethics i didn't i haven't heard anything from vissi mm-hmm but Facebook can be a bit of a minefield, especially when you're new. You come onto Facebook, and if you join every Facebook group, this week alone, I have been added into another two new Facebook groups. I'm not sure I need them in my life. I will have a look at them at some point. When you join Facebook and you join all those groups, you can have burnout because your feed literally becomes just Star Wars. You miss stuff from proper family and proper friends, you know. Not that people in the Star Wars community aren't proper friends, but you know what I mean. From people you've known a long while. So I suggest you find a few groups that really suit your interests and you just involve yourself in those few groups. I've asked each of you to have a look at some groups. Groups that maybe we recommend as a team, as a podcast. Okay, so we're going to go through one at a time. We'll go around, okay. So, Si, first of all, let's come to you. The three you've looked at. Like you, Stu, a silly number of groups and occasionally have to have a colour of them. And again, like you've been added into another few groups this week that I frankly do not want to be in at all. So <laughs> have left promptly. It just gets over those. But I've looked at Echo Base UK, uh, Star Wars Palatoy Collector and the Star Wars Bootleg Group. I don't think that's its official title, is it? It's Star Wars Bootleg and something else group. Anyway. And knockoffs, I think. And knockoffs, that's it. Star Wars bootlegs and knockoffs group. Echo Base is probably the biggest and most well-known group in the UK, I'd suggest. Possibly possibly Europe as well, because they've got various arms. They've got Benelux as well, haven't they? And they've got a US group as well going. It's got a huge membership. It's up to about 13,600 now, knocking on 13,700. It's spawned other groups such as the auction group. Uh, It's just recently taken over one of the, or assimilated one of the variant groups, or the variant group. And it's now given rise to the Echo Live show, which has gone from strength to strength. Started off with about 20 tables, and I think Adam's sold out of all 70 tables this time. So that's that's growing in size and popularity, and it really is a good event, isn't it? For, I think we've all been to it now, have we? No. Pete, you, you, let Pete, you do down. need to get there, because I think you would like it. It's on Saturday, so I'm, uh, I'm, new, I'm only doing kids coaching on Saturday, so it's kind of out of, the, uh, out of bounds for me. It's well worth the visit anyway. It's a really good show. It mixes modern and vintage. They usually have a good spattering of guests there for signatures and artwork and the like. And it's uh, it's a nice day. And sensibly, the session, the social, is the evening after the show rather than before. So no standing behind tables feeling ill for the rest of the day. The group itself, Echo Base, is a bit of everything really. You've got new guys joining up all the time. You've got your older collectors or longer in the tooth collectors. It's mainly, I'd suggest, 
a trading site and the sales aren't quite what they used to be but i think that's a reflection of the market as a whole and where everyone is with their collections but my only reservation is it's it's rather introspective it's very focused on itself and the echo family wider family of of groups at i've got to say at the detriment of its members particularly the the newer members that would be my only reservation so you can't post up links to ebay even if they're a watch out type item or a questioning item has anyone seen one of these for anything like that links even to forums which let's face it is where the vast quantity of the knowledge is held on places like star wars uh, collector's archive rebel scum all those sorts of places stars from uk of course without posting links to those places you're going to lose an awful lot of knowledge and, and, and miss out on learning a lot so that would be my only real reservation that and the plethora of rules that you can fall foul of but it's a it's a good group it's a great group for for starting out on and uh well worth checking out star wars palatoy collector completely different kettle of fish it's just over a thousand members at the moment it's not been going that long all things considered i think it's is it about 12 months now something like that maybe 18 months it's not like echo insofar as there's not a constant churn of messages which is actually a really good thing because facebook as a whole suffers from information being posted and being lost again within minutes it's already five six seven posts down and it doesn't get seen or it doesn't get read as often as it should do so there's far fewer posts there but as i say that's a good thing there's a there seems to be a, a, a greater degree of specialist knowledge as you'd expect from a specialist group really and again it's for all things palatoy so there's people put up wanted ads for sale ads general questions research etc etc so yeah really really nice group finally the star wars bootleg and knockoff group i'm not a bootleg collector so i don't really spend a great deal of time on it at all occasionally flick through just to see what oddities are surfacing but again it does deal with everything from the the original trilogies uh, bootlegs up to modern bootlegs and knockoffs as well so there's a there's a good mix there and if you're into your unlicensed products uh, or even items uh, that are certainly higher up the food chain of the bootleg collector such as uze it's certainly a great place to go and visit indeed rich you've been looking at three other groups i have indeed Stu. so the three that i looked at were the jabba's groups which i think are fantastic groups especially the dungeon court whatever the auction site one is because that i think that was the first one on the after the boss bar american one and that's really got a good high turnover some really really quality items so i would definitely recommend the the jabba's groups they also do lots and lots of great fundraising the the top trump style cards that they did and the fundraising towards jez's charity so we can't thank the jabba's guys enough and they're really supportive of this podcast as well so great shout out to you guys the best facebook group i think is the timeline groups as they're called now which we used to call them the boss bar groups but i think that's a, a bit unfair on the other moderators and the admins of those groups so the 12 back group the empire strikes back group uh, turn the jedi and power force and dark times i think those groups are if you're only going to join five those would be the five to join they're absolutely brilliant it's you so many bits of information in there star wars collective archive ads keep getting posted up which i think are great retro conversations there's so much there and then it's not just action figures as well so if you take the the 12 back the 12 21 back group you're not just going to see the first 21 all the time you're going to see pre-action figure releases you're going to see 
advertising materials, display posters, you know, you're going to see so many different things. So those are great groups, very, very relaxed and very, very friendly groups. The most knowledgeable collectors are all in those groups. And the last one I would recommend is the Baggy-tastic group. So the Baggy-tastic group was started up by Frank Muse. And the way I would like you to envisage this is if you imagine the Baggy guy that Frank had started on stores for in UK quite a long time ago, and was working quite well until Photobook had went and done their stupid thing. Think of it an extension of that. So if I've got a problem with my baggies, I'm unsure of anything, I go on to the Baggy-tastic group, which as well as having for sale posts and all that kind of stuff, it has some great knowledgeable people on there, so I can post on there saying, hey guys, I'm after a Palatoy MR5D4, what can tell us about them? Just check, can anyone confirm that this is a Palatoy key, etc, etc. And obviously after the whole baggy gate controversy went on, those guys are great at identifying baggies and keeping us up to date with, with information. So great shout out to those groups. Pete, which three have you been looking at? Imperial Commissary is a big, beastly group run by Michael Havens, and he leads it probably um, unlike a lot of other groups where it is more of a community side. Michael does tend to get involved in the group. It kind of lead, he does actually lead the group. So there is there is almost like a bit of a narrative going on with with collecting, you know, do their collections of the week and that sort of stuff. So it's um, I think it's far more uh, an involved group with um, a bit of a figurehead on it. It is largely, I would say it's probably largely a US-led group, so you get a lot more kind of US stuff, and because of that, you get a lot of people going around, driving around the uh, the country, picking up big lots of stuff, you know, car boot sale kind of things, flea markets, so you, you do tend to, to get some absolute beauties appearing sometimes, some, some items you think, you know, where on earth does that come from? So you do tend to get a lot of guys coming on and, and showing their their hauls. But yeah, it is it is quite big. It can be overwhelming. I think if anyone knew some of these big groups with lots and lots of people, it can be a bit of a bit of a test. So maybe maybe uh, maybe hold off on some of those sometimes, or maybe turn off notifications for a little while. Just go on there and visit rather than getting every single post coming through to you because it can be. Like I said it can be overwhelming. Another one is Beyond the Toys, which is uh, run by well some friends of the um, by Mark Daniels, Grant Criddle, and Craig Spivey, and that is. Featuring exactly what it says, says in the tin, really. Um, anything that's not really sort of action figure related. It does probably have quite um, a UK-ish focus with terms of um, Helix stuff. Obviously, Craig, that's, that's one of Craig's things. You do get a lot of bonkers kind of stationary items appearing. And it really, uh, it, it's... It's pro- it should be a lot bigger, I think. I think a lot more people should join this group. I, w- I would say if you're interested in everything else in collecting rather than just action figures, definitely get on this because it is a group that, that uh, often does do a little bit of selling as well. It's not just you know a show-and-tell kind of a situation. There, there are times you, you can buy stuff. So, um, yeah, I think it just needs more people on it, really. I mean, it is it is an absolutely beautiful group. Um, lovely banner, nice design by Mark, and definitely worth visiting. But I wanted to mention a new group started up by um, Ed Grant, which is it can be a bit hard to find vintage computer games because obviously you know computers weren't that massive in the uh, well apart from the, the first couple of years of the 80s but uh, we, we do kind of classify vintage games all the way you know going from the, the sort of early and late 80s all the way up to the 90s as well so um, it's, just, it's a new group it's just started I mean people like me are into vintage gaming and, and you know my Amigas and Playstation 2s and stuff it, it, it is getting quite a good amount of people who've started up so check that one out as well now, I just want to give three nods as well. So, first of all, Toys of Tatooine. I love that group. We're talking about Beyond the Toys. Now, it's run by uh, Richard Temple, but he lists all the time little oddities at reasonable prices. And if you do want to have 
kind of like a toy line or something outside of the main toys that's a bit cheaper just to top yourself up whether you focus on Ewoks or, or droids or something always 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 got lovely new bits and pieces coming up so that's well worth checking out obviously the original Facebook group uh, by Jason Smith friend of the show the Star Wars action figure group is that what it's called have I got that right Rich you'll know Star Wars action figures so it's, it's vintage Star Wars action figures yeah it's yeah. all lowercase it's the one that's in all lowercase I, th- I think UK wise the biggest group by far isn't it and they, they cover all sorts and Jason runs quite a relaxed ship there as well and of course always on all these groups on Echo on Jabbers on Pure Connoisseur you see it all the time can someone tell me where to get stands can someone tell me where to get acrylic GW Acrylic US UK and obviously now Australia They've got a Facebook group, well worth checking out. Uh, Christians add in new items all the time. They really do make your collection pop. I like that word. So that is well worth checking out as well. Now, boys, any other groups that you think deserve a mention that we haven't quite covered there? Yeah, I've, I've got three that I would just like to give a quick nod to. Um, Label looks large size action figure group. So if you're interested in the 12 inch range, that's the one to go to. It's absolutely Good fantastic. Yeah. Dave Tree's father's form. That Facebook group is great to get it. It's still quite quiet over there at the moment. Obviously, it builds up around father's form time but Dave's looking to grow that group and the last one which might surprise you was the Star Wars Mox group it's a satirical look at Star Wars collecting so it's not for somebody who's easily offended if you join that group expect to be ridiculed expect to do something in the hobby and for you to be called out on it but it's all tongue in cheek it's all great fun um, and that one's from Sky Payne and Bell Cable so that's a great little group as well and obviously there is also there's groups for Lily Leddy for uh, Le Good is it well uh, um, if you're going to see it pronounce it properly will you Stu Sorry, mate. La Guerrero des Atwalias. There's obviously groups for Glass Elite. There's PBB groups, Toll Toys. There's Focus groups. There is loads out there. But obviously, we're on quite a few groups. I, I a lot of mine are turned off. But I do. I'm a member of a lot of groups to check them out before this podcast. But. It is a minefield. I do say, seriously, pick a handful of groups and just concentrate on them to start with. Uh, boys, one group. Let's go quick round, Robin. One group that is a must for you. Rich? The 1221 back group, the first time name one. Yep. Uh, sorry. Right, I'm going to be controversial, and I'm going to say Ula's Booty. And I know it's not a pure, pure Star Wars group. Wait, it's but not you... Star Wars at all. You're not allowed to post Star Wars on it, are you? It's just you can. Ula's Booty. You can. No, you can. You Good can sell Star Wars. I, I do it's enjoy it, actually. Group. Yeah, you're right. And... Valid point on it is it actually helps you keep stars in perspective because there's so re- everything else. So the... we recommend 15 groups and side picks one that we didn't mention. Uh, Pete? Yep. It's, I would probably say Beyond the Toys because uh, there's always something new and interesting appearing out of nowhere. Well, there you go. So go and get yourselves involved. People may well be forum, big forum lovers, but at the moment Facebook dominates the community. So go and get yourselves involved. Uh, Rich, you are hosting this month's quiz. Oh, dearie me. At least you're a fair, fair quiz master, not like that. Oh, can it. Piece of pie face. Okay, (laughs) Rich, over to you. Now, this could completely spectacularly fall flat on its face. But we'll see how it goes. So the quiz today is all going to be about runs. Run 
Now I think this is appropriate seeing that we've got so many runs going on. So we've got Jez, the running stormtrooper. Pete, who runs football teams and obviously playing football is going to be involved in a lot of running, I'm sure. We've got Sai, whose hairs ran off his head. And we've got Stu, who runs from the bar when it's his round. Three rounds. I'm going to start each of you off with 10 points, and I'm going to allow you to use Google. I'm going to allow you to do whatever you need to do to find the answers for these, because I honestly don't think it's going to help you. You've got to remember that everything that we do here is involved in runs, okay? I'd just like to say to the other two, I don't want to use Google. Should we just do this? Yeah, go on. Just go we don't it. need it, do we? Let's, Let's go hard or go Let's home. play the game. Right. Okay. It was only because you like, were twisting at Stu last week for using Google, and can we just say that he still came last? So it was, <laughs> I was listening to the quiz, and you were I'd also say I didn't use Google either, which what? makes you me did. turn it off. You totally did, you complete cheat. <laughs> he still come last anyway, so it doesn't matter. So you've got 10 points each, starting off with, and I'm going to deduct points if I have to repeat things, or if you're just being annoying. Minus one point, Stu. I'm going to take one off you for that, actually. <laughs> you are so now. predictable. Read you like a book, you northern monkey. Okay, yeah. right, take well, one for that as well. <laughs> I'm going to start you off first, right? So the first round is action <laughs> figures, okay? So I'm going to give you the run. You get one point for telling me what's the next sequence in the run, okay? And one point for telling me what the run is about. Sigh. One, two, or three. Three is the magic number. You pick the easiest one. Okay. So here is your run. 12, 8, 1, 10, 1, 9. So your first round is about Star Wars action figures. What's the next in the run? Okay. Well, this... Uh, right. I'm going to tell you what it is first. It's the release of the figures. So you had 12 back. Then you had an additional eight figures released to make the 20 back. Then on the Kenner card, the additional one with Boba Fett to make 21. Then you got the 10. So you got 12, 8, 1, 10, 1, 9. What's next? So 12, 8, 21, 10, 32, 9, 41. So the next one, oh, just been. There was the. 48 but did they have the 45 i'm going to say seven. Oh, i'm so sorry it was six there was a 47 back oh. so well, pretty impressive though you got one point there okay all right so we'll go next peter side uh, peter stew peter stew peter stew okay when he was just rattling off numbers i was thinking <laughs> is he babbling on about <laughs> and you were straight in there so i did see yeah, that was, was the easiest one though so that was not well done well that's what i want to hear Pete, one or two? I'm going to have number one. You probably picked the easiest of the next two. Yeah, I'm sure it's not. (laughs) Alright, so this is action figures, right? Ready? Go on. Red, blue, blue, yellow, blue, orange. I don't know. (laughs) Green. You were so close, right? That's incorrect. And any idea what the run was? No, I just went for nice colours. Anybody want to steal a point? What was the run? Is it um, Luke's hair colours? Because he had blue hair. No. Got that. <laughs> no. <Nope. laughs> 
Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is Size it card, card back colorations? Yes, it's the colours of the card back on the nameplates or the colours behind the balls. So starting off with red, then it went blue, blue, yellow, blue, orange, and the next one was red with Stormtrooper. So you go, I'm going to give you an extra point for that, Sash. Si. I'm going to say, Joe Orange. Yep. <laughs> Where are you from? He's off again. This <laughs> is the quiz. <laughs> is, he, is he dying he or laughing? <laughs> oh my God. To be fair, Ridge, to be fair, Ridge, I actually knew what you're talking about, but I had no idea. He's, I think he's rubbed himself again with his hands. <laughs> yeah, is, oh, put that me. cold tea tree oil away, mate. <laughs> Come on, let's have stews. This is going to be embarrassing. Yeah, I want to be it, Rich. I'm loving it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see how Google's probably not going to help you? Mate, no. Stu, yeah. you'll run one, two, zero, one, zero, two. One, two, one, two, two. We've just gone binary. <laughs> you don't get twos in binary. There's no twos in binary, you dick. He <laughs> started off with ones and zeros. One, two, zero, one, nil, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, two. Wow. Um... Well, I'm going to guess the answer first, Rich. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go one. One is correct. Yes. You're going to go got up a, by one got point. A point by edging my bets. <laughs> um, is it? Oh, do you know what? No. Is it stems of bubbles? How did you get that? Because I'm thinking about what you've just told the other two <laughs> card numbers and card back colours. It's the only other thing I can think of on a card. No, you're wrong. It's the uh, accessories that come with the figures in order. I so starting off with Luke Skywalker that. with his one oh. saber, and it moved on from there. So, so who went away there? What's two then? So the next figure, Jawa was it? No, it wasn't. What was the next? Jawa was uh, it? Ben. So it would be the first four in the box, Leah. wouldn't it? Leah. You didn't have oh, two accessories. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Like it. I'm, I might even not got a point off you for that. Right. I, I, know, I was only. You've got one hovering. Because if I think you're whinging, I'm going to knock a point off. I'm not. It was me whinging. I was yeah. just talking. Fair oh, point. Whinging, Fair point. That's going to whinge. Right. <laughs> okay then. So score so far is Peter still on ten. Size eleven. Yeah. Stew's eleven. So very very close. Right. Round two is vehicles <laughs> and play sets. So we'll start off with Pete. One, two, or three. <laughs> vehicles and play sets. I'll have uh, two, please, Bob. I wouldn't pick two, but. You know what? I think I just have two because I've got no chance. We'll go for it. Two then. Okay, so think vehicles and play sets here. I'm thinking of playing vehicles and play sets. Dried Factory. (laughs) Ewok Village. That's all you're getting. (laughs) Jabba's Dungeon. Oh, you were close actually, mate. How can I be close if it's wrong? Is Is it Jabba's play set? No. What was the run first? So think about what the dried factory in the Ewok Village have. Uh, bits. Yes, so I'll give you one point for that. So it was oh, yeah. run it was the runs of playsets in descending order, starting with the one with the most bits, Dried Factory and then the Ewok Village. Oh. I'm gonna guess Death Star Space Station Kenner. Yes, but you're not getting it because Pete didn't have it. Pete, your guess? Uh, Death Star thing, yes. Yeah, okay, so you've got uh, one point. Well done, well done. He already guessed. He already guessed. He was pausing. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, having to think, you know. Right, Stu, 
One or three? Uh, I'll go three. Three, okay. So remember vehicles and playsets. Reddy brown. White, white, grey. What's next in the run and what are they? Reddy brown, white, white, grey. Reddy brown, white, white, grey. Oh, I know what this is. Reddy brown, white, white, grey. Reddy brown, white, white, grey. I'm going to guess white. Correct. I'm just hedging my bets with whatever you've named the most of. Is it... I don't remember there being a Reddy Brown one. (laughs) Is it Colours of X-Wing? No, it's not. So I'm throwing it out to anybody else. Yes, I'll have this. It's it's the base of the Jawa, Land of the Jawa's place. No, it's not. Reused! It is! It is! is. No, it isn't. Pete, do you want to have a stab or not? I thought I thought it was I thought you were going on bases, so I was I was assuming that it was something daft like um I don't know, droid factory, I don't know. No I, it was the I, colours of the die cast vehicles that were released in order. Oh Right, so we're left with Sai, so Ready you've got number Brown. one. Oh, yeah, I was quite happy with that answer, you know. Because yeah. that was because it was sandy, wasn't it? Yeah, wasn't ready. Which brown, is a bit brown. Mm. Well, sandy, really brown. And then you got the hot ice planet, then yeah. the Rebel Command Center. Both reused. I was, I was feeling quite pleased with myself there. Yeah, smug mode, right, disengaged. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And the clue that Stu said white was the next one didn't help me. I don't know. Okay, <laughs> four ninety nine. These are in dollars, by the way. This one, four ninety nine, fourteen ninety nine, fourteen ninety nine. What's next, and what is it? Ooh. Okay, these are the prices of the first vehicles to be released. So, four ninety nine was the Landspeeder. Fourteen ninety nine would have been either well, both would have been Tie Fighter and Darth Vader's Tie Fighter or X Wing or whatever. So, what came yeah. next? Ooh, uh, I'm going to go. What was advertised on the back? Well, Tie Fighter and X Wing are the next two. And then what came after that would have been, I'm going to say... I want the price. Da- Darth Vader's TIE Fighter at X-Wing TIE Fighter Landspeeder. Other Star Wars boxed vehicles to include Darth Vader's TIE Fighter. Uh, and I'm going to go 14.99 again. Incorrect. 17.99. So, so Pete gets a point. And yeah. what was 17.99, Pete? I have no idea. It is Darth Vader's TIE Fighter. Already. It isn't, no. Isn't it? it? must be the Falcon, then. It's not the Falcon, either. It must be the Imperial Troop Transport. It's not the Imperial <laughs> Troop Transport. It must be the it Droid m- Factory. must have been the Y-Wing. No, and you have always... Droid, guessed, Droid Factory. It was the Death Star Space Station, so Pizza oh. in the lead now with 13 what? points. Have Are I done sure? that? How did you get 1799? Sure? Was, was that the fourth thing? I yes. just had it for some reason. Really? I thought... There used to be a thing where, I don't know, 1799 used to come ahead for no apparent reason. Maybe Simon mentioned it on some previous podcast. I would say it's quite cheap, that toy. You think so? Sounds very cheap. A lot of plastic for that. A lot of plastic. You right. You don't see 1799s around these days. No, you don't. Right, so the next one, this one is, I'm going to give you quite a few things, and you've just got to identify what's missing. Okay? That's all you got to do. Identify what's missing. I'm going to knock a point off if I have to repeat anything on this one. So, who's not been first yet? Stu, I think. Do you want one, three, or four? Ooh. 
Where's number two gone? <laughs> I love this. Two was reserved for Jez, so... Ah, right, yeah. Okay, so one, three, or four. And all you've got to identify is what is missing. I'll go with number three. Right, you've probably got the easiest one. Ooh. Yak face. A manaman. R2 pop-up. Imperial dignity. Imperial gunner. Warwick. Earring pilot. Romba. Lucan poncho. Barada. Hanacorb night block. Lando general. Anakin. Luke stormtrooper outfit. What are they and what is missing? Right, it's the last 17. Which is incorrect. Oh, the last 15. Oh, <laughs> Um, do you know what? All the way through that, I said, no, he hasn't mentioned Lando. <laughs> is, uh, I don't remember you, I might have got this wrong, I don't remember you mentioning EV99. That's correct, EV99, and either Pete or Sai, what was it? Last 15. Last 15, correct. Okay, so we are all on 13 points now. <laughs> Pete, you're next, so do you want oh. one or four? <sighs> four sounds great. Four sounds great. Okay, you ready? Ben Kenobi, Leah, George Lucas, Luke, Han, C-3PO, R2-D2, Chewbacca, the Star Wars logo, Jawa, Darth Vader, Tusken Raider, and Grand Moff Tarkin. What are they and what's missing? What? George Lucas threw me. <laughs> uh, I've no idea. Absolutely no idea. Um, oh, what's missing? Oh, I don't know. I can't remember. Uh, Artie D2. I can't remember. No, unfortunately, thrown it out to Pete. Uh, sorry, Sai or Shane. Fan, fan club pin badges. They were the fan club badges, correct. So oh, you get oh, one Is it point. a stormtrooper missing? Well done, Stu, and it's missing the stormtrooper. Oh, how tight is this now? So we've got Sai on 14, Stu on 14, and Pete on 13. Oh, so I'm out. Sai, you're last with the... No, you're not Pete. You could steal here. You could steal. Yeah, I could steal this. I'm not stealing anything. You get number one. Are you ready? Yep. Kenna. Kenna Canada. Meccano. Lily Leddy. Toll Toys. Clipper. Palatoy. Glassleet. PBB slash Pock. Takara. Top Toys. Poppy. Bassa. Sakuda. Alright, so they're the licensees for the production of action figures. Correct. So you get one point for that. And what was missing? Can I get a character? Uh, Lily Lady, Top Toys, Glass Leap, Pock, Pock slash PBP, wasn't it? Takara, Scuda, Palatoy, Bassi, Glass Leap. Uh, who have we not had? Oh, this is a good one, Rich. I like this. Oh, Harbour. Well done. Ding, ding, ding. We have a winner in Simon Cohen. Now, I know Facebook's going to have a meltdown. When they know that Sai won a quiz, because <laughs> there was even somebody had posted on Facebook as Sai won a quiz this one. So well done, Sai. You really won, won a quiz. So excellent. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you number two here. Because I'm just looking at number two here and I'm thinking, I wonder if they would have actually got this. So number Very two, originally We do this as a team, eh? All years together as a team, right? So what's missing and what are they? Original Luke, Darth Vader, Ben Kenobi, Luke Bespin. Luke Jedi Knight Snap Cape. Luke Jedi Knight non Snap Cape. It's the answer is R2 pop up. Good. And they've all got sabers. Brilliant. Well, the Jez would have never got that, would he? That was his question. He would have never got that. <laughs> Very good. I'm going to be going, because uh, I'm actually dabbing at the moment. Uh, wicked. So basically, Jez loses. 
So Jez loses, yeah. Jez, Jez gets it. Jez, Jez is bottom hard and can last. Uh-huh. In his face. The phenomenal phenomenon in the UK. AFA labelling disgrace. Posters, nearly toasters. Cut bubbles means troubles. The rebel base is on a moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. I had the pleasure of being interview Craig Stevens about his forthcoming book, so rather than just waffle on about it, let's just cut straight to that interview with now with Craig to find out everything about his amazing book that is now available for purchase. I'm delighted to welcome back Craig Stevens to the Vintage Rebellion podcast. Good afternoon, Craig. Hi there. Now, Craig, you were last on episode 16, as far back as August 2015, and I was shocked when I went and had a look when you were last on, and that was talking to Grant about UK Star Wars collectibles. For those of our listeners who don't recall, can you just give an overview of yourself as a collector and a fan, and why you've such a passion for Star Wars? Okay, I was a original fan back in uh, 1978. As an eight-year-old, you see Star Wars and be blown away. And I began as a collector, you know, bits and pieces you can find, cuttings maybe, or things from a catalogue. Your parents find things for you, you know, and you get the odd um, Star Wars figure uh, or two or your vehicle. When I was 81, I was 11 years old. You get more into uh, serious collecting then as, a, as an adult, things like display boxes and commercial bits and pieces. I was very, very pleased to find the Star Wars uh, lampshade, for instance, in 81. 82 was the resurgence of Star Wars in, in Britain. Things like the HC4s, things like the display boxes were a must through adult life. I'm a big collector. And through to today, I specialise in things like disposable things, your crisp packets, your um, cereal boxes, and that's always been my, my focus. Even back in the early 80s, you were collecting newspaper clippings and things that other people would have discarded. Absolutely, because back then, anything about styles was gold dust. And with, with no budget or just your pocket money, it's just things like cuttings, it's things like display items when I was a bit older. They were free of charge, and they were just amazing to have in your collection. Uh, H.C. Ford was a, a fantastic line of stationery. And when that shot's finished for those boat pads or finished for those, uh, those pencils, you'll have that tin or that box for sure. So the reason why I've asked you to come on this episode is to discuss your recently published book, The Star Wars Phenomenon in Britain. Can you just give an overview of your book? Okay. It's um, everything to do with Star Wars in Britain that isn't the making of. That's been covered time and time again. I do cover the making of in parts in the book. It's mainly about the release of the films, the rumours of their release, anticipation us fans went through for months and years. It's the merchandising, the star appearances, TV coverage, the stories of Palatoy, Star Wars Weekly, the post magazines, everything you think of about Star Wars in Britain. And the fans too. I covered the fans' story about maybe 10, 15 fans from the very beginning in 77 right through to 83. So you can say it's pretty much packed with everything I could find. What I really like about the book, because I'm up to the bit pretty much where Star Wars is 
just released in the UK. And yeah. you take on an incredible journey from the start, going through very, very early licenses such as Clyro and yes. some of the interviews and some of the stories back then of Clyro and, you know, people who just we wouldn't know. I think I think it's an absolutely fascinating journey that you're taking us on. That's right. And it was the same experience for me because I began the book with nothing but a sheet of paper, find from online information, uh, one eight way four sheets. And it was literally the archives you go through. It's all the, the books you can read, newspaper articles, and you gradually the picture appears and takes shape. And people like the Claro manager we're talking about was a fantastic person to get in contact with. What initially prompted you to write the book? Because we've had you on before and, and some of the things that you give us to research, we've either never seen them at all or there's one black and white image on some forgotten website, such as the lampshade you'd mentioned before, but we can't find no. any information on that at all. Absolutely nothing. So at what point did you decide to pull it all together and write a book specialising on the UK's reaction to Star Wars? Okay, just the sheer frustration. You pick a book up in the shops and it's, it's America. And I love the American story of Star Wars. Um, it's fantastic stuff, but it's nothing ever about Britain and the British fans and the movies and the merchandise. Uh, I have so much information available. I used to be the editor of the fan club magazine in Britain, the amateur fan club for Star Wars. And since that closed, I had no outlet for my uh, information and ideas. So I thought, well, it's, it's going to be a book and it's going to be about, about Britain. How do you research something that you just can't find any information about? What kind of steps did you take? Okay. You know, it's funny, in this day and age of, um, of internet and digital uh, archives, it was all uh, old-fashioned. It was all looking at newspaper archives, magazine archives, sorting through things physically. It must have been thousands of newspapers just looking for articles. I had a, a fantastic break from Felix Dennis, the, the great Felix Dennis, who ran a bunch of associates, mm-hmm. uh, who produced the postal magazines of Britain. And he allowed me to go through his, his actual personal archive, the mansion, all the correspondence from Lucasfilm, the actual original proofs for the poster magazines was fantastic to see and great information. How did you go about tracking down some of these key people behind the scenes and what's their reaction to being in a book 40 years late after Star Wars was introduced? Often it was just buying a name in print and you, you try to uh, look them up and sometimes they got life after Star Wars. One guy was a, a wine writer and critic after his Star Wars experiences and I found him that way. One was a property magnate and I found him that way. Uh, sometimes people have just disappeared. They've done their Star Wars work and they've gone. You can't find them again. Sometimes one person knows another person. Uh, must have Vectis or Planeers, but fantastic help with uh, some contacts with Parasaur. So yeah, one lead leads, one lead is, leads to another one and the uh, story grabs emerges. Yeah. And as you said, this book is a very much community book with quotations from a range of different collectors. What was it like for you personally reading all of those stories? And did it bring back any memories for anything that you may have forgotten or just not realise its full significance? Yeah, you can't help but reimagine your past and childhood and, and things do, do emerge. Um, for instance, people will remember, the first thing you saw for Star Wars for a movie was the, the storybook with all the photographs inside. And they have an entire plot and all this, the secrets. And in 83, we saw the storybook for Return of the Jedi. And we were so excited and buzzing with enthusiasm. We thought, let's turn the first page. And that can't do any, any harm. And it was a Death Star half completed with a Star Wars story. We thought, blimey, it's the Death Star from Star Wars. It's been, it's damaged only. And, uh, it's been repaired. And of course it wasn't that way in the movie, but that's why we imagined it back then. So it's, it's things like that you, you can have re, reimagine in your mind. Yeah. We had a, a collector on, oh, I'd, I'd say in the last 12 months, who recalled back when The Empire Strikes Back first came out, 
people didn't really know how to take it because it was such a dark film and different from A New Hope. Can you remember what your experience was coming out of watching Empire? Absolutely. I found in the book, the members I've got, so the older fans, they were about maybe 13, 14 plus in 1980. They loved the movie. They got the, the deep, dark parts of it. They understood the nuances of the film. And they, they thought it was a, a fantastic improvement on Star Wars. Fans of my age, talking about uh, 10 and under, we all thought, what was going on? This is so confusing. It's so scary. It's, it's shocking. And really, and for me personally, it had no ending as I was expecting. I've seen Star Wars. I've seen the Black Hole, the Bond movies that end with huge explosions and the, the good is winning. And, and, and Empire Strikes Back was almost like a sort of a, a shock to the system. A fan of Han Solo as well. And seeing my hero being frozen and, and being taken away. And, and the film ended. I thought, where's, where's the finish of the movie? It, it doesn't end here. And uh, I had three years to wait until, until Jedi. So it was a really was a mixed reaction. Older fans enjoying it and younger ones being really quite confused. Yeah. Wow, that's fantastic. That's cleared a bit of that up then. Yeah. When you're doing your research, what would you say was the most interesting story that you were told that you didn't already know? Probably, um, you mentioned the, the Clyro merchandise. The man behind it, Robert Beecham, um, he created the line all by himself as a sole businessman, uh, created the artwork. All those crazy rhymes, you know, at the back of the, the packets, he wrote those. And the way he sold the line and got his license was so unique. And I think people would love that story, how he, he convinced uh, the Souls people to take his license. Also, the, the tour of Darth Vader, who may recall back in 83, Darth Vader was everywhere. He was in the big towns, he was in the small places, the, the small toy shops. And I had to get to the bottom of that. Who was behind the tour and who was, the, who was dressed up? And I actually found the woman who organised the whole thing and, and, got, and got her memories, and that was fantastic. I was devastated to learn years later that it wasn't Dear Prowse. I was convinced it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, well, it, sometimes. Um, sometimes, right. if you're lucky, you, you saw Prowse. Sure you did, yeah. Yeah. I think I would have been seven at the time, so you could have put yeah. Kenny Baker in and I wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> Going back on your book then, so how have you broken the book down into sections? Is it a chronological book that you've written, or have you went down a licensee's kind of route? No, it is 100% uh, chronological. I'm not a big fan of books that take a subject and go backwards and forwards to Paratoy, then goes to something else, then backwards and forwards. It's, it's literally, from, it, it literally from start to finish as a story, reading almost like a novel. But the story style was in Britain from start to finish, and uh, that's why I planned it from the from, from, from word go, yeah. What I like particularly about the bits I've read so far is you can see, well, you can't see it, but you can you can feel the excitement and the frustration building up as the Americans had had, you know, Star Wars for many months before us, and things started trickling through. I mean, obviously, there was no internet or anything back then, but, you know, newspaper clippings and magazines were starting to filter through, and perhaps some posters were appearing, and that whole suspense, you, you can really pick up on that in the first couple of chapters or so. That's right. Yeah, that six-month delay to get Star Wars in Britain, which was um, agonising for the public. It was fantastic for the uh, promotions, and it really built up. The head of steam was, was incredible. And by the time it got to the, the cities outside London, it was just it was like an explosion. Everyone wanted to see it and, and feature it in the magazines and the newspapers. It was like a... Uh, it, was, it was literally a phenomenon, yeah. Yeah, I'm so far out of London, I don't even think it's actually made it up here yet. But I actually didn't even realise that it was broken down, you know, so... London got the movie first and then it spread out. 
and I'd, it was something I'd forgotten all about. It's, um, what was the movie? I think it was Disney's Robin Hood. Disney's Robin Hood had come out in London, and we couldn't see it in Newcastle for weeks later. And yeah, I remember yeah. going to the cinema once, and, and they said, I'm sorry, but the tapes hadn't arrived. Uh-huh, <laughs> it's just, uh-huh. how, how on earth could that possibly happen? It's, you know, your, your book pulls a lot of memories like that back. Sure. And you had literally, it's, a, it's called a print. A print of the movie was the, 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 the can of film. Mm-hmm. And it had about maybe a hundred cans of film to, for, for the whole of, of Britain. So if you lived in a, a, a place in the middle of nowhere, you waited. It took until literally Christmas 78 for, the, for Britain to receive Star Wars. If you lived in some, especially, um, remote cinema, It'd be all scratchy too. It'd be a scratchy used print that's been shown a hundred times. Yeah. Yeah. Will this book appeal or be relevant to those who are not from the UK? Would you expect people from Europe and the States to be interested in this? Oh, I think so. Uh, you know, Star Wars, it's universal. Everyone's talks about Star Wars on the playground and had that anticipation for the film to arrive. All the uh, speculation and, and guesswork that goes on, collecting merchandise, just Star Wars figures and bits and pieces. Those things that they go across the board. But also the, I think the, the story of Stars in Britain is fascinating in its own right. It's the people involved, the crazy antics and all the things that went on. So I think it'll appeal to anybody. I think it's definitely over the last 12 months or so, there's been um, a recognition of the fact that Star Wars is bigger than the States. And I don't know if you listened to Stephen Downley's podcast where he interviewed Mark Newbold. And he did um, Star Wars at the movie from the UK perspective. And, and I thought that was yeah. fantastic. And that was great for a UK-centred first edition of a new podcast. I thought that was fascinating. Uh, absolutely. Britain has such a uh, unique experience uh, of Star Wars. And really, uh, you know, unless you read up about it, the, the podcast is my book. And, you know, Mark's done some good work anyway himself, uh, the articles over the years uh, about Star Wars in Britain. And um, I think the culture we have in Britain is, is fantastic and it's well worth finding out about. It's great that you finally pulled it all together in one place because it's extremely frustrating trying to find anything on British products. Got to go to so many different websites to get often contradictory statements and you've pulled it all together into one handy resource. That's right. Don't think it's a, a catalogue. It's not a catalogue. It's not a, um, you know, it's not a, a listing of every single item. It's a story of styles in Britain. I'm sure there's a scope for a book in the future that has every single thing. We need maybe a picture book has every item, every variation. That'd be a fantastic thing to do. And I'll be involved with that if someone's interested, yeah. I'm aware of one or two other Star Wars fans who are wishing to write books. What advice do you have for them, and especially with regards to getting a publisher? Well, it might seem obvious, but we're going to say write the book first. Yeah, You've got to write the book, uh, make sure it's in, in the can, uh, on file before you go anywhere. If you do your research and the publisher says on the website, they don't accept unsolicited uh, manuscripts, they mean it. You can try the biggies, you can try Titan, but all your life you won't get anywhere. You're lucky if you get a response. Just try publishers that do accept manuscripts and just, just, just keep going, really. That's what I can say. And write a, a fantastic pitch. Your pitch is going to be the best thing ever. Why it's a relevant book and why it should sell. Did you have any problems with copyright or licensing issues? Uh, not really. The publisher, they're very, very experienced. It's Farland, and they've done in the high hundreds of books about movies, about personalities, and different things. And they're very experienced, and they know full well that you can write a book about something like Star Wars, but without breaking copyright. And um, that's what we did, yeah. Now, 
what I'm hoping is that's going to happen is a lot of people are going to buy your book and read it and want to join in and to develop the story further, whether that's online or through other methods. And I know you've got a Facebook group that's currently going on there. So just say, for example, I've just bought the book and I would like to get involved. Are you easily accessible to ask questions to if anybody wants to contact you? Oh, that's right. There's the uh, Facebook group and we're you know very involved in cataloging things and, and memories. And what's turned up has been amazing, really. Um, I think I need a, a, another book uh, or update the <laughs> one I'm doing now, you know, a new edition. Plus the fact if this book goes well, we'll do another one from 84 right through to Disney era. It'll be the part two. It'll be the fading way of Star Wars through the 80s. And then Star Wars comes back through the prequels, <laughs> how we feel about those, uh, through to Disney. And that's the next project. Oh, wow. That sounds exciting. Where do I buy this book now? What's the what's the best places to go to to get this book? Okay, there's a um, small offer, maybe about two pounds off, through the Facebook group and the um, Sales Forum UK. You can uh, find out how to get a uh, discount code from the the uh, website for the uh, distributor for Eurospan. And also, there's uh, obviously the Amazons of this world, and, and go uh, go through those routes. Um, Maybe in the end they might be available in the shots. We'll see how it goes. It depends on the sales and then the reviews. Massive thanks, Craig. I am really looking forward to finishing this book off. If any of our listeners have not got a copy of this book, I urge you to go and check it out. I learned something within the first three or four pages of, of reading the book, and that, that's what kept me going in it. Um, absolutely great book. Uh-huh. Fantastic research, interviews with guys you know, like Peter Beale. You know, it was interesting reading about his story and how really integral he was to some of the introduction to Star Wars to some of the early licenses. Sure. He's a name that I've seen, but I, di- I didn't even put two and two together realize how big this guy was. Support the book and would love to see an extra volume of this come out at some point. Yeah, I can say the book's been a fantastic experience from start to finish. The research I put in and the uh, people I've met has been absolutely amazing. And if you kind of get the kind of experience I've had in reading the book, that'd be amazing, yeah. The moon with the rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. Good interview, Rich. I'd just like to say, maybe you should do interviews with everyone, because then we would never have to record anything. It'd be brilliant. AFA labelling disgrace, something else that seems to rear its head often, uh, Rich. I'm not bringing this one up to bash AFA, okay? I'm bringing this one up to educate people about what's going on with some of the labels on AFA. And I, who've been collecting off I probably for three years now maybe a touch more has been absolutely shocked at something that I've found out the last few weeks I know that some people are fully aware of this but I definitely wasn't and others I've been talking to were completely clueless as well if we remember from the Hakes auction okay so at the Hakes auction we knew that the 12 back Leah was incorrectly labeled as 12b when it should have been a 12a but as far as I'm aware there was no other item on there at all that was listed as an error label and I was bidding for two items on there. One was the Droids 3-pack and one was the 20G or 5D4. And I was completely blown out of the water on both of them. I'm definitely relieved to be blown out of the water on the 20G. According to the Kellerman Matrix, the following 20 and 21 backs are available for R5D4. And that's 20B, 20D, 20E, 20G, 21A and 21B. Now, in addition to that, the 20C and the 21I exists because I have both of them. And I also believe the 21C and the 21G exists, okay? So that gives us 10 R5D4s on a 20 or 21 back that I'm aware of. The 20G is one of the five that I don't have. 
So I thought, okay, I've missed out on the one on Hakes, but that might not be the end of the world because it might be quite easy to get. So I thought I'm going to do a little bit of research to find out how difficult and costly it would be to get because I've had my hopes dashed before on the Palatoy M buggy, uh, thanks to Mr Muse on that one, which he told me after two years of looking for one that he had the only one known to exist. So that was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> I thought, okay, how difficult is a 20G? So to start my quest, I went to Hakes and I checked the selling price of the 20G and it was $885. And I thought, you know, that is really expensive for a 20 back. Upon closer inspection, I noticed it was missing the red spot sticker, which is on the 20G. And I thought, you know what? This isn't a 20G. It's actually, in fact, a 20E. So I was really relieved because I have a 20E and I only paid £110 for it. So I thought, you know, I'm, I'm really pleased that I've already actually got that one. So I'm super, super pleased that I missed out on that one. And for those who are unsure about your 20Es, your 20Gs, I always recommend Chris Fawcett's 12back.com. It's absolutely invaluable resource, not just for cardback identifications, there is other things as well, but that is my go-to site. And I, I probably visit it five, six times a week. I think it's an absolutely amazing resource. So what I did next was I went on to eBay and I found one for sale from DC Toys, which I think DC Toys stands for Talis Cowboys, I'm not entirely sure. So they had a 20G for £850. And I thought, you know what, that's roughly $885. It's near the ballpark of Hakes. But when I looked at the back again, guess what? No red sticker. It was another 20E. So I thought, well, hold on a second. EFE have graded two different items here, a 20G. I believe they're the 20E. Something, something's not quite right here. I checked to make sure it wasn't the same figure. Perhaps somebody had bought it off Hakes and stuck it straight on eBay. But that wasn't the case. There were different EFE labelling numbers. I then went to Dallas Vintage Toys, and I know some people are screaming us right now, but it was for research purposes. They had a 20G for $650, but again, no red sticker, and it was a 20E. And they also have a 20F, which according to Kellerman isn't known. That one for $700 as well, but also it had no red sticker, and I believe it was another 20E. So within 10 minutes of searching, I found four or five D4s that were all given 20G or 20F, but they were actually 20E, according to Chris Fawcett's system. So I thought a second here, might hold on. The only way that this could sensibly happen is if EFA use a different grading system. And I thought, if they do that, then that puts doubt into my whole research and everything that I've done so far to date. So I contacted Chris Fawcett and I said, Chris, you know, are you using a different system to EFA? And Chris Fawcett had said that he didn't know what system EFA used, but he used the Kellerman Matrix. And I thought, right, okay, well, I thought everybody used the Kellerman Matrix. So I made a post on Facebook asking, you know, what was up. And I was absolutely bombarded with Alpha Sucks posts. And I, I fully expected that. I fully expected, oh, EFA, the app used to get everything wrong. I thought, surely not. Surely they would not get four 20Gs, 20Fs within 10 minutes of searching. They would not get all four of those incorrect. And why was one given F and all the rest given Gs when they're exactly the same? I thought that couldn't happen. Now, Jared Cope then posted and he said that he spots frequent errors. And I thought, well, hold on a second. Now, Jared, who runs StarWarsTracker.com, he puts items on there as 20 A's, 20 B's, etc., etc. So I said, Jared, if something's advertised as EFA 20G and it has a label 20G, do you list it as a 20G? And he says, no, he has to actually check and confirm every single one. He personally inspects every single one because there are so many errors. Now that I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking it's absolutely appalling. Who is grading these items at EFA? 
the 20F and the 20G clearly have a red spot on them. So why are these card backs given labels that say F and G when there's no red spot at all? They're clearly 20Es. So I just find it's absolutely shocking. Now, Sai, I'm coming at this one from, you know, like what I did. I really wanted that 20G. If an auction house or eBay were selling an item as advertised as 20G, the label clearly states 20G. Would you ordinarily personally check to see if the label was correct no absolutely not because as far as i'm concerned there's all right with your average auction house your little local auction house that does general sales if they get a graded star wars figure that turns up and says it's an r5 d4 20g then who are they to question that there let's not let's not remember forget rather let's not forget this is the action figure authority so they've said it it's got to be but if it turned up at somewhere like, well, now you can include Hakes or Vectis or, or one of the other sales rooms like that, then I would consider that it had two levels levels of authentication, one from AFA and one from the auction house. AFA, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to bother starting. I've said it all before. I think we've all said it all before. They're an absolute disgrace to the hobby uh, and the arrogance that they display when they're called out on it is astounding. Much like auction houses, actually, because auction houses are equally, well, auction houses are nigh on corrupt, most of them. I've, I've just, just today, actually, slight digression, speaking to Joe O'Brien, old Trilogo Joe, uh, giving him a heads up on a real Ghostbusters proof card. And he said, oh, they were mine. I sold them to the auction, uh, to a guy who works for the auction house. I said, really? I said, here, it's a, it attributes them to a Kenner source. They've been consigned by a Kenner source. He said, no, absolutely not. And even I didn't buy them from a Kenner source. I bought them from other collectors. 17 card backs at the same auction house, Eats Bristol Auctions, you know who you are, alleged to have been assigned by an ex-Kenner employee, are all owned by an employee of that same auction house this is what we're dealing with auction houses are not held accountable afa are not held accountable so you know i i say i, I wouldn't expect to check it you've got to check everything unless you can get to the auction house and look at something with your own hands and your own eyes do not believe what is written on that description because you will eventually come unstuck and let's face it rich as you say 885 dollars that's not a little bit of money to lose, is it? And even if you go down the road of, well, when I got it, I checked it, and it wasn't right, so I sent it back to them, how much does that cost you in wasted shipping fees, time, stress, hassle? You're right there in that it's a kind of double authentication because the fact that it said, and I'm guessing it was James Gallo or somebody who inspected the items, that they identified the 12 B Leah should have been a 12A. Somebody's looked at those items and spotted that. Now, whether they've not, not bothered for the R5 because it's a low-value item, I haven't got a clue. But you're right there, there's, there's kind of like a double level of authentication. Just like what's going on with eBay at the moment with that ridiculous auction that's being lambasted everywhere where people are saying all these items are coming from a Kenner engineer and, and they're not. If you bought an item with an incorrect label, do you think EFA should regrade it free of charge? And if you do, should it get the original grade or should it get the grade as it is now? Being in mind that it may be five years after the fact it was graded and it could have turned yellow a bit, uh, and who should pay for portions of packaging? I don't think this just goes for just AFA. I think this goes for all grading companies across the board. I've seen them all mislabel stuff. If they have made a mistake, they've taken your payment, they're offering a service, but they haven't got the service correct. If I went out and did a job and I did something wrong, I would be called back until it was put right. Okay, 
goes in most walks of life. If you if you go into a restaurant and you order a steak and you order it rare and it comes out well cooked, you send it back and you get a rare one. They don't charge you any more for that. So I think it should be relabeled. As for the original grade, I think it should be graded to as the product is now. I have in my collection an AFA Greedo, yeah, Return the Jedi, and it was graded one sec, graded eighty five. But on the way back from AFA to whoever bought it, Greedo came out the bubble. So I've now got a graded, this bloke just sold it straight on, he wasn't interested in it. So I've got an AFA graded card, the bubble's still on the card, but Greedo is now loose, so he's kind of like looking as if he's broken out of one bubble, but can't get out of the next. If that went back, they can't grade it the same grade as that, because it's now a loose figure and a card back. So they, to me, they would have to grade it as it now stands. But yes, they should do it for free, and it should be down to them to, to reap it. They've made a mistake. What are the most ridiculous EFA label mistakes that you witnessed? Well, I have to say my interest in, in anything graded is, is very, 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 very low anyway, because I just think it's nonsense. And they're just like a, I don't know, it's like going to a fortune teller. It's just nonsense. I, I, I mean, I had to look around at some of the, I mean, it seems to be the more mistakes, not just in labels, but in, in it seems, especially on SWF UK forum, uh, there seems to be a lot of, especially in, in the earlier days of, of like Stu said, pe- things popping out of bubbles, you know, being 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 graded, then sent sent back, and someone getting it. Um, probably probably one of the funny, well, not the funniest ones because it's not particularly funny, but uh, things like you know, just not being able to distinguish between Macau and Mexico, you know, and putting that on the label. I mean, just just utter nonsense like that, you know, just real poor attention to detail, just getting the figure name wrong, you know. I mean, just things like that. You're thinking, how can how can you possibly charge a fee and get things like that? wrong maybe we should grade the graders maybe they should carry a grading on themselves you know afa well we you know they they get things right 95 percent of the time we'll give them a grading of 95 then um but there's the, the sad thing was rich there was tons of it it wasn't just one or two things there was loads and loads of mistakes you know not talking one or two we're talking tens twenties thirties i mean i found entire threads on rebel scum full of afa grading errors you know, it's. I mean, you just pick one out at, at random. I mean, it's 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 pretty poor, I think. I mean, that's why I would I would never personally pursue a graded item. I mean, I'm quite happy with a, a beaten up figure. Um, if if there was a figure I wanted, it was had to be graded, but at a cheap price I'd buy it. But I wouldn't pursue one because I don't trust any of it. It's just all nonsense, witchcraft. Well, you're exactly right there, Pete, because the only reason why I looked at the 20G was, even though it was graded, I thought, well, it's a 20G, and if I can get it for the price of a 20G, I'd be happy with it, but the fact it was graded, I was never going to pay any more for it. But the whole point of this was really to bring it to the eyes of especially newer collectors, is that you can't just take it for granted that if EFE has even something at 41 back, if it's written on the label, and then on the back of it, I've seen 45, 47, 65, you know, they even make mistakes like that, so you really, I wouldn't say ignore the label, but you've really got to look at the card front and back and use something like 12back.com. I think there's also a fantastic card back guide on the Imperial Gunnery that AJ pointed to as well, and that has, you know, it clearly explains all the differences and why something's an A and why something's a B. Um, check out those guides whenever you're purchasing card backs. Um, don't, don't take EFA's word for it. This never occurred to me. I know it sounds daft, but because I'm not into graders, it never occurred to me what yourself and Simon had said earlier that, that you might go to an auction, you see a card of figure, and it's got a, you know, it's in a box, and you actually have to go and check the fact that 
hang on a minute, don't take it for granted that that thing's being sent to a, a grading company. Actually check it out. I mean, that would never have occurred to me until you, before you said it. I, I just took it for granted that these guys who you pay money to would not get that wrong. I, I'm, I'm actually quite shocked by it, to be fair. Yeah, so was that. I, I, I thought I was doing something wrong. I generally was. I was expecting Chris to say EFA using a different system, and this is the system that they use. And then I would have went, oh, my God, I've made a mistake here. I need to learn the EFA's grading system, and I need to know Kellerman system. But by all intents and purposes, they all use the same system. It's just that EFA consistently get it wrong. Bonkers. Death Star approaching. Estimated time to firing range, 15 minutes. Posters, nearly toasters. I love this story. Rich? Yeah, just a short story on this one. I did put in the show notes that I was leaving to go to Florida. I couldn't find the link. Could one of you guys find it for us and nobody bothered? So that's pretty much normally what happens on here. <laughs> so when I got back from Florida, jet lagged and everything else, I had to do some searching for it. And I found it on Echo Base UK. Um, it was posted on 30th of March by Dave White. And this is what he initially had written. Hi guys, I think I might have stumbled on a holy grail but need clarification. Oh my god, rolled in a tube with some other posters in a bin room at work. A Revenge of the Jedi one-sheet teaser poster. Put a picture on there, the poster, and there were nine or so signatures on it from Dave Prowse to Jeremy Bullock to Caroline Blakeson. And very quickly, people had verified it as being genuine, a genuine poster. And it was not a 90s reprint. The hunt was on immediately to track down the owner. Danny Katzel come on, and he spotted, actually, guys, it's not a genuine poster. And he identified the fact it was a reprint, and he gave detailed analysis as to why it was um, a reprint. It was pointed out that it actually was a reprint with some detailed analysis, and that was great information from Danny. Uh, but thankfully, the original owner was found, and it shouldn't matter whether this is a you know a hundred dollar item or a thousand dollar item. It's it's just such a nice story. This so Julian Owen from Florida had made a post lamenting the loss of his poster tube, which had several posters with over seventy signatures on in total. And was spotted by fellow collector Tom Porter, who hooked the two guys up, so that was Julian and Dave. And I'm glad to see that both were safely reunited the very next day. So I think that was a fantastic story. Collectors look now for each other. It was amazing that this poster tube was found in a bin room. And I'm really glad that Julian had got his item back. And well done, Tom Porter, on spotting that. Nice story. Rebel base, one minute and closing. And finally, cut bubbles means troubles. Yes, now, I got tipped off from Todd Osborne on this one, and this is not a story I want to go down to through the undesirables, and I'll get I'll get onto that in a second. David Dean posted on the Star Wars cardback group, and he had a picture of, I think it was about 30 cardbacks. They all had partially sealed bubbles, ranging from Star Wars to Power of the Force, droids and diecast. And he posted on there to say, just sharing a group shot of my cut bubble cardbacks, all were purchased like this, so don't worry, I would never remove a figure from vintage packaging. So again, I don't want this to go down the route of theories as to how these figures got like that. And I just want to say, for argument's sake, let's just say that this was an anal kid. Actually, let's just say it was Jez, who neatly sliced the bubbles open back in the day to play with the toys. Okay, so 30 or so card backs with bubbles that are attached, but have got neat slices in the side so that the figures are not there. So I've got two questions for you. And this came up in the in the chat underneath the picture. How do you store items like that? And secondly, is it ethical to remove the bubbles when the figure has been taken out of it? First of all, come and look at storage. So Pete, I mean, you've, you've mentioned before storage problems with 
with with card backs and things like that. How would you store thirty bits of cardboard with the bubble still attached with no figure? Uh, <laughs> that's quite a hard one, Reg. To be fair, um, I think you just need to allocate a nice wall in your room and just cover it from top to bottom in nice acrylic cases. And I think that's the only way you can really do it. I mean, you know, car, if, if the car didn't have a bubble on, you know, obviously you can put them in a folder, you know, or, or you know, a sort of collage. But when it's got a bubble on it, so you, you've got to treat them like a figure, haven't you, really? I mean, just just, just get a figure, stick it in back in the bubble, just display it, yeah? That's not a bad shout. Stu or Sai, have you had any bubbles like this? Because I think, from memory, am I right in that these bubbles are more prone to going yellow quicker than ones that are fully sealed. I personally haven't had any uh, cut bubble cards, as in the bubble still attached but cut open or anything like that. And I probably wouldn't buy them because, as you say, storage is a pain. You can display it with a figure if you want, etc. But frankly, it's just not worth the bother. No, I've never had one either. I've got two. I got the Palatoy what was it again, the Power Droid from Vectis but I only paid £40 for it and I'm led to believe that the card back alone goes for way more than that so that was a, was it a 20 back? yeah it was, it was a 20 back and I've got a what else have I got? I've got an at driver that I bought from Echo Live last time and I paid 40 quid for that as well and Bear Strikes Back where it's got a neatly sliced bubble at the top and you can pull the figure out of the top on both of them uh, I wouldn't have paid a lot of money for either of them I thought the price I paid was, you know, even even if everything fell apart, I think the set reports are still worth more than what I paid. I think essentially they are a loose figure on a card back, and that's how they should be priced, really. Um, but to, to store them in storage, I suppose you've just got to get yourself a, a plastic box of some sort and then uh, face them onto each other, so in twos. So turn it so the bubbles slot together. But mm-hmm. It's going to take up a lot of room if you've got a few of them. Yeah, definitely. Is it ethical to remove the bubbles? To store them ever. as cardboard? Never, ever never. remove things, ever. See, <laughs> stickers, leave it all on. Leave yeah, you're, you're probably right. Leave probably does make a nice card back if you took the bubble off, but there's enough card backs out there. Go and find unless, oh, I don't know. You could have a perfect card back if you sliced the bubble off very, very neatly and kept the bubble. Offer it up for trade for somebody who's got the card back but wants a cup bubble. That would be the sensible thing to do, wouldn't it? As Stu says, there's loads of card backs out there. There's only so many cup bubbles. Um, yeah, let someone else have it who's got to do something with it. Or just display it as it is. It's a beautiful thing. Stick a figure back in there. Job done. Who's going to display a piece of cardboard with a plastic hanging off it? That's a beautiful thing. Still a beautiful thing, but in nice but Star Wars. Put a figure in it, on it, near it. What's wrong with that? Sell it. Buy yourself a life-size Ewok. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. There's always, always another option. You don't have to... You know, if, you, if you're going to start hacking around with car backs, then sell to people like me and then move on with life.
talk happy, and you never have a dream, then you'll never have a dream come true. Happy talk, keep talking, happy talk. Talk about things you'd like to do. You've gotta have a dream. If you don't have a dream, how you gonna have a dream come true? Right, rather than an interview this month, we've gone with a round table with some reliable, trusty steeds on the Star Wars collecting. Obviously, size with me. Hello. Um, but more importantly, we've got three guests. So, uh, first of all, we've got Jared Cope with us, who is obviously the founder of Star Wars Tracker. Does an awful lot of work on that. Um, I think you've been on a couple of times on the market with Pete, Jared, but never as a main interview yet. Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, I've been on a couple of times. Just Well, there was an in-depth interview on Pete's segment back when I first came on. Right. Um, but, yeah, not really um, much since, really. So, yeah, good to be back. Yeah, we'll, def- we'll definitely have to hook up and have a proper interview at some point. Yeah, sure. Uh, how's the tracker going? Strength to strength? Yeah, it's going really well. Um, yeah, it's just beyond anything I could have imagined and um, really well received. And, yeah, I'm always improving it. Got some good ideas for this year as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with, with how it goes. Do you um, input everything by hand, each entry? Um, I do. So... There's, I automate what I can to get through, you know, the mass of everything that happens each week. But um, through all of that, I then sort of, you know, visually inspect everything that I actually do feel is worthy to be input into the tracker. So that's sort of the time-consuming bit. But, um, I mean, that sort of ensures the quality of the prices and then, you know, their actual vintage items and not mislabeled and all that sort of garbage but yeah so it's you know it's a labor of love but i actually you know in, quite enjoy doing it every week yeah <laughs> so sounds like an awful lot of work but you've always got there's always another one of our guests here who has a lot of time on his hands because he manages to run around for about 50 miles every week we've also got steve savory with us good evening steve good evening gentlemen uh, Han Solo Collector, and our main interview back on episode 36. Can you believe that's a nearly a year ago already? It's crazy. Absolutely yeah. crazy. May last year, yeah. It was lovely to have you back, Steve. Thank you. Good to be back. Good. You always bring a smile to my face. <laughs> and uh, finally, another former guest, but this one even more longer ago. That's not good English. Even longer ago. Uh, episode 12, April 2015. Three years ago, we've got Andy Norton with us, aka Spoons. Evening, Andy. Hello there, Stu. Thanks for having me on. Hello, everyone. Uh, yes, that's a long time ago, isn't it? I had no, no idea it was that long. Three um, years, mate. Three years. And obviously a hand-half focus collector, but um, also massively into the diecast. Started up the website. We've had you on a couple of times to give updates on that. And you promised me a book. How's, how's that coming along on diecast? Well, yeah. Um, almost finished, Stu. I think it's, uh, I'm, I'm basing it on the, uh, the timeline for the saga, so uh, the, uh, be another 10 years or so, and then it'll, it'll be out. Uh, well, are you going to expand into the modern diecast on that website? No, I've just bought myself um, a Takara Zetka this last couple of weeks, so I'm thinking of maybe having a, a little featured article on some of the other vintage diecast away from the, you know, the normal Kenner stuff, but I think the, the modern is a little bit too far-reaching for me, really. Uh, I've, um, I've got a funny feeling. Sorry, did we cover that in MA this month? Or have I made that up? I think you may... I don't know if 
you've made it. I think you <coughs> might have either made it up or it was a quick shout out. I know. I'm sure. Well, that's good then. So one or the other then. Well done, mate. Well, <laughs> either that or not mentioned it at all. That would be a third option. But no, because I know Ian picked up a. I think it was a Tie Fighter, about th- three four months back, and I think we mentioned it then. But I don't I've, know got, I've got a vague memory of you mentioning them before. Oh, so it wasn't you then, Andy. But you give it a shout out anyway. They're great little things, aren't they? Yeah, I was amazed. I'd never, you know, I'd seen pictures of them many times, but never actually had one in the flesh. And they're absolutely tiny. When the box arrived, I thought there's no, you know, there's no way that survived. And uh, yeah, it's the uh, size of a sort of matchbox car. Oh, lovely, lovely stuff. So tonight we're, we're going to look at some different areas. Um, maybe the current climate. There's so many collectors now in the market, so items are obviously harder to find, harder to come by. So we're going to go through collecting generally, behaviours, a bit of pricing, that kind of thing. Uh, obviously, we've I've been discussing it with you three offline. So, first of all, I just want to get an overview of what your collect. I know we've had two of you on, and we've discussed your collecting, but what your collecting styles are at the moment, maybe focuses. Um, Jared, now I know you obviously run the tracker, but when it comes yep. to collecting, I haven't got a clue where your yeah. your collectings lie. Um, so, just to give you the whirlwind story, then. Um, so, I started collecting back in the nineties. Like a lot of us did, and that's where the bulk of my collection was bought. So I didn't finish a loose figure run back then, but I got most of the way there and, and put together most of my MOC collection. Um, but it's mostly since I've been living in the UK, which has been over for 10 years now, I've been in the UK. So I'm naturally from Australia. And I finished off most of my MOC and loose figure run while over here in the UK Um between 2012 and 2015 so that was sort of the two big sort of collecting goals I had and once I sort of finished those off I haven't really been into it that hard Um, so I've kind of avoided the boom in pricing and therefore you know I've sort of been saved from spending too much in these recent years but I've always liked seeing what's been happening and it's so vibrant now that it's actually just really fun to be a you know a passenger in, in what's going on when you say you've you've completed your mint on cars what, what did you go down one of each character on a card or yeah my goal was the um the 96 on some kind of moc so i didn't care if it was a star wars card or an empire card what have you i just wanted an example of each of the figures on you know an unopened package um, so I was happy with, you know, whatever I managed to get. Nice, nice. And obviously, you say you're not collecting too much now, but I suppose having Tracker keeps your, your toe on it anyway and uh, keeps interest flowing. Yeah, exactly. I always feel very close to the community, even if I'm not, you know, obsessing over which thing I'm going to buy next. Um, yeah, I, I just like to watch, basically, these days. Yeah, um, but I totally get with the prices. Now, Steve Savory, he does not stop spending um, he's even had to start selling because it's taken over his whole house. How's it, Steve? Has your, your collecting changed? You were going hard on hand solo, but I saw three or four pieces up for sale where Father's from. Um, yeah, that, that's a difficult one. I, I, I'm still hard into hand solo, for want of a better way of expressing it. Thanks for that, Stu. Um, didn't come out well at all. That didn't come <laughs> out so, well at all. so mixing that line into some sort yeah. of... Yeah, I think that's uh, your new ringtone. Um <laughs> but uh, the pieces I was selling at uh, Father's From, they were literally where I had absolute duplicates. Or in the case of uh, one, I, I had a um, had a Meccano card back there that I've I've got a Meccano mock now, so I don't 
don't particularly need to have both. Um, the the selling side of things at Farthest From, it was literally that. It was clearing down some duplication. And I really wanted to get my room, my collecting room, back in shape so that it wasn't looking like a tumble-down junk room. And it was actually looking back as a kind of museum-style collection. So that was the motivation there. Collecting style, how that's changed, I don't think it's changed that much. I've got a little mini sidey focus on trilogos at the moment. I'm quite enjoying putting that together. But Han Solo is still is still the main man for me. Didn't you have a, a second a second um, figure focus? I've got two second figure focuses. Yeah, I'm trying to think what they were. Don't... Uh, Rebel Soldier and the Rebel Commando, both of which have grown a little in a year, but not a great deal. Been working on getting a few different uh, card backs for those, or uh, as in mocks and a few of the different variants of COO on loose figures. Not quite so passionate about them, but love the figures. So, you know, those are those have been they've been fun because neither of them are that expensive to get into either. And Andy, now obviously you were this is three years ago, but we've just heard about your diecast growing. But you were very focused on Han Hoff, I think, because of space. You focused just on Han Hoff and a bit of diecast. And oh, I'm trying to think here. Is it Atat? No, no, that's just. It's just those two, really, the diecast and the, the Han Hoff. You've got an Asset Chrome in there, haven't you? The, yes, I've got the... Okay. That's yeah, I've got, I mean, I've got there's various bits and bobs. I don't just have diecast and Han Hoff. I've got a few other uh, carded figures, sort of random. I've always liked the the Star Wars characters on Empire Strikes Back, on Empire Strikes Back's cards. So that was always a plan to get a run of those together, but... There is there is a space issue, and I've I've got you know, I'm lucky to have a collecting room, and I filled the shelves in it, so I either have to start spreading out around the house or start selling things to to replace them, and I'm, and I'm happy with my collection as it is. Really, I don't really want to sell things. So if I see stuff out there that I like, I'll pick it up a bit like that little Zepka thing. Uh, otherwise, it's you know, bits of paperwork. I picked up Palatoy poster this week. The odd. The odd bit of diecast, but the, the hand run is largely done. I think all the the easy to get, say easy easier to get carded figures, I've got. You know, there's the the, the foreign releases out there that you know turn up once in a blue moon, the Meccanos, that kind of thing. And likewise for my uh, diecast tie run. So I was, I was specifically aiming for a, a run of all those, and I've got all the production ones now. Again, apart from the Meccano, which are, you know, I don't, no one's actually seen one in the flesh, as far as I can tell. Uh, so it's really just other, you know, if I see a, another diecast on a car back I, I like or I want to photo for the website, that's quite quite often the case. So you know, there's, there's loads of good photos on there from other collectors. Uh, there's a few that I've I've asked people to use from eBay sales and things that, you know, aren't don't necessarily fit in with the rest of the site. So if I see one of those, I, I might pick it up just so I can get a better photo. You've added a display piece recently, haven't you, in recent months? I've got, yeah, I've got the, the die-cast bin. I bought the, there's, there's two headers, there's a, a first and a second issue header uh, with and without the Darth Vader tie. And then I've, I've been looking out for a bin from for them for a long time. And I can't, you know, I can't remember when I picked that. That must have been before Christmas, I think, but not, yeah, not that long ago. So that, and that fits nicely on top of my display shelves, actually. So it just, just clears the ceiling, so... Uh, that's in there just trying to think what else I've picked up not not a lot really it's been quite a quiet quite quiet year uh, you're, you're a big action man collector as well aren't you I am and 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 I mean you know we might be talking about this later but the the difference in prices for for two I you know for two toys that 
was such a big part of my childhood. And when I when I first started out collecting, I I collected both of them for a very short while and and focused on the Star Wars purely for space. You know, as a, a student at the time in student digs and not much space and Star Wars fitted in a lot lot easier. These days, Action Man's not really shifted in price much in those whatever twenty five years. And is is I suppose because it's more accessible, more of it can come through the door. In fact, I, I bought a big job lot recently that I've I've been selling off the little items tedious as anything you know five pound guns and things going to the post office every other day but i've really enjoyed it it's brought back the love of collecting and and star wars has moved on in such a way you know to buy a job lot of star wars now it's probably a few thousand pounds isn't it you know you've got to you've got to be fairly clear certain that you're going to get your money back if you if you're buying it to move on and so yeah action man's certainly been more of a focus in recent months than than star wars yeah you're right even just a a run of uh beat up figures is you know a handful of them can cost you 100 quid now and it's like that's without any accessories or weapons or anything you you say about action man prices what what is a a nice example box action man going for now that's um that's a good question and it does it does depend on what it is but it's they're probably not so dissimilar to the 12 inch Star Wars line actually so for you know something that's that's open in fact I bought I bought a yeah something for about 100 110 pounds last year sort of a relatively common outfit in a decent shaped box and you know that's you probably if you're looking at a fairly decent Luke Skywalker in a Palatoy box, which are relatively common over here. So that's probably about 150, 200 pounds in it. So there's not there's not that much of a difference. I think the the difference comes, I suppose, with the the loose figures. So you know you can get you can pick up a just a, a basic action man for about 25 pounds, which again I suppose isn't that dissimilar to um, a Star Wars figure. You know what's a what's a Luke Jedi basic Luke Jedi these days? Probably something similar the difference comes if you want to get a gun to finish off that action man that's another fiver it's not another 50 pounds yeah the weapons is a is ridiculous isn't it with star wars i've never seen people selling blasters for 100 quid on facebook i'm just, just, and just you see, I mean, it's sort of i mean i do understand it all um it's there's you know, there's loads and loads of collectors out there these days which is really good for the hobby it means that it should be around for a long time, and and you know this stuff, this stuff is produced in its millions. But there is only a finite amount of it out there, and you can see the more people in the hobby, the more people that want to have complete figures, the prices are going to go up. And and that that is clearly the big the big difference between Star Wars and something like Action Man or you know Joe Joe O'Brien has his his real Ghostbusters line, doesn't he? And I think he he would say very similar things to me on the Action Man. It's just not the same demand for it really which which keeps the prices down so it's it's sort of, it's, it's very difficult for us i suppose i've been collecting for a long time and seeing seeing that change in prices and it, and it does seem crazy isn't it 100 pounds for a gun but if you know there's only one or two guns for sale a week and there's 20 people that want to buy them then the price is going to go up isn't it it's, it's quite hard to to sort of balance the two up really sort of the, the old you know, the longer collecting mentality when things were cheaper with the way things are today really and so i'm not you know i'm not certainly not judging anyone paying 100 pounds for a gun but it does seem yeah from my sort of my experience it does seem way too much and if you know if i needed to finish off my loose run i think i would struggle to justify that expense is it something to do with the longevity of 
of the line, though, in the sense that Action Man reflects a very precise moment in popular culture, whereas Star Wars has kind of carried on and on and on, and with the new films, it's likely to carry on and on and on further into the future. So on that basis alone, you're always creating more collectors. You're always cl- even the even new guys that are coming in will be thinking, oh, you know, the, that old stuff's really quite cool. It's got a different aesthetic. It's interesting. I'd like to collect that. I also know it's valuable. It holds its value so that it kind of perpetuates the prices. Whereas with Action Man, maybe there's not so much of a future for it. Not wanting to be dismissive of it, but no, no, I think that's that's a that's a really good point, and and one that Action Man collectors discuss quite regularly. I mean, I'm I'm still relatively new to the the Action Man world, and you know, sort of only been sort of collecting in anger again for the past sort of four four years. It's very much like people coming into the Star Wars world today. And 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 I and I thought I was coming in at a brilliant time, an aging population. Action Man had his fiftieth birthday um, last year, it's the year before last now. And and I thought, wow, great price to be going down. There's an aging population, but actually they're increasing at the moment as the the sort of tail enders are coming. So people, I think we're all roughly of a similar age. I'm certainly a little older than uh, than some. But you know, people in their forties are now getting that collecting bug, and seeing a slight rise in um, in prices. But yeah, I think you're right. I think maybe fifteen, twenty years time, there's probably going to be a big drop off. And certainly, my kids aren't interested in my action men, and I can't see them particularly wanting it. And I don't think there's going to be many, you know, forty somethings in twenty years time that have that connection and want to be collecting it. But on the flip side, the early stuff and the package stuff does go for a lot of money i mean there was um there was a vectus auction a couple of years ago one of the early judo suits went for five thousand pounds and that's very much star wars prices likewise the the box sets of, of the 60s figures and the 60s outfits they go for big money and i suspect that there'll be toy collectors and investors in 20 30 years time that will buy them not for nostalgia but because they think it's an investment much the same way I think that we're seeing people buying um, Star Wars things today. With the, the two um, DT figures that, that's just sold was it just this week for so hundred grand each, something like that. Yeah, in dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, is is that a collector or is that an investor? Uh, and and I think that much much the same as Action Man. Your the turn of the Jedi figures, your weak ways. You know, nothing nothing wrong with them at all. But will they hold their value? in let's say 30 years time when the nostalgia that we've got for the toys that we had as kids that doesn't really pass on people have a love of star wars and i I think in general they'll hold their value much better but are people going to go for a complete vintage run in 30 40 years time or are they going to go for the iconic first 12 or iconic characters it'd be be interesting to see i mean I i certainly don't know what the answer is but i wouldn't be surprised a bit you know return of the jedi character on a card these days i mean jared jared's a man for prices but i don't think they've they've moved that much in this sort of big boom in prices have they they you know they've increased well, a little bit but still relatively affordable yeah i mean 
if there's anything I've noticed over the last year or two, um, prices can be anywhere, actually. Like, the range is just so great now that I don't think there's any predictability of what, you know, should be the price of a standard return the Jedi card because I think in our maturity of collecting, we focus so much on the most minute imperfections that that can actually add, you know, an extra 20, 30, 50 pounds to something that, you know, five years ago just would have been a flat I don't know, 40 pounds, no matter how many minor imperfections there were. So it's really hard to sort of, um, you know, lock down a, a standard price for anything anymore, I've been finding. I, I must admit, I since I've, I've obviously only been back in collecting about five, six years now, and I find that the amount of uh, mental cards and things, it, it's a lot lower number than when I first came back in. I, you, you could find most cards. You obviously track it on the tracker. Compared to, like, 2015, are the numbers right down on product i'd have to take a look but um i mean since i've been running the tracker i looked at this just the other day and in ratio terms the number of prices in the tracker for every um one moc price i have there's three or four loose figure prices so in my mind there's actually quite a lot of moc that trades every week comparatively um you know every um you know third or fourth price i gather is an moc item right that's quite interesting then yeah, it's just uh, just feels like it. I think probably because the amount of people that are after it. I think if, if mental cards come up on Facebook, um, I had Ian Ian Sanderson on last month, and he said he can put them up, and within ten minutes, half of his product will be snapped up. So it's yeah. definitely a, yeah. I, I would say from from a Han Hoth perspective, when I was um, putting basically the offer cards together, they they didn't come up that often, but I would see them. You know, there there would be a choice. If the first one I saw. I didn't feel I had to buy because I knew there might be a better condition one popping up in a bit. I still keep, you know, I still keep an eye on the market, and I don't see as many Hanhoff offer cards coming up. The, the plain, the, the offerless ones, I couldn't comment as much, probably paying less attention. But the offer cards certainly aren't there, and I, and I suspect, you know, there's, there's a lot of people, such as myself, that you know, bought their collections and sit on them. And the more people that collect and don't move things on, stuff must be going out of circulation to a certain extent and then there's and then there's also the people that because of the constant price rises might want to shift something on but aren't selling it because they think that in a year's time it might have doubled in price again so it's kind of trying to guess when the right time to sell is um, that would be quite interesting to, to see if that's reflected well, there's something interesting that i've noticed um you know, when a highly prized item comes out after a big lull of not being able to find it any, anywhere on the market. So there's one example I'm thinking of, uh, a Power of the Force Anakin. It was the first time I'd actually seen one for public sale. I think it was 2015 it came up. And it ended up selling in Australia for 10,000 10, Australian dollars, so quite a bit of money. But after that, there seemed to be, you know, uh, you know, three or four of them come out in a matter of months after that. So I think when people notice a big price, um, a lot of this stuff does actually come out of the woodwork onto the market and, you know, subsequently those sales went for, you know, lower ending prices than that original one. So I think, um, you know, what determines rarity is really, it can ebb and flow with the market and, you know, it's got a life of its own and, you know, unless we tagged all these things, I don't think we actually know what the true rarity of some items actually are. Yeah. And do you think yeah. that the auction houses have, um, have skewed things a little bit as well? They're, well I'm certainly more yeah. aware of auction houses, but do you think more people are, are selling through them than they, they were maybe 10 years ago? Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's, it's obviously in the auction houses 
interest to get the most return on whatever they're offering up. So without a doubt, I'm sure they strategize on how and when they put items together. Um, for example, you know, in the Hakes auctions recently, you know, those all three of those DT carded figures were not in the same auction because uh, I'm sure one of the reasons was that, um, you know, you need a few months between a purchase like that to refinance the next one if you're wanting to go for all three. And if they put all three in the one auction, they probably wouldn't have got the high prices for each that they you know, would have got you know, separately. So, yeah, I, I do believe that you know, auction houses could possibly artificially inflate prices as compared to just openly putting it on eBay. Yeah, which is, which is the point of them being there, isn't it, really? Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's just business. Um, and, you know, they, they do provide a service. You know, they, um, well, for the most part, they, you know, almost authenticate for you by virtue of putting it up for sale. And, you know, they take a risk if there's something wrong with it. And, you know, it's not actually what was advertised. So, um, you know, there's a service involved and there's a premium for that. Um, and quite often, it's the only avenue you get to, to get some of these items as well. Good, good timing, because then there's uh, I think a vet test auction tomorrow. But yeah, just on the the whole uh, mint on cards prices and what's happening there, I've just posted up on the forum this evening actually that my view on it is that as we discussed, more and more of the interesting pieces, and by interesting I mean anything remotely focusable, such as your Han Hoth uh, offer cards, etc., etc., uh, are vanishing from the market and and black hole collections used to be the domain of millionaires and those that never had to sell now it's most collectors are buying something for their focus and they're keeping hold of it and that's it it's gone and so those i think are going to be disappearing from the tracker jared yeah, um, yeah. over time and and your bib fortunas and prune faces and chief chirpers and log rays are going to be dominating the market and and the the prices in those two are just going to get further and further apart i'll tell you what there's some Interesting stuff the closer you look. I mean, um, I think rarity and, you know, highly prized items really are in the, you know, the eye of the beholder. Um, so recently I've been, I've been buying a few things off American eBay recently, actually, because um, the prices have actually been quite good value. Uh, generally across the board, I think MOC prices are been coming down, but it depends what you're looking at, of course. But I managed to pick up um, what I consider to be one of the rarest card backs out there. It's actually a... Um, a 65e which is if you know what you know you can't kellerman well it's the um the 65 back so that it's got the two ewoks that are you know full color and you know out from behind their black boxes but the e version is the emperor office sticker or it's actually part of the printed card um with an anakin sticker over the top of that and the only way you can get that particular combination is a general medine so, um, you know, these ones hardly ever come up. Like in the Kellerman Matrix, you know, General Medine is the only way to get this card back. And I got it for, you know, I think it was around 50 US dollars. Um, but the rarity scale, you know, it probably rivals, um, I don't know, a Trilogo Medine or, or something similar. Like, you know, they just don't pop up very often. But, you know, because people don't really care about it, it it's not very pricey either. Well, because it's all about, I mean, in, in my mind, it's all about, the flavor of the month isn't it essentially yeah, so yeah. i can see if, if a bunch of people started posting about their 65 e's then they would probably rock it in price overnight i mean maybe yeah, it's slight, slight exaggeration because yeah. i mean the difference with the i suppose the trilogo midi people want a run of trilogos and to finish it they need the medine 
he's rare, so it's going to fetch more money. If I suppose if you wanted a full full run of 65 backs, you might have a few people fighting over it, but I guess fewer people put a run like that together. Yeah, yeah. so many variables involved. I mean, another example I think of is the um, Power of the Force Gamorrean Guard, um, you know, of the coin. So that goes for big money, but, you know, it's not as bad as, say, a Yak Face Power of the Force because there's, you know, a lot of other ways to get a Gamorrean Guard on MOC, so it's, you know, it's not your only option. Whereas a Yak Face, it's either the Canadian Power of the Force or a, a Tri Logo, and you're just limited to those two ways. So, you know, a Gamorrean Guard Power of the Force MOC, in my opinion, is more it's harder to get than the app face but um it's a lot cheaper because i think you know people see another way to get a gamorian guard on moc so they're they're not prepared to pay as much for the power of the force one that's an interesting point jared actually because with the you can draw parallels with tri logos really easily Uh, you try and find an imperial commander on a tri logo card i've had one i bought it and i think james martin bought it off me I've not seen another one since, and that's 18 months ago. And yet, right. in theory, in theory, it's a 150, 160-pound figure. Luke Jedi on a Trilogo card, you, you fall over them. You trip over more of those than you do log rays on Trilogo. And yet, that's a 200-pound card. It's, yeah. it, it's, it's very much driven by desirability more than rarity, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the two are interlinked. Do you think you can link that as well to pre-production items? Because... Yeah, it wasn't that long ago, and it was certainly before. You know, I was collecting the way I do now. But when you know, proof card, revenge proof cards were fifty dollars a card. But it wasn't that long ago that they were a hundred pounds a card, a little bit more. And now they're thousands of pounds to get. You know, get some of the yeah. rare. And, Something's and- happened there. You know, in the collective consciousness of all us collectors, I don't know if it's you know most of us have seen it, been there, done that, and you know it's all the stuff that we didn't look at in our first time round collecting that's now, you know, grails to us. And so it's really important for us to get it and we're prepared to pay through the nose for it. Because, yeah, I never thought about pre-production stuff and and to an extent it still doesn't really interest me now, but I know that's, you know, know, it's a holy grail for a lot of collectors and it's just um, moved front centre for a lot of people now. Is that that because there's two or three kind of reasons that people have, have gone down that route so you'd argue that there are a lot more people that character focus collect and if you're character focus collecting it's ideal to have some form of pre-production in that character focus so that would drive a price up it's also just become quite popular to have something more broadly it feels like you're part of a different club almost if you've got some pre-production in the same way that if you've got display product or if you've got something that used to be called oddball and has now been retermed as beyond the toys that seems again to be something that is popular and therefore the prices have gone up in that area but i think there's there's also an area an element within this that it's it's kind of prices of production product so if you're taking as we as we, we, we we've already mentioned uh yak face on a tri logo if a yak face on tri logo is anywhere from 800 to 1200 pounds then surely a pre-production piece should be, ir- irrespective of character, should be infinitely more expensive because it's it is genuinely rarer. But it's that's also about desirability, and that's something you see in other in other toy collecting, non-Star Wars. There's just no interest in um, in pre-production, and and that's why I alluded to a couple of pieces in the, the Vectus Ocean. I would be surprised if they go for much more than a couple of hundred pounds, um, a couple of. Uh, 
hand coloured in drawings of items. I've I've got you know I've got quite a bit of action man pre production now. The most I've spent is fifty pounds. No one's interested in it. It doesn't mean anything to anybody. So it doesn't go for any money. It's it's quite interesting in the in the process of 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 making the toy, but there just doesn't seem to be that interest in it. And and Joe like well, I mentioned Joe before, he sees very much the same with the real Ghostbusters stuff. It just doesn't command the same prices because it hasn't got the same interest people people want the toys now i do wonder whether my interest in in action man pre-production stems from my interest from star wars and i, and I think you know my i had no thought of pre-production star wars probably before i joined rebel scum many moons ago and and you see what people are selling there and posting there and think, oh, that's great, isn't it? And, and as you say, Steve, it's it's rare. You think, well, that's mm. no, there's only a few. There's a handful of these, and and someone's selling it for a hundred pounds, or as you say now, you know, a thousand pounds. That still seems a good deal considering its rare rarity. But it's what amazes me about the, the Star Wars community is is how we all think this is really great stuff, but elsewhere people don't. And and is that just through line lighting on forums and on Facebook? Or do we, as as a community, just have a greater appreciation of of how these things were made? Mm, I think you make a really good point. Actually, I hadn't I hadn't even thought about this. My brother's got quite a series of um, Action Force first shots, and I think he's he at the time, which is only a couple of years ago, he was paying like fifty quid a figure. Which, if that was Star Wars, it would be a hell of a lot more, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, yeah, it's about who's interested and who cares, and whether or not it's it's important to that community but is it i think maybe it's also the breadth of our community so star wars has tens of if not hundreds of thousands of collectors and fans out there whereas something like action man or action force as as or the real ghostbusters it's undoubtedly a much smaller number surely yeah and, and also doesn't have the high profile collectors in the same way you know mm. the, the runs and, and gusses and people with the information that, that they put out there it, it, it it's telling the world um, what there is and, and getting people interested in the, in the various different processes. I don't think there's that, that's there for the other toilets. I think Joe's doing his very best to, to get that real Ghostbusters message out and, and telling people about it. As yet, it's falling on. I think largely deaf ears, pretty <laughs> contradictory on that. But but if as it you know as real Ghostbusters moves into the future and you get the forty something collectors with their disposable income, you might you might well see a big change in that. It, it does depend. It's a popular uh, cartoon at the time, wasn't it? And, and Ghostbusters is still going strong. So I'd have thought mm. there'd, be a, there'd be a good future in that. Unlike probably Action Force and Action Man, as you said before. What's really interesting about the the lack of interest because yeah it, it was those two pieces in particular i was referring to at, at vexis uh, and i am heartened <laughs> to hear you say spoons that they're not going to go for much uh hopefully because uh, i'm certainly going to have a shot at those because i think they're fantastic <laughs> well, i've got i've got my bids in <laughs> have you <laughs> that, that'll be three of us then yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> they, they might they might well go for mine i think there was a there was a prototype motorbike that sold at one of the previous ones that did go for for quite a few hundred maybe because it was it was so you know scale wise it, it goes with the toys it's very it's, it, it is a toy on the flip side on I think it was the auction that they might have got flipped on eBay not long after. There were two books of hand-drawn action men and outfits that went for £100 each. The books of drawings. And I know the guy that, that picked those up. You know, that was, that was just a steal. And, you know, at the time, it wasn't didn't really interest me. Um, the 
the kind of the resin, the resin molds. They're the ones that I think the whole load of them went for about 150 pounds. As I said, there, there is a, there is an increase in prices at the moment, and there might be there might be a few more people bidding bidding on them. But, um, but I, I bet you, you know, whatever they go for, it will be less than the equivalent if they were a, a Star Wars hand coloured in um, design for a toy. That's incredible. That's that's really quite amazing, considering how how rare palatoy stuff is to hear that those sort of prices when it comes to runs these days so if someone was putting together a 41e run are these still attainable can you still physically go out there and complete a run comfortably because i know you've already touched on the tri logos we know medine's always going to be a, a massive card along with the jow and the fet are always going to be difficult i wonder i wonder how how possible they are actually um i'm going to come back to being focus collectors because you collect greedo stew I collect Han, Spoons collects Han as well, and I think within that, in many ways, we block we block that possibility. Mm. I'm sat here looking at what twenty, twenty five Han Solo mocks, and they're not leaving my collection anytime soon. I've got no plans to ever sell them, and because that's a that's a Han run. But within that, there are certain card backs that if you were trying to put a run a run together, you'd need one. And if you look on the tracker, in the last six six months there's been 16 large head hands and only two small head hand mocks sold on the tracker that's that's not a large rate of sale if you're going to pick up a hand solo mock and actually if you dig into that a little bit further there's there's a relatively strong split towards 12 backs and 65 backs so the ones in between become even more difficult to get hold of and uh, yeah i do wonder if if that kind of character focus collecting is stopping the kind of more classic collecting of runs because that's what's popular to do at the moment. I'm just wondering if people get into character focus collecting because if you're like me and you wanted to put together a 96 run of everything, that's probably more unobtainable now just because of you know prices across the board being so high. But to focus on one particular character probably seems more achievable. Because um, a you know, you know there's not 96 mocks you need to get there's only 20 ish so um, maybe it's just a shift of what your focus is and you know you sort of just say to yourself look I'm never going to get to 96 in this market but you know I'll choose some other sort of hairy goal that probably is a bit more obtainable I don't know if there's anything in that of, of why focus collecting is is popular these days or not that was exactly why I I collected Hanhoff back uh, when I started. It wasn't necessarily the price, but it was the space. And I was thinking, I, I want to have yes, right. cards out on display. Um, I'm not going to be able to fit in a whole a whole run, so I'll go for an achievable run. And, and, and that just started off with you know one on each card. I wanted an Empire Strikes Back one, Return of the Jedi one, and a, and a Tri-Logo. And then that sort of you know, spiralled to, to a full Kenner run and a, trying to go for a full Palatoy run. And they end up taking up quite a lot of space and probably not that... Probably not that dissimilar to a to a full run of, of normal cards. Um, the price, I see, because I think with the there'll be combinations. You know, you, you know your focus, and you know what's rare in there. But you know, if someone asked me what's the rarest Empire Strikes Back Chewbacca card to have, I would have no idea. And someone might set, start out on that um, on that route, and then find for some reason that you know the the Akbar offer was the toughest Chewbacca to track down and you know there's there's five people with with one each and there's there's no more coming to market so you sort of find that these these focus runs you can't actually do very easy anyway I mean, I've, I've not got any 
yeah. evidence of that. But I'm just again thinking of the the Han Hoff office that I come out to see. I've not seen a 48D, which is the um, the first Return of the Jedi one. Is it is it Neen Num? Yeah, Neen Num. I don't think I've seen one of those for sale in a couple of years. And someone might, you know, not thinking Han Hoff's particularly hard run to put together. They're just not out there. What do we make of focus collectors generally? I never saw a reason to go down that route. Um, I mean, as I mentioned, I was kind of happy with where I was, you know, fairly early on and, yeah, just sort of pick up the odd thing here and there. So I'm a generalist rather than, you know, focusing on something. Um, but I, I, I do see why people do it. And, you know, if I had my time again, if I was starting now, I'd, I'd probably end up focusing on something, I think, in this climate. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just something that's completely escaped my experience. But I spoke to Dave Tree once, and he actually stated that, you know, there's so much great stuff in Star Wars. Why do you want to focus on one one area of it? Yeah, he I said think there's a lot in that. Well, that resonates with me anyway, yeah. Is it all the, the collecting element, though? You know, in a way, and I think that's probably true of collectors of anything, sometimes what, the, what you're actually collecting sort of pales a bit. It's the fact that you want to get a run. So it could be, you know, it could be teaspoons or thimbles or anything. If there's if there's a set number of a certain type, you want to get them all. And I, and I, and I think certainly for myself, then there's that that element there. Because I yeah, I've looked at my hands in the past, and it's and it's not the most exciting card front either. It's I mean, it's a good good looking card. And at, at one point, I was going for all the different card variations, and then sold off the offless ones because I thought, well, they they just look all the same. And regretted it, and you know, maybe it's the OCD, but I needed I needed that run to be complete, so I ended up buying them all back again. Yeah, I think so. maybe there's something in um, it's the thrill of the hunt sometimes, um, like actually getting the item in your hands at the end kind of pales in the um, you know, the thrill of the chase, and you know, starting something new to actually you know have on your mind and you know make it fun to trawl through eBay. So uh, I get why focus, you know collectors might choose a run or have a, a secondary and a third run to sort of keep them going when they've you know got the basic loose figure run down they've got enough mocs i i guess it can focus you and you know still keep your interest in the hobby i guess yeah i wholeheartedly agree i think first of all i think there's an element that if you've got something on a shelf it always looks better with something else sat next to it and then if you can mm. keep building that like product or like imagery, rep repetition always looks even better. And then I do think there is what you're saying about the thrill of the hunt is it's exactly what the buzz I get from it. Yeah. And if I'm com if I'm completely honest, a week or so after that piece is in my collection, nah, okay, it looks brilliant on display, but I'm I'm not so excited and passionate about it because I already own it. What I am excited about is going and seeing what else is there. What haven't I not? What have I not got? What is there that I could get? Is something else gone up for sale? You know. And that's not always about obsessively spending money and buying the next thing, despite what Stu thinks about me. Um, it, it's, it's very much, very much about just the enjoyment of learning and finding stuff out and seeing what things are selling and who's selling them and where they are in the world. And then the opportunity, if it comes up, the opportunity to get your hands on it, that's always... You know, that's always a big buzz. So, yeah, it's definitely the thrill of the chase is, it, yeah, it's key for me. Um, you know, before I started collecting Star Wars, you know, back in the 90s, so before I started, you know, getting into it, well, I guess what I'm saying, so it's an interesting thought experiment to do. Like, does 
do obsessive people come into this hobby or does the hobby make people obsessive? Um, I've never really known which it is. So, you know, once you, you get the taste of vintage Star Wars, you, you kind of, it's almost like a drug. Like, you, it's always on your mind. You're always chasing something. And I never really remember feeling that way about anything before I, I started in the hobby. I think it's collectors as a whole, to be honest with you. I think that's what makes a collector. You need a, a compunction. You need a drive. Uh, and that that <laughs> depending on how strong your drive is uh depends on on wh- where you are on the spectrum really um, but i i think i don't see star wars as any uh more uh obsessive individuals as other areas of collecting i've been in i mean i i mentioned it before i used to collect and still do to a certain extent british military medals uh-huh. And just like we meet up at Farthest From, I used to meet up with the uh, the old fogies because they were typically in their sixties and seventies at at medal fairs and what have you. And they are just as obsessive and have just as many little quirks and traits as Star Wars collectors do. And they were, yeah, they were just older versions of us, frankly. Mm. One of my colleagues at work, he collects cap badges from a certain regiment. And we, you know, we get on on a house like fire when we're talking collecting, because as you say, so it's exactly the same mentality. He's, you know, I'm watching Vectis, and he's watching the equivalent for a medal or uh, for a cap badge auction. You know, it's, uh, you know, yeah. getting parcels arriving, telling telling his wife one thing. The <laughs> 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 reality might be something else. It's yeah, it's it's just the same. I think I think it's probably in in everybody. It's once you start down that line, it. You know, it, it just sort of it's allowed to grow maybe more in, in Star Wars because there's so much of it there. Mm. And I was thinking also with, with the focus collecting, maybe more than than having a, a run as well of, of sort of the the ninety odd figures, is that it does allow you to go further afield. And Steve Steve said you know, sort of a worldly view, but that's it. You, you're picking up items from across the world because they go with that focus collection if you i mean there's nothing stopping anyone just finding um, a nice foreign item and buying it but in a way that focus collection you you're actively searching it out and um, some people clearly you know, want to put together a meccano run or toll toys run or, or whatever but in a way that that is kind of like a, a focus anyway it's just lots of different characters and and the other thing I, I wanted to say was for me having to collect a run a carded run of all the figures there's quite a few figures that i don't like and i would feel you know spending good money on something that i don't actually like and a, a trilogo medine would fit into that category i don't think i'd ever go for a, a trilogo run because i wouldn't want to spend that much some money on something that i don't like just to complete something uh, and you know i appreciate everyone's got different tastes i think lobot's really great and loads of people hate him so you know it's it's Horses for courses, but that that would stop me putting a try run together anyway. You don't like Lobot, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> With obviously the Facebook generation, it you know collecting has exploded Star Wars wise. You talk about obsessions. Don't you find that a lot of these new collectors they come in and they've got to be a bit like um, got to have everything, got to have the highest priced items, a bit of a a look at me, look at me generation in the hobby at the moment. It's not. It's a different sort of obsession, a kind of... I think that's, I think that's always been there, Stu. We, we've seen enough people come and go from the various forums that just arrive in a blaze of buying everything and then within a year or two have sold up for various reasons. I, I don't think Facebook generation's any different. I think maybe it's just a bit more visible 
and there's and there's more there's more people around so you're probably seeing more people doing it but i doubt whether it's proportionately more i don't know i think there's i think there's a there's just a general cultural shift to that kind of mentality anyway isn't there it's that whole kind of i don't know not really a celebrity celebrity tv and then tie that in with facebook then tie that in with collecting and it's there's a very show-off mentality in the world at the moment as that we live in and therefore it's it seems appropriate i would imagine to some of those people that the thing to do is to have the high-priced items and to flash them around and put together really expensive runs of things, irrespective of whether they're truly passionate about them, because that's that's how the world seems to be kind of motivated at the moment. I think that's a fantastic point. Hadn't, hadn't ever considered that before. But yeah, and I think that, that comes out absolutely strongest on, on Facebook, but then that's, that's easy to... to shovel it into one big pile but that's the sort of social media format isn't it a quick blast blaze of glory people identify the fact that you can get an awful lot of attention awfully quickly mm. through social media whether that be youtube facebook twitter instagram etc etc yeah and yeah Pe- people want to be it. famous yeah yeah people want to be well, famous I so, um, well i wonder if there's a bit more to it at the moment because um the market is so pricey right now so if, if new people are coming in, they don't have a choice but to pay these prices, which are, you know, double, triple, quadruple what was, you know, three or four years ago. But I think the limelighting on Facebook, I wonder if there's an aspect of they need a bit of affirmation that they've done the right thing. Like they, they need to get a few likes to say, you know, that was okay to spend that much money on that thing. It, it's cool. You know, the rest of us have done that as well. Because it, it can be, I imagine it's quite frightening to come in as a new collector and you know coming to terms of having to drop a hundred pounds or 200 pounds on an moc that might have been 30 pounds five years ago it's just such a different ballpark right now that um i don't know i think everything's shifted yeah the tr- i mean i'll say i don't think it's as endemic as it was three years ago there seemed to be an explosion three years ago of people turning out into the hobby spending not just one or two hundred pounds but a darn sight more on yeah. rare and expensive items and and you know limelighting them and I, I agree jared yeah some people may want some kind of affirmation that what they've done is the right thing and this is good and it was an okay buy and for for a 100 pound mark yeah no problem at all but going back a few years uh we saw what was the what was the lovely guy's name on the forum lovely fella but completely nuts he used to open and andrek andrek yeah he he <laughs> came and went in a blaze of glory. Big night. Yeah, with his huge chopper, so to speak. And uh, <laughs> he was a classic example. And what a lovely guy, but just nuts. Nuts, you know. He was like, nuts because he would then just throw him across the room, wouldn't he? Like, yeah. what are you doing in that case? I know, I know. So, so the, these, you're, you're right, sorry. I think it was around the Force Awakens era, wasn't it? We had this, yeah. this uh, rocketing thing. But So you had these people buying really high-priced, even higher above what the market is now they spend this money on stuff and then maybe fall out of love with the hobby a year later two years later do these people do they sell their collection at a loss or are they sitting on it at home because they've invested so much money they can't bring themselves to lose that money is that is that stuff kind of lost where's that i think his name was andre g rather than andreg but what has he done with all those mental cards he literally had six months on the forum where he bought everything and then literally nothing overnight wasn't it yeah, he had three or four blue snaggletooth, didn't he? And I've never seen him sell anything though. Yanks. So, w- w- no. where is that stuff? Who knows? Yeah, um, it could have it could have gone on eBay, and no one would be any the wiser. 
but as you say, it could it could just be sitting in his in his house, and then everyone's finances are different. You know, it's, it doesn't matter whether things are expensive or not. If you could, if you can afford them and you got the cash, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. It might you know it might seem a bit bit brash. Well, but I do yeah, wonder if you can't. The worry is if you can't. I mean, I can't speak for Andre G or Andre at all, but let, let's just say he he couldn't afford that. You're racking up loads of debt. Then that's when you've got to start worrying, isn't it? That's you know you suddenly got a load of credit card debt. And as you say, do you, do you sell them at a loss just to clear most of that debt, but except you're going to take a hit, or do you sit on them and hope that they'll turn around and increase a bit more in money, and and so you can clear your debts and make a bit of money? And that you know that's essentially playing the stock market, isn't it? To be honest, watching the way he opened those mocks, he was definitely <laughs> sitting on them, <laughs> no yeah, standing on them, slicing them up. Yeah, <laughs> I think um, some people probably what well, seems like people may get themselves into some hot water financially. Um, I mean, every now and then you see a post saying, you know, need to sell desperately, have some bills to pay or whatever reason. And, I mean, it could be they've fallen on hard times or something, but I also wonder if people just get swept away with collecting that they kind of forget themselves a little bit and at the end of the month, you know, find that they can't pay their rent or mortgage and, and have to just, you know, get rid of stuff just to get by again. I wonder if how many people actually find themselves in that situation, especially, you know, again, with prices where they are right now. It's, it's easy to, to get swept up in it because what, you know, whether things drop or increase in value, nothing's halving in price overnight, is it? So even if you do splash out by loads in a short period of time, you'd be able to get most of that money back. And in a way, it's sort of, it's a safe way of spending loads of money. It'd be different if you, you, know, you could spend the same amount of um of money on on prostitutes and beer and it's gone isn't it you're not going to get that back you've always got the memories though you can't, <laughs> you can't sell them to so it's a it's you know it's a different it's a it's a different um way of, of, of spending your money you're you know holidays you go on a holiday every every week spend an absolute fortune you can't get that back you spend an absolute fortune on star wars you can get a chunk of it back if you really wanted to so it, i do want to fact the the safe nature of it does get people in over their heads a little bit i think we were talking about this online weren't we about spending high end and in comparison to what else you can do in life with what you're spending i like i said to you i I spent four figures for the first time on an item which obviously are my acquisitions this month which is a family holiday for my family i know size spent four figures in a drunken haze at celebration london (laughs) That was a um, great investment. Was that beer and prostitutes? <laughs> it was beer and prostitutes. Yeah, yeah. That's... We could have had a really good night on beer and prostitutes if he, if he wasn't so selfish. I did. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. I was just thinking that the high end items they kind of scare me a little bit actually, especially if it's an MOC because you know, if that thing gets damaged in the mail or you know even if you do take safe possession of it, there's always a risk that you know you'll have some friends over with perhaps a young child that might get their hands on it. I mean, if that thing gets damaged and you spent four figures on it, I mean you can't really burn money fast enough to sort of just you know halve or basically decimate your investment. And when you get to the, gets the point where you need to you're buying stuff to put in a safe aren't you i mean those those dt figures that sold would you have those standing on a shelf in your house i don't think i would not with three kids they would they would be going locked away somewhere never to be seen again yeah which kind of um you know almost defeats the purpose of having a a pastime which is meant to relax you you know (laughs) (laughs) no i agree jared that that uh 30 back fx7 that i that Stu alluded to that i bought at celebration it, it it cost so much that 
as much as it looked pretty in the cabinet, it detracted from my enjoyment of it. And I got rid of it in the end. Uh, it just... I looked at it and thought, well, it's great, it's rare, that's wonderful. And, it's, you know, I sort of had an FX7 focus going. And it was essential <laughs> for that. But it, I couldn't enjoy it, knowing what that represented in yeah. every other respect of, of my life. So got rid of it in the end. Well, I just want to point out, his FX7 focus was a loose one. And that... Yeah, well, I couldn't afford <laughs> it. It wasn't really after a that. I had to sell the loose one just to uh, buy the acrylic case for it, Stu. <laughs> uh... Yeah. So, what, so Stu, that's a good question. What are you do, with your latest acquisition? Then is that is that going on display, or is that getting locked away? Well, I know a lot of people think all my stuff's in boxes in a garage, yeah, and to ninety percent of it, it's true. <laughs> but um, I'm sitting in my office at the moment, and I do have some glass cabinets behind me. So there's a one cabinet of Greedo. He is currently. I've got him laying flat on the shelf because of the bubble, because of the bottom left. It's a very slight bit of lift in there, and I don't want to make that worse by putting the pressure of the figure on it. So at the moment, he's laying on his back. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I haven't really looked at it since I had it. <laughs> <laughs> the idea the of the hunt, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah, I got tagged in it, and it was kind of like, oh, you've got this opportunity to buy it before it goes on the upmarket. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's just do it. But I'm sure I will love him over time. You can take him on holiday with you. <laughs> Boys, well, we've, we've gone well over an hour there. Some great points. I'm um, halfway through my notes. Not even halfway, actually. It's amazing. Uh, which, is, which is a good sign, you know. It's a good sign when you get people on and you're only halfway through the notes. It's when you run out of notes halfway through <laughs> the hour. I'd, I do normally do a, a rapid fire at the end of the show, but I'm going to ask all three of you to come back for the end of the show because two of you have already done a rapid fire. So I thought we'd do something very slightly different. So if you can all just hang around for the next three hours, <laughs> we'll get you back on there. Talk about a boy saying to the girl, Golly baby, I'm a lucky cuss. Talk about a girl saying to the boy, You and me is lucky to be us. Happy talk, keep talking, happy talk. Talk about things you'd like to do You've gotta have a dream If you don't have a dream How you gonna have a dream come true If you don't talk happy And you never have a dream You will never have a dream come true Talk. Happy talk, keep talking up, happy talk. I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. And I want it now. Okay, on to this month's newest acquisitions and we should have known something was in the water when i was the one that had to do the notes for the uh, <laughs> dna but uh, <laughs> let's not be too hard on jez because he's got um, the clap so on to star wars forum uk where we always start and on page 2218 ed jedi the mr star wars forum himself 
has picked up a Trilogo 70B Rancor Keeper. Now, Ed says that the 70B has eluded him for such a long time, and he, he displayed his uh, the image of his latest pickup alongside his 70C Trilogo Rancor Keeper. Now, Cy, you're a bit of a, a Trilogo expert, uh, amongst many other things. What is the difference between these the 70B and the 70C, and any other 70s that there are? Oh, Trilogo carbacks are so complicated. I still can't get to the bottom of all the different variations, etc., etc., because it's just it's fantastically complicated. And it was at such a period of the time where they were throwing any old carback with any old bubble, even any old figure with any old carback. It seems with the miscards. Appreciate there's slightly more science behind that, but you know what I mean. It was very much a case of anything goes towards the ends. However, what is quite clearly documented by the likes of Joe O'Brien on his excellent Trilogo.info website, and indeed, Stefan Forcott in his Meccano to Trilogo book is the difference in the 70B and the 70C. The 70B carback is the Trilogo carback that has, in the bottom left-hand corner, on the front of the carback, 1983 Lucasfilm Limited copyright information is printed in white on the black background of the carback. The 70C is printed in black on the white, or silver rather, racetrack in the bottom left-hand corner. And that's the difference. And that is because the racetrack on the 70C around the figure itself, so where the figure lies, you've got almost a separate little racetrack lozenge around that. That's slightly extended and nearer the bottom of the card than the rest of the racetrack to its right on the on a tri logo the name lozenge is so it's slightly extended it's slightly lower and because it infringed on the the area where that copyright information was it had to be a different color that's the easy way to spot it there are other differences the 70c card back was a flimsier card back it was made of thinner cards uh, the bubbles are different they're larger and the yellow area on the back where all the figures are detailed is also paler so there are other differences but essentially in a nutshell that's the difference between the b and the c that's quite interesting though actually the the card back numbers and lettering i i haven't really looked into it too much and they're all a bit of a minefield to me but maybe one for the kenner code break them down over the months the the trouble is it's a very very visual thing and yeah I found this with even with something relatively straightforward, such as factory codes to start going through. I mean, when you start listening to, oh, yeah, but the 47 back and the 48 back and the difference is that it just it's got to be visual. It's a visual, visual thing. And even even this, I was trying to think, how how am I going to describe it? And even that whilst talking about it, I thought I've said that wrong. I've said that wrong. It's just so bloody complicated. It it may be possible to break down the 12 and 20 back obviously the number of figures on the card but also the price table and that sort of thing but as soon as you start talking for a long time if anybody's like me and you know super intelligent they'll just switch off they want to wonder well staying on page 2218 uh, a new star wars forum user called xec x-e-c-c-k he's only made five posts so one of his first five posts is on this this post on the latest acquisitions now he's he says, I finally received this Return of the Jedi fet today after much consideration. I have no regrets in getting him. Now, I haven't pulled a trigger on the fet yet. It's now ridiculous. You're looking at a grand for a Return of the Jedi carded one. This one's got um, a couple of creases on it, but 
it's a decent enough example. It's a nice example, and he's he's obviously uh, pulled the trigger on something that's quite valuable. Now, Pete, wasn't ah. so much the item I wanted to talk here, but this member has picked up this card, and I wanted you to make you know price rises since we started the podcast have gone up substantially, and I was quite interested in exactly that kind of percentage of FET, what 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 the price differences are when it comes to a proper FET which Return of the Jedi. Which FET was it? Just out of interest, exactly I, which one it was. Well, it just says Return of the Jedi. There's no picture of the back, so it's a bit difficult to see, unless I can tell by the front of the card. I'm not sure. Is it the uh, the, the picture FET or the, the drawn FET? It's the picture. Picture, okay. Because it's, pro- I mean, it's probably a 77A, which is the... It seems to be the most common one I can find. Now, if you if you've got a Star Wars tracker and, you, and you've got an account, I don't think it, it, everyone knows you can actually download a desktop version, which is really a bit more detailed and a bit more, especially for things like graphs and stuff, and and uh, choosing between different types of car backs and stuff. You get it's a far more powerful tool. But yeah, I mean, if I'm looking at all the all the return to effects in general, uh, the most common one. Uh, with 72 in the last three, so almost four years now, I guess, of data. The most common one is the Return of the 77A, and that's with the, the sort of photograph effect with a blue sky. That seems to be, the highest seems to be 924 pounds, but the average is 444 pounds. Um, but in general, of Return of the Jedi FETs, I mean, four years ago, it seemed that, you know, you'd be, you know, you'd be paying a top dollar if you, if you went anywhere near kind of 600 pounds. But now, <laughs> you can't get anything for less than about three hundred pounds in you know for a variety of conditions. So I mean, I've got a graph here in front of me of you know four years of data, and it's significant that the you can see the rise. You know, at first we had a few at one hundred sixty-five pounds, one hundred like seventy-five pounds and stuff. Thinking, yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. And now you'd just be you'd be hard pressed to get it. You know, wrecked for less than 300 so i think the top price one i can find was 1705 dollars and that was for a 65 uh, back but it had a very 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 clear bubble it wasn't graded it was actually loose so that's not a pretty good going but yeah it seems that that now you're, you're talking like the fet tax you know 500 pound i'd say probably average now just to get a above a felt on a return of jedi card so and you and of course penal condition you can pay, you know, the, the price is definitely creeping up to the £1,000 mark quite easily. But probably not quite there yet for every single one. It's mental, though, isn't it? Because it, is, it really is quite a common figure. <laughs> well, we talked about it, didn't we? Uh, uh, well, many times. You know, especially in the loose figure stuff. That is, is you know, they made loads of them. I mean, they just churn these things out. So it is... You know, it's a bit like the act face thing. People have just got carried away. You know, the, the price has been decided by the community. That's what you've got to pay. And that's how it is. There is, there is no particular sense to it. You know, it's, it's the sexy figure, I guess. Brilliant pickup. Exec. Hey, Luke. May the force be with you. Now, the final one on Star Wars Forum UK that we wanted to look at was on page 2224 where user APAC7229 has picked up you know, nothing particularly special he's picked up an Empire Strikes Back Luke Hoff lovely figure great card back image one of the best card back images in my opinion but the issue with the card is it is covered in soot now boys 
Soot, where has this been stored? Obviously, he's cleaned the bubble already on that because you can see the figure pretty well. But how does it get so so dirty? Is that just loft or is it... I reckon some it's loft. Sorry, um, I was going to say, it's probably his loft where the chimney is. There'll be a crack, crack of the chimney stack going up to the loft. Because someone has a fire damage, but it doesn't look damaged enough for me no. to be fire damaged. So how would you... Well, I know we've, we've talked about leaving things be with labels and things, but this is going to need going to need a clean to make that look something how would you go about cleaning it i know that he said he'd done a bit of googling so i, I did the same myself and there are there are lots of things out there but they are all you know there's nothing that's for litho covered you know products there's a lot about museums with paper and things like that and i think i'm going down the same route as he is now where i would really just use very very mild soapy water and a gentle sponge and just slowly try and wipe it away over time um there's all sorts of these erasers that that are advertised on the internet that allegedly remove the item from the top but i think anything any kind of chemical or any kind of of anything with hard abrasion on it is going to scratch the litho i can't i can't see any way of getting that off unless you use something as soft as a sponge yeah, I think um, a soot particle is going to be, you know, tiny little aggressive <laughs> um, particles. Which I said, if you do wipe it, I would think it was going to tear into the life though. So, I think you're going to have to go find someone who's a bit of an expert on on <laughs> carbon. <laughs> it's not the carbon that's the problem. In that is, it's the um, it's the oils, isn't it? The tar that, yeah, that is a- in soot that makes it so that's what makes it filthy it's not just dust it's it's oh. got chemical it's got uh, oils that would have essentially le- leached into the car back it's you're not going to get it clean when we go into fire damaged places we use sugar soap um, particularly on mm-hmm. our text areas and it is fantastic on fire would, would that work on a on a card like that Litho is pretty tough, you know. I mean, I mean, printed litho. It's is, it is well. I'm assuming that that all cards are kind of varnished at the same time. So I'd imagine it's pretty solid. I, I'm just going to ask someone who deals with. I mean, yeah, there's plenty of companies these days that that, that, that deal with restoration projects. I'll just just give them a quick ring and just say, look, I've got this material on. I, I think it can be removed, but it just needs a bit of expertise, a bit of knowledge. I think it could be done. There was one website that suggested sticky tape. And using sticky, sticky tape to carefully peel it off. Now, now I think that might be quite dangerous because if the litho underneath is starting to come apart, then the sticky tape is going to help it on its way. But what about cling film? You know how we had the discussion on on Star Wars Formula UK a couple of years back about sellers who wrap the Star Wars cards up in cling film, and then when it gets posted, and then you peel the cling film off. If you hold the cling film up, you can see on some of them that the colours are still on the cling film. I think, I, I think rather, I mean, I don't want to poo-poo your idea, Rich, but I think uh, when it comes to old wives kind of tales, I would go to a museum. I mean, when I, when I was uh, rest, uh, restoring one of the, the 1930s Leamington football shirt, and we went to the, I went, put it down to the museum in Leamington, and they actually found us an expert who, you know, deals with this sort of thing. And, you know, she gave me a, a real readout of what we needed to do, how we needed to treat it, make sure it didn't, like, collapse. You know, this is a, 
you know, an eight-year-old shirt, for goodness sake, with, with actual blood on it from the, whichever player last used it. And you could see it. And, you know, and this woman knew her stuff. She knew what to do with it. So I would, I would pop it down to someone like that and just try and get a bit of a bit of feedback because trying this stuff, I mean, you just try something like tape. It could just ruin it straight away. I mean, you need some, because I mean, I mean, museums will be dealing with this sort of thing all the time, you know, houses and you know, artifacts. They'll know exactly what to do. I, I, I would think also the person giving you the advice would probably do it for free because I, you know, give you advice for free because they'd find it interesting. And it's, it's, it's can't be the only time this sort of thing is done, but I, you know, seek expertise. Don't read off the internet. So I, I suggest. Must be art that's cleaned up very regularly with mm. this sort of damage on and, and to be honest with you, if that, if it, I don't know how much is paid for this, it'd be interesting to know exactly, you know, what that kind of piece pays. But failing that, I would recommend Silit Bang and a Scourer. Um, <laughs> with a bit of Demetrius. But it might be, that, that sort of thing might be the recommended thing eventually, because I said it's quite an aggressive material that is, is there, but what's underneath sometimes, I mean, that, like I said, it's, it's got a varnish on it, like all paintings. I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, the last hundred years, all painters did have, you know, I mean, when I used to do my oils and stuff, the last thing you do is, is apply several layers of varnish on top of it. And it's like rock. I mean, it's really hard to penetrate it. So, you know, depending how it's printed, you might be surprised. Yeah, interesting. Which leads me on to the next item over on Tantif on page 34. Um, Poncho posted up something. Now, Chris... He also posted it on Star Wars Forum, and I know he purchased it off the Jabber's auctions. Now, he purchased a bit of a beat-up Helix Ben Kenobi pencil case. When I say beat-up, it has been... It's got ink stains on it, obviously come through because it's been well used, and it's got covered in holes where someone's, I should imagine, a compass or a top tip of a biro, sitting in class, bored out of their minds, just banging it with a compass or something. That's what it looks like to me. But... He has cleaned it up with sugar soap, and he has actually really brought out the colour on Ben Kenobi's cape. Hasn't removed the ink, but it's just cleaned that white bit up, so now the holes even pop a bit more. That uh, You notice the holes on his cloak a bit more um, than before. But this, this is a great purchase. He's bought this for just £5 on a Jabba's auction. Boys, what are your views on that? That's a great pickup, isn't it? Any Star Wars vintage for £5, especially Helix in this day and age brilliant it's a steal i don't care about the condition it's a fiver you know it's a couple of cups of coffee you know it's a fiver <laughs> i love the condition i think the condition makes it you know like like beating up car backs i think uh you know that has been in school that has been owned by someone loved by somebody uh they obviously kept it for some reason even though it was battered but yeah i think it's i think that that uh that wear and tear says more about that piece than anything else that that, that was truly truly loved at school I wonder if the kid had written his name inside because it would be interesting to try and track him down. <laughs> oh, he threw that away. What are you doing with that? I always think of that when someone says, oh, yeah, you should try and track the uh, the owner back. And I said to myself, well, do they want it? They'll probably think you're a nutter if you turned up with their old pencil case on Stuart, the doorstep. You, you gave me, right, about a couple of years ago, uh, a, a Star Wars annual. And in that annual, it was a bit beaten up. There was actually like a real uh, long-written kind of eulogy to, to somebody who was obviously being a bit ill. And I was thinking, oh, I'd try and track him down. But I think he might have died. <laughs> well, if there's a eulogy to him, I think he has. 
No, well, well, yeah, sort of. It wasn't like a. It was definitely ill, but it was like a. You know, oh, you're fantastic. You know, you'll, you'll get better and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it was quite. It's quite a. Uh, um, you know, a unique name. You'd think. You know, it, it'd be in his probably forties. It bound to be on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or something. But yeah, it was completely non-existent. I thought, oh no, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I killed him. I don't know. It's terrible, scary. But yeah, I love that sort of uh, intrigue when it's a, a full name written in something. I wonder if Cy will go down the same. I've got some um, several annuals to give Cy in next week. From oh, no. 2011, <laughs> 2013. Save it for my secret Santa, <laughs> Okay, mate. <laughs> yeah, so a couple of great items there. Chris, love it. I love the fact that it's been well-loved. And I think, I think for that money, I think you've got yourself an absolute gem. Very, very jealous on how I missed that because I would have paid £6. You'd have been outbid. Hello, what have we here? So, we're going to go over to the Facebook groups next. And, Rich, something you pointed out on the Power of the Force uh, Vintage Collectors group from uh, Narian Snake. He posted the Power of the Force Fab 5 are now complete. And I thought, wow, because I don't think I've seen those five together in the same shop before. And he's got a great photograph, which I'm going to put up on our um, social media accounts when we're ready to release the podcast. I mean, obviously, mo- most people say that Anakin is the most difficult of them to get. Purchased an EFA 75 unpunched, and what's even more amazing, a clear bubble to finish his run. So he's wrote on there, with Anakin, my decade-long quest for all 37 Power of the Force mocks, all unpunched with no price stickers, is complete. I, it's amazing. So it's fitting that began with auto d pop lightsaber, in a mostly clear bubble in 2008 and finished with Anakin with a clear outer bubble. Enjoy the pics of Anakin and the rest of the graded Fab Five for now. Pics of the entire unpunched Power of the Force mock run coming in the next few weeks. So big thanks to Zach Tan, Tom Derby, Chris Samplar, Chris Hibbert and Anthony Pastrana for making my personal ultimate mock dream run possible. And I think that's amazing. It's such a great relief to finish a run. But it shows you that... To be a Star Wars collector, you have to be in it for the long run to complete some of these, you know, almost impossible runs like that, such as a Trilogo run. Amazing, so, so well done. Couldn't be more pleased for you. You have learned much, young one. Impressive. Most impressive. So, Sai, over on the Empire Strikes Back Vintage Collecting Group, you've picked out something that Brian Angel posted. Yeah, I... I <laughs> Brian's such a nice bloke. When when this popped up, I thought, right, I've got, got to have a sit-down chat with him. Uh, so I did. Got in touch with Brian to ask him about his incredibly rare 31-back ESB R5-D4 with survival kit offer sticker. And this is what Brian had to say about it. Hi, this is Brian Angel, and I am a Star Wars collector for, oh, about the last 40 years. And I was fortunate enough to be on the Vintage Rebellion episode 34, Brian's Angels, and was proud to make a pin and pass that out at Celebration with the awesome logo that you guys created for me. So it's an honor to be back here again. As many of you who may have heard that episode know, I am an R5-focused 
focused collector among collecting many other Star Wars rarities. And R5 has always been sentimental to me since he came to me in a dream the night my mother got him for me. If you want to hear that whole story, go to episode 34. But today I was asked to discuss a very rare acquisition that I just picked up. And it's an R5 on Empire Strikes Back 31 back with survival kit special offer sticker now this is an extremely rare card back in the star wars world not just for r5 but it's an extremely rare example of really anything star wars here's why the survival kit offer was typically printed on the card back and the burst was updated and it was similar to the secret offer but not the same. This variation is extremely rare because it's a sticker offer and it's not printed on the card back. And the design of it, it looks exactly like the burst on the secret offer. At first glance, if you read the text, you think you're looking at a survival kit card. And if you look at the burst, you just think you're looking at a secret offer card. So in addition to this unique sticker being on the front, the survival kit offer sticker that goes across the bottom of the back, once again, is a sticker and is not printed on. And then um, it doesn't take up as much space on the card back. So it's a little thinner, a little more unique than the, you know, got hundreds of thousands of survival kit card backs that are out there. The card back example of this variation is so rare that it's only been found for three characters total. As far as updates on population of this particular variation, I believe this is what's out there. If you go by information that's on the archive combined with, you know, what's out there on Facebook, I believe there's five or six examples only. There's two Bespin guards that are mint on card. One is in Bill Cable's collection and one, um, and that, that's the one that appears on the archive. So I'm going by information on the archive. I assume it's still in Bill Cable's collection. Ross Barr picked up a Bespin guard during the average sized pick, which was a make fun of name for um, Chris Fawcett's big pick. Also, there are three Snowtrooper examples that are just card backs. They're not mint on cards. Those are all 32 backs. So that's that same variation on the sticker, but the Bespin Guard and the Snowtrooper were found on 32 backs. This R5 that wound up in my collection now is a 31 back, so technically it's the only 31 back variation with this sticker, and it's the only example of R5. It's a mint on card, no, no card back by itself has been found. This card was a Dallas story for me. And uh, it's really cool how I came about it and the timing of it all. So a couple years ago, I visited um, Dallas for a business trip. And because I was there, visited the boys, the DFW, Dallas-Fort Worth crew, which was Matt George, David LaCour, and Boba Pat. During that trip, I was chit-chatting with David LaCour, and he mentioned to me that his friend had a pretty rare R5-D4, and that I should take a look at it. Now, when he flashed me the picture, I'll have to be honest, I was pretty ignorant. And I said, hey, man, that's a survival kit offer, and um, I've got a couple already. 
And he said, no, I think you need to take a closer look at it. Um, and then he kind of mentioned to me what the guy wanted. Frankly, I just didn't pay enough attention. I said, hey, it's a survival kit offer. Can't be that rare. That price is pretty expensive. And uh, you know what? I'm going to pass. I felt pretty good about myself that uh, I was being disciplined and not just throwing money around. And then over the last couple of years, I probably wanted to uh, slap myself many times in just understanding what this rare variation is and understanding that I passed up on something pretty cool. So I actually waited until I had some good trade bait. And then I I messaged David and I said, hey, does your friend still have the R5? I've got a really nice piece of trade bait that I think just about anybody would want. Maybe he would consider trading it to me. So that was a few months ago. And David tried to get a hold of um, Mark Miller, who, complete gentleman collector. Long story short, David finally got in touch with him, and then maybe a week, week and a half ago, I was able to talk to him, and it sounded like he was interested in my trade bait and that we could consummate this deal. What I did not know, and what was so cool, is that he was going like I had planned several months ago to go to the Lone Star State meetup at Steve Boswell's house. Now, any of you who don't know Steve Boswell, just awesome guy, great collector, you know, new on the Facebook scene within the last couple of years, but he's really made a splash and made friends and picked up some really cool hand solo prototype pieces and, you know, some other really cool pieces. But all that aside, just having gone to the meetup at his house, which we dubbed BozCon 2018. That was a Matt George dub. And just after meeting his family and spending time in Boz world, as I call it, my God, what a great guy. What a fun family. What a beautiful home and place for a meetup. And it was just epic. Just absolutely epic. As the stars would have it, as I mentioned, we both wound up at BozCon. We consummated the trade in person. It was so gratifying just to meet Mark. You know, just tying us together, the three of us, David, myself, and Mark, this R5, it's going to have some real nice memories tied to it. And again, I certainly appreciate owning it. And uh, I do appreciate being asked to be on the Vintage Rebellion for all your awesome Star Wars junkie listeners again. Thank you. He is such a ridiculously nice chap, isn't he? And he's so enthusiastic, it's alarming. Right, well, great interview with Brian. Always great to have Brian on the show, so well done for catching up with uh, the little angel. Over onto the Beyond the Toys Facebook group. Now, we've got a couple of items which we want to look at here. Now, first of all, an item that Craig Spivey picked up, some UK Empire bubble bath, but it's more the story behind it. Uh, Rich, you've had a little look at this. Yeah, so it's a foam bath and shampoo set from Consumer Products, which was released in the UK. And I really like this, and Craig clearly loves it as well. One of the things I particularly like is the fact that it's an Empire Strikes Back product, because they're much more scarce than the New Hope or Jedi. And he purchased this product because he wanted to upgrade that the one that he had. I think the upgrade, because I've looked at both the boxes, I think the one that he wanted to upgrade didn't have the price on, and the price tab may have been torn off slightly. Priced at £2.95 which I think is incredibly steeper back then. I mean, do you know the price of shampoo products now, Sai? Oh, sorry, stupid that. So <laughs> I, I thought £2.95 for a foam bubble bath and a shampoo for, two, for you know, two ninety five back then. That, that seems to me incredibly expensive because you can get those gift sets today priced at Christmas, what, £4? £4.50? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, so I just thought it was incredibly steep. So the box has the main characters, you know, your Han, your Luke, your Leia, from the movies. And it's, to me anyway, somebody might be screaming at us now, but you can only tell it's an Empire Strikes Back one because Leia is wearing her Hoth jacket. She's not wearing a white dress from A New Hope. I, th- I think Han's jacket might be different as well. But obviously with Leia wearing a Hoth jacket, it's clear that it is distinguishable from A New Hope. So the body wash has Vader as the main image, and the shampoo has C-3PO, both on two large stickers on the front of them. And inside them, there was a tray, a plastic tray, to keep the products in their correct position. When he purchased it, he looked at it and he thought, you know what, this tray is actually a different colour to the one that he had. So therefore, he's kept both of them as a variant, completely unexpected for him. So I checked on the SWCA, and the SWCA had an image, and theirs had the grey tray version, which is the one that Craig has just purchased, and the one that he originally had was the blue tree version. So you'd asked if anybody out there had any other different kind of variants, and you can imagine there being a red or a white version from the hunt down. There was at least one of the posts, and it was a blue tree variation. A very, very unexpected variant to turn up, and as Craig put on their tongue-in-cheek, it's great collecting products like this because they're one-off to complete the set. Now those who are collecting those products, you've got two to track down. Yeah, it was a great, great story there. Now, we're going to stay on the Beyond the Toys because, Pete, you did find something you quite liked. And when you sent it to me, I can't believe the process went for it. I would have been all over this. You found a Return of the Jedi Jedi coat hat stand. Oh, well, no, it's height stand and hat stand, I would think. It's actually it's, it's a bonkers piece. It's actually bought by, um, he's a guy we always see at Father's Front. Really nice guy, Lee Simon Jacobs. Uh, I always enjoy having a good old long chat with him at the shows and uh this is just a ridiculous thing ridiculous at the price he got it for um ridiculous that that it's just kind of like oh let's just make this kind of thing and add this to it so to describe it there's a blue platform with two feet drawn in white so like i imagine it's quite thick wood then there's like a darth half a darth vader uh going halfway up this kind of pole at the back of the uh, of this base and the picture is of Darth Vader, then there's Luke and Darth having a lightsaber fight. And their, their lightsabers are absolutely enormously long. It's got a Return of Jedi logo on it. Darth is imprinted on yellow kind of uh, wood. And then the, the pole back continues to go up and it's got inch measurements on it. I think it goes up to 48 inches. <laughs> so you can put your feet there, stand, stand there, measure yourself, unless you're like you know, 48 inches. That's about a third of Simon's height. So it, it, it'd have like outgrown this in about... Well, it was about four years old, I'd imagine. And it's got, I th- I'm assuming it has got sort of hat stand bits on it, but it's by a company called American Furniture Co. And they did a number of bits and bobs. They did some stuff that Stuart would love. They did a bunch of Ewoks furniture items. They did a bookcase, rocking chair, easel, picnic table, toy tota. I think they did the uh, toy tota, which you also have, Stuart, I believe. You are someone who collects large items. Um, they did the bookshelf, the desk. I think we've had a couple of those uh, recently featured. They did a number of interesting kind of <laughs> furniture items, but this is it's absolute beauty. It really, it really is an absolute beauty. But the beauty part of the whole thing is the price. It got it off eBay for fifty quid. I mean, that is that is just evil, evil. How good that price is. I'm almost insulted how good that price is but yeah what a find and uh, i'm sure lee will be telling us all about it at the next farthest from because it is just one of the best pickups i've seen for quite some time you hear nothing 
You're braver than I thought. Nice. Come on. Well, we're going to go over to the Trilogo Info Vintage Star Wars Trilogo Group. I don't even know whether that's the right name, but size interfered with the show notes. Asai, you've been looking at something from Scott Kinney. Yeah, Scott's had a bit of a lucky find. He's picked himself up what would be, under regular circumstances, a very nice Luke Jedi Trilogo. It's got a bit of litho damage where a price sticker has been removed, judging by its area and the size. Looks like it's XKB stock. But nonetheless, it's still a very nice one. What makes it even nicer is it's got a blue saber. Now, I knew these were rare. I had no idea how rare. I mean, you're talking nearly Medine rare, it seems here. I chatted to Scott about it and said, you know, how did you come across it? What's the story behind it? And it was blind luck. On, on two counts, really. First off, Scott lives in Arkansas, and a friend of his called him up and said, hey, there's an auction down the road for me in Colorado. It's not online. It's not advertised anywhere. And they've got some Star Wars figures. Thought you might be interested. Scott got on the phone, found out what there was. Luke Jedi, Chai Logo. Yep, I'll have a go at that. So bid, won it, presumably for a very reasonable price because he said it, it it seems to have gone pretty much undetected and, and happily awaited the delivery of the luke when it turned up it turns out wasn't the green saber it was the blue saber so how rare are they on the trilogo info group people are talking about perhaps a handful being known about scott asked me at the end he says you know any idea what this is worth and i said well no not really but I should imagine if it went for auction over here, as opposed to the States, because Trilogos are undisputably more popular over here. I said, I'd expect it to get four figures. That was my best guess. Anyone else like to care to guess? Just, it is a guesstimate, because you will not find pricing information on this. Stu, what would you guesstimate a Blue Sabre Luke Jedi and Trilogo to be worth? Not my field. I'm going to say 250 250 yeah not two pound 50 mate yeah okay rich 400 400 pete can you have a guess no no oh, well, well, I, I, I will go with pound <laughs> fifty. <laughs> wow pete that's that's terrible you're not getting any points for that uh, a few people had commented on the thread and it would seem that $5,000 would be considered a reasonable price for this piece. I'm gobsmacked. I really am. I mean, the uh, nice Luke Jedi now will, on Trilogo, will undoubtedly cost you two fifty, which is remarkable because it's, it's not even that rare. It's just a very popular figure uh, and a very cool figure, in fairness. But you add a blue saber to that. And apparently you're talking up towards the $5,000 mark now. So that really is a rarity. What a lucky find. Uh, just brilliant. Just shows how luck goes. And just interesting that this particular one ended up in KB stores. As you know, I've, I've got a soft spot for Trilogos at KB's. Shame someone decided to remove the sticker. But yeah, great find, great price, great story. Well done, Scott. That is just mental, changing the colour saber in that thing. I know, Likewise. I know, I know, it's bonkers, isn't it? Well, I'm not having it, just, just make a hole in the bubble and put your own in. <laughs> a bit of money, that's ridiculous. Anyone spending five grand on that is absolutely bonkers. 
Right, so our main focus for this month now becomes difficult. I, I kind of find a ship, I don't know how Jez does this, and then and try to find someone that's bought one, which is a much harder way than finding someone who's bought something and then go with that. That doesn't make any sense, but I know what I'm talking about. But I did manage to find someone that had bought a Snowspeeder on the Palatoy group. Now, I know we've spoken about the Snowspeeder before, but... Uh, we mentioned the boxes, but we didn't actually do it as the main focus. We never went into variations. We never went into the toy. We didn't discuss prototypes, pricing, etc. So we're going to return to the ship this month and delve into it properly. So, first of all, let's discuss this as a toy because the Snow Speeder, to me, is a top three for me. I think the ship is amazing because it comes from the greatest scene in Star Wars. Amazing. Well, what are all your thoughts on this? I agree, it's a great ship, it's very underrated. It's not one that seems to set the world alight, but when you sit down and actually look at it and look at the features of it and how pretty screen accurate, I think Ken have done really, really well with this ship. I agree, I love it. I think it's a it's a super little ship. And as you say, it is from the best part of the best film. So what's not to love about it? Really well built, sturdy, and as Rich says relatively screen accurate i also like the way that it in terms of the vehicles it was probably one of the most accurately scaled ones little on the small side but pretty darn close to correct i actually uh, actually won this in a competition when i was a kid i was dying to get it but uh, i'm sure it must have been too expensive or something but i remember winning it and it was like right you won 25 quid to spend in this shop Right, for doing a spot the difference competition, yeah, I went straight for it because it was it is the you know I, I love. I, I would say it's the, my favourite scene. I'd say the Carbonite scene Empire is my favourite whole incident because uh, you know Han Solo and blah blah blah. But it is up there, and it was the only thing was, other than we've already mentioned it in other parts of the show, maybe that it, you couldn't really play with it with the attack because it was too big. But I never did play that with, with the Atta. I just ignored it and just pretend it wasn't there um, and just used it. But, I mean, one of my favourite parts of it was the uh, the fact you could put two pilots in it. And I love that. Just lacking a DAC figure, weren't we? Yeah, who did you use for DAC? Because I, 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 I was always the Black Bespin guard for, for no apparent reason. But he was my DAC. Uh, mine would have been a second Luke X-Wing, back-to-back. No one had two Luke X-Wings. I don't think I had this vehicle, but I probably would have used the B-Wing pilot or something. No one had B-Wing pilot. In, in 1980, you wouldn't have done. No, but I wouldn't have had this in 1980 when I was four. <laughs> what? You were never four in 1980. So you're right, actually, I'm wrong. I was three. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th- I think as a, as a playable toy, it is just amazing. The harpoon's brilliant. I'm going to be honest, I don't think I had it as a kid either. I think I... I got, um, during my secondary school years, I got everyone in my year to bring in their Star Wars toys because it wasn't very fashionable to have it then. And I think I got several at that period of time. Brilliant, that harpoon, brilliant. That harpoon was a pain in the backside because it wasn't, I mean, if you did it with the full-size attack, it wasn't long enough. And if you wanted to wrap it around anything decent, it still wasn't long enough. So what I remember doing is the first thing I did was find the longest piece of string my dad had in his shed undo the original thing i probably gaffer taped it on and uh, then we just went round, flying around the front room wrapping it round grandma or 
or a cat or anything that we could possibly wrap around and try and take it down. I think I even did it on my brother at some stage. I'm sure we do, you know, try to take each other down with a string because that's the kind of guys we were, crazy kids. Is, isn't that Red Bull? Huh? Isn't that Red Bull? No, it's playtime. It is playtime. Don't, don't forget that amazing landing gear. I, I love that. I love anything like that. You just, just a little landing gear in there, you know? Just put your finger in and just land it. Oh, that's beautiful. I can also remember the, the, the batteries are too expensive. So my mum was like, you know, I'd go, you keep messing those batteries up because they were those huge ones, which are always a pain and always used to leak all the time. So I don't batteries, know. wasn't it? Yeah, and, it took, and it didn't take a couple of them as well. Yeah, yeah, it was a couple of batteries. Just horrible because, and there's worse things. So I, I didn't ever really turn it on that much. It was just kind of like, don't waste the batteries. So, because they were expensive. So I just, Played it without the batteries, just left them out there. You played it without the laser lights. Well, yeah, obviously, <laughs> then after several, like, you know, uh, several times of uh, a thousand times of doing it, and mom going, Look, those batteries cost too much money, then I can, I seem to remember having the kind of a discussion of, Look, you can either have a Star Wars figure or loads of batteries for your snow speed. It was like, I think I'll have another Star Wars figure because they were big and bulky and horrible, you know, the, uh, the batteries, but. I know, that's, that, those are the things you had when you didn't have loads of cash, you know? I think when you put it like that, you could have a figure. I kind of get it then. So, Pete, mm. this thing could come into all sorts of parts, couldn't it? Take, yeah. take me through the loose parts that could come off this ship that we could uh, lose. The battery cover was a real pain in the backside. Because after, I probably, I probably, I probably damaged the clip, I'd imagine. Because I remember it falling off, and then you had the two little things at the back, the little engine bits. I also talk about the uh, the <laughs> the block and tackle. We're going to call it. I mean that I can never remember even finding. I think I just had. I've, I've got a feeling, you know, I've used uh, some kind of fishing hook. My dad was into fishing, so I'm sure I lost that like immediately, or it got eaten by the cat or something. Obviously, you got the gun, and of course you had the canopy, which because I was always putting figures in and out of it because it was a great ship for adventure that probably got lost or damaged or destroyed because it had one of those little little bars which come up and down, so it was a pain in the backside. Yeah, I mean, it was, there's, you know, again, getting parts for it now, it's not ridiculously hard. It seems to be the block and tackle thing at the back is the, the hardest thing to get, and you probably pay about 20 quid for that on a good day. But, yeah, I mean, it, it seems that you, if you go on eBay and look, look for parts, you can pretty much find most things. I don't think you'd struggle with the parts. But it was good that it did have a lot of parts because you, because when you obviously uh, you know crashed it, <laughs> which was obviously a thing I would do on many occasions, you could flick all the parts off to look, make, make it look like the attacks are you know, about to uh, about to bring it down. So, uh, but yeah, most parts are under under like a tenner, and you know the battery cover you can get for like a fiver and stuff. So it's not ridiculously hard to get. I'm assuming it was a very popular toy because it it looks like, like we've already said so much like what was actually in the film. It's another one of these toys that when I buy, um, well, back before everything got expensive and everyone didn't s- stop selling their job lots, I used to pick up job lots. There was always a, a batter snow speeder in there, so obviously it was a very popular thing. I've probably got a spare of every single part except the harpoon, I should think, maybe several times over for this ship. But it's um, still, even, even without all the bits, it still is, you know, a playable toy. You know, it's not because of the, the fact that it featured in a, you know, a battle so you know it's uh, you always have it sitting there and if it's not going to bits on a couple of dead pilots flopping out of it and it's uh it's still still got a life that's what i like about it 
So, Pete, you, you were saying about £5 and £10 for the parts for the thing, but what about it loose if I was to buy it complete today? Obviously, we always say it's cheaper to buy these things complete than broken up. Well, it seems there's, there's a lot on here. There's a lot. So in the last four years, poor old Jared has been <laughs> been putting in a lot of uh, lot of data on the uh, the loose one. So it averages out at just under thirty quid for a complete loose snow speeder. I mean, I bought I bought a, an, a reasonably nice box one about a year ago, I think, off Rob Marsh, I believe, for about forty five quid. And it's in its box. It's got its you know its uh, bits. All it all works. All very nice. So it's not expensive. Loose thirty quid. For bog standard ESB, fifty quid. Return of Jedi one again about sixty quid. You can go up to silly prices, obviously for sealed and and mint versions. You know three hundred, four hundred. But yeah, so, I mean this is it's a relatively inexpensive one unless you're collecting like the uh, the sort of slightly more high end ones. But yeah, there's, there's nothing really in the prices to be fair. Nothing to be being scared about. So get out there, buy five of them. I totally agree. And actually, in fairness people always worry about displaying ships we had ian sanderson on last month talking about his display accessories and he does a lovely stand for the snow speeder which really does set it off so buy one of them as well yeah come on people get get with it so before we go over to Cy to discuss boxes and a couple of other bits let's hope he noticed he had something to actually look at this month (laughs) (laughs) um let's just go over to the advert for the snow speeder At Kenner Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back collection, it's new Rebel Armored Snow Speeder. Batteries not included. You got my message! C-3PO and Rebel Soldier action figures each sold separately. We'll get you to safety. The Empire forces! We've got to escape! Snow Speeder has laser guns with sound and light action. Got them! Back to the Rebel base! Rebel Armored Snow Speeder. You have to put it together. Action figures each sold separately. New from Kenner. Right, so Psy... We've all already discussed the boxes probably a couple of years ago now, but can you give us a refresh on how this was packaged? Yeah, there weren't that many variations of it, really. Even in the States, where Kenner produced it, you had the first release, which was the pink background with the Rebel Soldiers, R2 and 3PO in the picture, and that was on the Empire box. Then that changed over to Empire Box, but with a blue background, with Tauntaun, Luke, etc. Slightly different picture. Then they brought out a special offer, which was a, a stickered box, and that came with a free Rebel Soldier. For Kenner Canada, there was only one box variation, which was the pink background first release. That was the ESB box uh, with French logo. There were two special offers, thanks to Scott Bradley, to his excellent website. There was both the Snowspeeder with the free Rebel Soldier in Hoth Battle Gear offer, and then later, the second version, was the Snowspeeder with free Luke Skywalker in X-Wing Pilot Gear, which is very cool indeed. In terms of other international versions, there was the Lily Leddy box, which appeared with the Jedi logo, the later blue version... Uh, Lily Leddy logo bottom right and also had the snow speeder name in the action figure style name lozenge obviously there's the palatoy one which was clearly the best of the whole lot now i've always thought that the snow speeder was a really sturdy well-made box compared to 
vehicles of similar sizes like the TIE Fighter and the X-Wing, which came in that really rubbish, flimsy cardboard. And indeed, the Palatoy one is. It's actually a very thin, corrugated box. Instead of inserts, which the Canadian and the American version have, which is a separate insert, a bit like the X-Wing, Palatoy integrated the inserts at either end. So you have one for the little prongs and the other one for the vented grill at the back. And they're integral to the box itself. And this produced a really strong, sturdy box, which is why most of the Palatoy ones you find are in really good condition. Looking at the US version, not only does it have the separate insert, which is good for the vehicle, the box itself is more like the X-Wing stroke TIE Fighter cardboard. It's single layer card so once again yay go palatoy over here it was available in the pink and the blue on the esb logo and then later when it went by logo it was just on the blue background but to find one sealed that is a challenge it's a lot of snow speeds in here that's that was over it's probably about 800 snow speeders i reckon i don't know actually a bit less than that about 700 snow speeders and uh in data and none a mint in seal box. I think that's quite incredible. Uh, Rich, what did you come up with for prototypes and early designs and things? I'd imagine that the vintage lines will cover a lot of this that I'm going to discuss at the moment. But there is surprisingly quite a lot of imagery out there on the SWCA. So we'll start off with the concept model which is, I don't know if kit-bashed is the right word to use for this, because I don't know enough about the information about these, but obviously it's a, it's a plastic speeder that's been put together from various other toy lines. So there were photographs of those on the SWCA. One is a photo that turned up, I'm guessing, from some kind of Kenner binder, which seemed to be where we get most of these photos, that was turned up by Chris Fawcett so that's on the SWC to look that's uh, an unpainted concept model that was created, which would have been used to give the marketing guys an idea of how the model was going to look like and then we've got a second concept model, which is actually the same one, but it's been painted the shell itself looks very like the final product that was made, but the, the guns were, were different to the ones that were released. And this came from a, a retailer catalogue from an Australian toy toy licensee, Toltoys. So that's great that that pre-production item made its way over, either over to Australia or the photographs were sent over to Australia. So that was brilliant. So I really enjoyed looking at those. Moving on then, we've got something that I think is absolutely amazing and I've not seen this before. This is from the 1985-86 cancel line or the, the line extension that was cancelled and this comes from a presentation binder and it's the Rebel Armored Sand Speeder. This is the snow speeder but it's coloured orange and it has General Maydean standing next to it just to emphasise the fact that it's a Rebel, Rebel Sand Speeder and the bottom in the text, it's got another kit bash. Presumably this vehicle was intended to be the Tatooine equivalent to the snow speed, as we see on Hoth. And I think that's great. What, what do you think of that as a colour? I, I do really like it. I think it's pretty cool because you hear them in Empire refer to the converting the speeders. So clearly mm -hmm. they had been designed to operate in a different environment. So it's nice that there's some sort of throwback, some reference back to the to the earlier toys slightly unoriginal doing it that color and the land speed was that but obviously on a dusty desert in environment that's i guess that's your camouflage isn't it yeah, but yeah very cool yeah and the last thing that i found 
was something that's called the Snow Rider toy. And there are lots of conceptual images for this. This is, or what it looks like to be, is a plastic toy. It looks quite similar to the the smoby things that we have nowadays. It's a chair that a child would sit, sit on. Not quite sure if it's got a rocker kind of feature, perhaps it does. And it has a display in front of the child with handlebars and then a light would shine onto a wall depicting images of TIE fighters and various other things. And I think this is absolutely fantastic. I haven't seen this before either. So there's quite a few photographs and paintings of this at different stages. So it starts off as being a blue item with SCC-42 stenciled on the side. And nobody's quite sure what SCC stands for. Perhaps that's not even Star Wars related at the time. But by the time it goes through the iterations, the next images of it is being white. And then when it's on the third iteration, you can see quite clearly that it is a snow speeder because it's been adapted to have the grill at the back. It's got the guns on the left and the right-hand side of it and it's taken away the display. And it's shining in another TIE fighter on the wall. I'm not 100% certain how this was going to work, but it's absolutely brilliant to see. And then there's some photographs of some very, very rough mock-ups that, that almost looks like a rocking horse. And this is a composer styrene. And that, that clearly, you can see, is, is heading towards the snow speeder stages as well. And then the final stage, perhaps, I'm not quite sure if it's replaced the projector image, but it has a screen at the front, so I'm not sure if the screen itself was the display or there was just a dummy terminal and it was still designed to shine out on the wall. I think, looking at this, this possibly may have been quite a pricey kind of thing and I can understand why it was never produced certainly something that I would never have been able to afford. Guys, have you seen that before? What do you think of that? I've seen that before. I've seen the, the concept art for it, and I thought at the time, <laughs> how much would that have cost? Mm-hmm. It must have been absolutely phenomenally expensive price point, possibly one of the reasons why it never made it any further. But, yeah, what a what a cool item. I would love to have one now as a collector, you know, and perhaps put it next to a Huffy speeder bike or something, but... Uh, now, it was not something that I don't think anybody in the UK would have been able to afford one of those. Let's go to the vintage Reliance now, because, like as always, they are going to give us the information we really, really want. Hi, this is Bob Steffi, guest contributor for the Vintage Alliance, and I've been asked to talk about collecting vintage snowspeeders and to give a brief audio tour of my snowspeeder collection. Uh, for some background, I was a kid in the original trilogy era, and I still have my childhood snowspeeder, which I remember spending most of my birthday money on and the first time I saw it in the store. It seemed fairly pricey at the time, when I was 10 or 11 years old. Uh, I've been collecting Star Wars toys as an adult since the early 90s, and I started amassing what's turned into a decent amount of snowspeeder stuff around 10 years after that. I sort of stumbled into collecting snowspeeder things. Um, as has happened many times during my years of collecting, one interesting purchase will send me down a rabbit hole chasing after other related things. Uh, with the Snowspeeder, that first thing was a vintage photo sample that I bought from Cloud City Collectibles in 2002. Um, it was used for packaging or advertising photography. It's a first shot, so it's very similar to the production toy, but it doesn't have any copyright or country of origin information on it, and it also has um, hand-printed stickers. The stickers were screen printed, so there's more texture to them than the normal stickers, and some of them are different shapes than on the production ones, um, but they do match what's in the early catalogs and the photography on the original Kenner box. Um, its seats also have some wax on it, some traces of wax on it that was used to hold figures in place during photography. I'd always liked the snowspeeder, but I didn't deliberately set out to focus on it. 
But that photo sample, which I bought just because it was interesting to me for being a photo sample, kind of led me to look for other pre-production things to go with it, which resulted in me picking up, um, among other things, um, proofs for two different Kenner Snowspeeder boxes, the early Empire one with the pink background and the later Empire one with the blue background, um, some photographs, transparencies, and slides of assorted mock-ups and prototypes and dioramas used for uh, internal Kenner purposes or to show the vehicle on the packaging. And uh, not too long after I started looking for Snowspeeder toys, I branched out um, from away from just doing the three and three quarter scale into the Kenner Micro Collection and diecast Snowspeeders too. There's quite a bit of pre-production stuff out there for those, so I've managed to find um, proofs for the micro box and the diecast card back, as well as first shots for both of them. Um, with the micro first shots, there are at least a couple of different varieties. The one I have, in addition to missing the copyright info, is um, it also doesn't have the tab and the slot that hold the right cannon in place when the snowspeeder isn't in its sort of crash derangement. You know how all the micro vehicles have a crash feature? Well, the original snowspeeder design didn't do such a great job of not always looking crashed, so someone somewhere along the way they decided to update the toy to keep the non-crashed gun from sticking out all cockeyed. Um, so some of the diecast first shots have been used to test durability and safety, so they've got uh, kind of a deliberate crosshatch scratches for testing the paint or have had the harpoon gun de deliberately snapped off. Um, I've also got a few quality control samples um, for the three and three-quarter scale pink box, uh, the diecast, and a vintage model kit. And those are basically production items that someone used to approve what the factories are churning out. Um, with the sign-offs on, on uh, stickers attached to the boxes or for the die-cast one that I have um, written directly on the card back. Um, as with the micro-collection, as with any of the micro-collection, you know, ships or place sets, there are a lot of pre-production things related to the figures that came with the Snowspeeder. Um, the figures were sculpted at four times the size of the production figure and quite a bit what was made for the pilot and gunner survived, though most of the four up-related things are owned by someone else. Um, of the four ups, I just have uh, um, an unpainted gunner, which is cast in Dynacast, uh, it's kind of a dark green resin. Uh, I've also got a um, production size squeezing of the gunner, which is a kind of production sized figure cast in resin. Um, uh, unpainted figures, uh, let's see, the figures painted in black and white and gray instead of the, the standard colors the, with the orange jumpsuits and everything. Um, and those are probably used to, to test paint masks maybe, and uh, one pilot figure that's kind of a shiny golden color, and I don't really know what the intent of that one was. For the die-cast nosebeater, uh, the original wax sculpt of the pilot is still around, although owned by someone else, um, but I do have a hard copy of the pilot, and there's at least one other hard copy of the die-cast pilot out there, too. Um, since the snowspeeder is one of the main trilogy vehicles and keeps getting remade in the modern era, there are a million modern versions, too, if that's your kind of thing. Um, one modern item that's kind of a vintage crossover, though, is from the mid-90s when Hasbro first started making Kenner-branded Star Wars toys again. Um, some of the first vehicles that Hasbro made in the 90s were really just slightly modified rehashes of the Kenner toys from the 70s and 80s. Um, for most, if not all, those um, first Hasbro vehicles, there are versions of them out there that were molded in a, a milky white plastic. Those were either to test the old molds before the designs were changed slightly for the new production toys or for some other internal purpose. I've mostly seen them referred to as mold tests, though. And I've had a couple of the Snowspeeder ones and seen them for um, other vehicles as well. Um, so if you see someone selling a first shot of a vintage vehicle but is molded in milky white plastic and has copyright info from the 70s or 80s, it's just one of those mid-90s examples, not actually a vintage prototype, 
but it is interesting in itself. Um, if pre-production isn't your thing, there's still quite a bit out there to collect for the Vintage Snowspeeder. I haven't actually delved too heavily into trying to track down packaging variations for the production toys and by no means an expert on them. Um, I do know, though, that there are um, variations for the U.S. market, mainly the pink versus blue Empire boxes, a uh, Jedi box, and a special offer version. And there were versions sold in Canada, also with at least one special offer, I think. Um, several others for the U.K. and the rest of Europe, and one for Mexico. All, all that for the uh, three and three-quarter scale. And there are also some variations um, and some foreign to the U.S. versions of the packaging for the micro and die-cast um, snowspeeders also. Um, you can find several ver variations in the mold of the vehicle itself, at least for the three and three-quarter scale. Hmm. All that to say, there's a lot to collect and a lot of different uh, directions a snowspeeder collection can go. Uh, thank you for letting me ramble about one of my favorite vehicles from the trilogy, and I hope that at least some of that was interesting for you. There you go, guys. They've done it again and put us to shame. Guys, I've got some film. I went through the uh, J.W. Rinsler book. So I have a quick look at any interesting that uh, popped up, a couple of little things, if you're interested. And it, and it does relate to the design of the Snowspeeder. They did try and make little miniature versions for the film that flew, but can you guess why they failed to do it? Anyone have a guess? To do the design of the actual Snowspeeder. Tipped over. No? Anyone else? Come on. How about think about the, the shape? What's, what's, what would not make it particularly flyable? No wings! It's Lack a delta of... wing. It's a delta wing. It is a wing. It's not. It's not enough to get it. Get a little little uh, prototype version in the air. So they went. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll knock that one thing ahead, and we'll do it with uh, <laughs> with models hanging from wires and stuff. Um, also, now do you remember, Sai? You were interested in this when um, talking about the Land Speeder a while ago. Um, a certain company um, actually had their ore in that and designed it and made it. Actually, produced the actual version. The same guys who did the oh, what's it called? Oh. The Reliant Scimitar? The, the, yes, the Reliant Scimitar GRP bodied, which they, the same companies did the Reliant Robin. Reliant, strangely enough. And, and the Chopper Bicycle for Rally. No. But, uh, yeah, the, uh, the company is called Ogle Design, and they're still going today. They're actually still going. They do mention the Land Speeder on, on their Wikipedia page, but they, what they don't do is, is mention the uh, Snow Speeder because it seems like the production crew were having a right pain. They had too much stuff to make. So went, look, you did the land speeder for us. Do you fancy doing this? And they said, oh, yeah, okay, we'll do that as well. So they did the, uh, they did two of the most iconic sort of portable ships in in Star Wars. So fair play to them. Cool info. Well, lads, some great information as always, and another great ship, one of my favourites. Does this does this all sit somewhere comfortable with you, lot? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is it is it quite high in your? Yeah, I, I mean, considering Ken I made so many amazing ships. It's it's often difficult to put the middle order in some kind of order, but this is always going to be the top of the middle order, I think. Top of the middle order. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's controversial. Well, I, I would say the Imperial Shuttle, the TIE Fighter, the Millennium Falcon, and probably the X-Wing are all above it. Ooh. And the Attack? No, no. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say... <gasps> No, put it in there. Oh, the reason God. why is because yeah, that's not a ship; it's a vehicle. So I would put it at the top of the vehicle collection. I wouldn't. I, I don't put the two together. Who ordered the pedant? Come on! Uh, come on! Come on! They're all Star Wars things. Well, well. I, so are the figures. I, I put them all in there, apart from the Rebel Troop Transport at the bottom. That, that'll be it. 
They're all cracking ships. I think it's because it was, you know, I mean, like, yes, the Millennium Falcon and the Attack were absolutely amazing because they were so wonderfully big. But for the like the little easy ships, you can have a load of good battles with. You know, that, that for me, the snow is in there. Yeah, it's in there. Great, it's yeah, easy yeah. to play with. Yeah, great. You know, fit in your little hands. It had noises, lights, and a string you could tie around your cat. It's amazing. I mean, it's better than the Slave One. Oh, definitely. Better than the Y Wing, which, you know, it's the next ship. It's better than the B Wing. Um, Ooh. I don't know. Yeah, I do. He's getting that and see It's better than the Cloud Corp. Yeah. No. How dare, how dare you? <laughs> Nobody can defend the cloud car. Cloud Jez car is a wonderful yeah. looking thing. <laughs> He'd defend the rebel transporter. Sadly, sadly, lacked any features. Any sadly. features or playability whatsoever. You can imagine Jez going, oh, yes, I wanted the Commodore 64, but I, I got the cloud car instead. <laughs> and, and although my friends were playing on their Commodore 64, I would bring along my cloud car and I would be able to join in the phone and pretend it was a joystick. You know, you can just imagine all the clap oh, They locked me in the understairs cupboards. Yeah. <laughs> my cloud car. He, he's like a shit version of Harry Potter, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely a Other snow speeder items are out there for us to buy. Now, normally I kind of try and find something a bit shippy or close to it or playsetty, but I've gone a, a different route. I've gone for bonkers items. Now, my first choice, I've got three choices. This is in reverse order. Now, I have one of these, but I don't have this particular one. Um, we all love the um, Lee Ward's Suncatcher set. Now, they did one with one snow speeder on it, but they also did one with two snow speeders on it. So you could, uh, you know, collect both those. And of course, they are quite hard to get. Um, if, you don't, if you haven't seen these, they're on a big card back. They're a little bit of metal, sort of a metal outline of a snow speeder. And they have some crystals at the bottom. And you can bake these crystals and they form a lovely little sun catchery thing you can hang off your porch because we have loads of sun in Britain. Um, these are awesome items. They very rarely come out, as I said. If you can find them, just buy them. There was a little flurry of them last year. but uh, And they did other things like Yoda, and um, I've got many of Falcon 1, and, and, and all sorts. Beautiful items. Absolutely beautiful. My second item, which I think, guys, you are going to absolutely adore this, is um, a Darth Vader and Boba Fett hand towel. And to complement these two wonderful Empire Strikes Back characters, um, in the corner of this hand towel is 
a bunch of snow speeders. I'm just going to show the guys here because, you know, it's an interesting kind of um, an interesting choice of display, really. The fact that they've they've gone right, yeah, you know, Darth Vader, Boba Fett, pretty much the buddy movie story of Empire Strikes Back. And uh, they will just, we won't shove them in a Falcon or a Star Destroyer. We'll put in, we'll put a snow speeder in the corner. Uh, it's a lovely little hand towel. Um, I would love to get one one day. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Mm. What other Star Wars item can you say has tassels on it? And that leads me very nicely onto my premier item of this month, which is snow speeder blue and red boys socks. Now, guys, who would have thought when you were a kid you could have had a pair of beautiful socks with a snow speeder on them. Now, Simon, you were obviously too tall for socks. So, uh, I mean, is this something you would now pick up? They are absolute corkers. I'm still blown away by that hand towel with the tassels on it, Pete. That's that's the best thing I've seen forever. I love that sort of 70s, 80s style, the big blue Yankee sports socks. They're cool. The, um, the snow speeder on the socks is... It's a rather underwhelming picture on the socks. If I was a kid, I'd be... It's like the back end of the snowspeeder. It's it's running away, isn't it? It's a snowspeeder in retreat. I mean, it's not the most inspiring photo they could have chosen. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as we know from Daz's um, Father's From gift, a tr- to print on a sock is quite difficult. Um, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, to get anything on a sock is, is a miracle. And they've gone for a kind of a photo picture, so... Of a snowspeeder. I mean, that must not have got lasted very well in the wash when you're out there playing football or whatever. But uh, I've got to say, those socks. Something about those socks. But um, hand towel with tassels is something I, you know, I'm going to look out for. I mean, that would look great on the wall, especially with tassels on it. So that leads me to what else can we find, Sai? Well, there's a couple. It appears in a couple of different model kits. You've got the more traditional, very British model kit by Airfix, which in the Empire Strikes Back box, with the artwork on the front and the Airfix logo, is absolutely brilliant. I'd love a post of that. So they did just the snowspeeder in an Airfix kit. Then you've got the the slightly, I don't know, is it is it better class? I don't know, it's a bit of an odd one. The Sakuda Japanese version, which was a whole battle scene. So you got yourself an at-at and a snowspeeder but the thing is you didn't even need to build the snowspeeder it was just a little lump of metal it's a very nice lump of metal but it is just a lump of metal but again the the artwork on the front of the box was fantastic love that so you've got two arty things there and then you've got possibly i've got to say it's probably the no it's the second dallas isn't it it's not the dallas the the cloud cars the dallas die cast the second dallas die cast i'm sorry oh, there you go it's true Get over it. The little snowspeeder. Much unloved. Available widely for about four quid on eBay in play-worn condition. It's a, it's quite a good model, but it's just a bit meh. It looks better on the card, doesn't it? Space. It does it's on look the better on the card, you're right. Off the card, you can look at it and go... Mm. Although, having said that, I reckon if you get a few die-cast snowspeeders, they're actually Ooh, probably the about the same... Yeah, the scale as, as the, the the normal figure at at. So I reckon that's uh, that's probably a better place to go for your uh, your play value, all you guys out there, when the snow comes, get your die-cast snowspeeders out there and your at and it look almost like the film itself being filmed in your back garden. Rich, what have you got for me in the snowspeeder world? Well, obviously, um, the radon toy that we discussed in the NES section is something I think is absolutely amazing. 
The second thing that I think is absolutely fantastic is the Sigma toothbrush holder. I think I haven't actually seen it before, and it, it's a it's a great little item. Yeah, Stu, you must have it, have you? I did. I bought it off Mark Cockley. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, great item. I agree, Rich. Great item. And the last one is, and I think these these are loved, but not as well publicised. I think as as they should be is the Dixie Cup. The Snowspeeder Dixie Cup is absolutely fantastic. You always get some funky artwork on those Dixie Cups. The, the Snowspeeder one is just brilliant. It, it, like all of them, they're absolutely fantastic. I don't know if I've got it, actually. I've got about 15 Dixie Cups, and I don't know if I've got the Snowspeeder one. But, uh, yeah, it's awesome. But the, 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 there are so many things for the Snowspeeder. Um, it's it's quite a widely used toy, surprising. I mean, obviously, it's not to the Falcon level, but it's, it's surprisingly well used on a lot of different items um, for the Empire range. Quick question, and uh, you may or may not know this, I, I don't. Stuart, do you reckon that, um, was any snow speeder items on a Return of the Jedi kind of frontage at all? Did it just come out for Empire? Or did it did it ever make it? Did Hoth scenes ever make it onto Return of the Jedi? Apart from the toys, obviously. Um, good it, question. It, and mm. if you put it in the show notes, I could have actually looked it up. <laughs> the snow speeder pops up so many times on so much stuff yeah it was such a great little ship though wasn't it i mean it was small portable ease to play lots of play value um when, when they released it on the the non-line as we've already discussed so i mean you can see why it's popular there was many 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 things it's it's funny you've brought up that hand towel pete because your hand towel is uh, vertical we've got this great big image of vader holding um i think that's a lightsaber he's got above his head there yeah uh, well, I'm hoping it is. Otherwise, yeah. I don't know what it with, is. With Fett coming off of him, and then you've got this snow speeder picture top left. It just so happens, I didn't come across that. But what I did come across was a beach towel. This <laughs> um, is made by Bath and Drafers, which I just think is the same people as these people here. But this one is vertical. But it has exactly the same picture of Vader and Fett to the left of the towel. The Empire Strikes logo there. And the snow speeders are underneath the logo as they are there but on the beach towel you've got a bit a little bit more yoda is underneath the snow speeders 3po and r2 to the right and obviously made by the same people 1979 design so uh, yeah there is there is a pair there is a beach towel to go with it so pete i so, believe I believe that that company actually did make i mean um i've, I've got it down as bib so i'm assuming it's the same company um they actually did a, a big range of stuff from pillowcases to all sorts they they did See, I've got this down as Bath and Dreyfus, which was American. Oh, no, from the sole U.S. manufacturer. Many of the towels and washcloths from the sole U.S. manufacturer, Bib Co. So, yeah, they are American. Like I said, I only wanted to pick out a couple of things. I did find also the the Dip Dops paint sets. Mm-hmm. Um, the Snow Speeder on that. They've got an Empire Strikes Back one. What I love about the Dip Dops pictures is that so they've got like a, a black border with a bit of... Uh, Star Wars imagery, so the snow speed is actually in in the frame at the bottom, but then obviously the, the colouring picture is a couple of attats, snowy scene in the background with one prominent uh, snow speeder at the front attacking them. That is a, a beautiful item, I think. Who were the dip dots made by? I think they were Kenner, weren't they? Off yeah. the top of my head, there it's one of the yeah, it was the Craft Master part of their firm, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. So yeah, that that is a great item. Uh, Pete, you just mentioned about did it pop up on Return of the Jedi. Indeed. Um, 
I wasn't going to bring this up, but I have to actually because also it's English. So the Burton's gold medal biscuits. Does anyone remember the, the Burton's biscuits? Mm-hmm. Uh, they were Return of the Jedi, so they were a pack of biscuits. They're a bit like um, like a nice biscuit is now, but they all had a Star Wars image on them, and the Star Wars images on them are all kind of Return of the Jedi scenes. They got Jabba. Uh, Slave Leia, so something for your collection, Pete. Speeder bike, Gamorian Guard is in there. But I do also have one of a snow speeder, of an Atat. That is on the Return of the Jedi packaging. So there you go, Burton's Biscuits, Pete. Burton's, well, I've got Slave Leia on it. I'm interested. Yeah, find yourself an old mouldy biscuit. You can oh, eat it. What I say, yeah. Great thing to have. Love an old mouldy biscuit. It's like uh, spending time with Simon. I've got a packet of them. Have you? Yeah. Bought them back with Stu. Done those dates. Oh, of course you have. Yeah, yeah. I've got some cookies coming. Yeah, you're right, Rich. <laughs> good point. Good point. The other, the only other thing I would like to bring up to this mm-hmm. is because is uh, in Spain uh, with the Yoplait yogurt mail-ins, you could get uh, posters with stickers. I don't know if you ever seen these. There was four of them. So you got a great big poster image, and then. Parts of the poster are missing, obviously, where you'd then stick the stickers. And the Empire one has got in the top left corner um, a Snowspeeder, an Atat, and a Probot stickers missing. But the main image on it is Luke on a Tonton, and then you've got all these little images of uh, Empire Strikes Back missing. I've never never seen these before, but um, four images, absolutely stunning. I don't know about I should think they're pretty rare. But definitely would love to get in on that. Made by the same people from the UK, I believe. Bridge Farm Dairies. So, yeah, good fun there. So, um, Stuff, guys. Great stuff. Yeah. What I would say is, if you're starting up a focus, we've already heard about how many different types of boxes and stuff there are. There's so much oddball stuff. I would say that's quite a lovely little uh, side focus if you want a vehicle to go alongside a figure focus. Snow speed, it's got to be right up there. And now the top five price snowspeeder ships on StarWarsTracker.com. Number five. Whatever you do, never get into a snowspeeder with a Skywalker. I never pay this much for a working complete loose snowspeeder like this guy did in 2017 for a whopping £118. I'm sorry, Mrs. Raltar, but your son's body is currently squashed flat because his co-pilot, Mr. Skywalker, yes, son of Darth, couldn't be bothered to pull him free from the snowspeeder he crashed. It's a power to return the Jedi complete, but open box for £280. Number three, anyone ever question why a snowspeeder had a tow cable on the back? It's to pull along broken down snowspeeders because they were so rubbish in the cold. It's a complete in-box open Kenner ESB for £298. At number two, indeed, Mr. Biggs. Luke was great flying around sandy canyons, but put him in a flying box around ice and he lands him underneath at our feet and cluts. It's a lovely pink Kenner ESB-C for £434. But at number one, ever wonder why Luke was so disliked by Tusken Raiders? It's because he would tie Bantha's shoelace together and make them fall over. And that's where he got the idea for the Hothbell. It's a complete but open to Kenner ESBB pink background with Rebel Soldier special offer for £1,184. See you guys next time on the StarWarsTracker.com Top 5. We value your game crack. 
show it to me. Let's get on to the serious matter of Gimcrack. Can anyone beat Rich? Rich is on fire. So we'll come to him last, because now I have actually seen Simon's, and it is good. It is good. But <laughs> That's condescending, isn't it? <laughs> it is good. So, you, so he's bought them this week, right? Okay. <laughs> Please show us your Gimcrack. This is the best Star Wars collectible Slightly gimcracky thing that I've seen. Have you missed the last three episodes, I got You are. <laughs> Have a look at that. That's See, I I think that's really beauty. good. Yeah, that's not bad. Isn't it brilliant? Look at the look at mm-hmm. the detail on the kit. You've basically got a more detailed X-wing than the X-wing toy. Describe it, Simon. Describe. Right. It. What I'm talking about here is what is described. If anybody wants to look it up on eBay. It is described as, or titled, and it's sold already, so no danger there. Go and have a look at it. This sold for a bargain price as well. Vintage 1977 Estes, E-S-T-E-S, Star Wars X-Wing Fighter Flying Model Rocket. Estes are still about today. They make these hobby rockets, if you like, of various things. (laughs) Even better than the X-Wing, they've done an R2-D2. You can fire R2-D2 up into the sky. But anyway, going back to this one. What this is was from, what was it, about 78, something like 78, 79. It's gorgeous box art. It's the X-Wing. As I say, it's it's as good as the Kenner production toy that they made. But this one fires over 300 feet into the air. I guess it comes down on some kind of parachute there is a bit of a shoot there but you've got the body you've got the stickers you've got the wings you've got solid fuel fuel booster rockets it's absolutely fantastic it's a beautiful toy it's beautiful box and this was 86 dollars you're not going to find another one for 86 dollars i tell you i went looking for these afterwards and you're looking at easily 100 pound plus for one in this sort of condition unused Describe the box. Uh, the box is... I don't know what sort of format it is. It's a landscape box. I guess it's almost a bit like a fireworks box, isn't it? What you expect fireworks to turn up in. It's a landscape box. I don't know how big it is. I, I'm going to guesstimate it's about 15, 16 inches long, about 6 inches wide. Star Wars, great logo, emblazoned across the box, and this very dynamic, very cool X-Wing fighter bursting out from the front of the box being chased by a TIE fighter and then you've got a bit of a, a, a sort of homage to the Hildebrandt image on the top right of the box Vader, Leia, Luke Colton's lightsaber up R2 and 3PO and then at the bottom left a little photo of some I guess it's a couple of little lads about to launch this X-Wing into space and it just looks brilliant I this is I'm totally against making up models and all the rest of it that have been done, but I really want to find a partially built one of these because I need, I need to fire this. If you could read, you would read the box, and it says over 16-inch wingspan and nearly 22 inches long. Boom. What? Boom. Exact size used by the Star Wars special effects team. It says it on the box art, even though it's wonderful, is... The very, very odd Darth Vader's eyes. They've got the, the reflections all wrong, but never mind. It's all over. <laughs> it is all over the place, isn't it? It's like, He's having a bad eye day. I just think it's one of the most beautiful boxes I think I've ever seen. 
in Star Wars. It's just staggering. That was nothing, though. When you buy this, you crazy loon. Because it had already ended, Pete. I weeped into my cornflakes when I saw it. It is unbelievable. Just as an item, as a Star Wars item, that is... Oh. Beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. this is a great item. It looks stunning. It's a great crack. item. Mm. You need to believe in yourself but a little bit more. Crack. Yeah. It's not officially gimcrack, is it? So uh, there we well, go. it is. I would say it is. Yeah, yeah it is. But it's not like a, a a big line of anything. All it's right. Like so, what other item Odyssey. that has been licensed and produced and sold in shops has won the gimcrack award? Ah, uh, I'm, I'm 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 in charge of this. I'll say what's uh-huh. gimcrack. Exactly. I like it. There you go. It's a it's a wonderful thing. And if anybody would like to buy yes. me one, I shall allow it. Oh my goodness! I mean, that is something I would I would buy. I mean, sixty quid. It's insane. Not going to get one for that price, honestly. They they are a hundred, hundred and thirty quid minimum. If you want to use a buy it now, you're talking hundred and fifty, hundred and sixty. Sixty quid. I love the image bottom left. That's definitely a father and son doing that together. They did another one in the range. Well, they did a few later on, and they re-released, or they did other models, including R2, in the 90s. So there's a whole range for the 90s. But from this era, the only other one that I could find, I think it was a Proton Missile, which is all emblazoned up Star Wars, but the thing is just a black rocket that says Proton Missile or Proton Torpedo on it. It's in no way Star Warsy, other than the logo on the box. But this is just... And also, you had to have skill level two to use it. You did. This is where you didn't have one in sight. You're struggling to get skill level I, one on you. You know what? <laughs> when I do, when I do get one, and I will get a parachute, and I'm going to fight. You are going to be the test pilot, mate, and I'm not going to attach the parachute. <laughs> so I'll there look. you go. I've, I've defended your item, saying it's brilliant, and then you bully, bully, a bully, bully, bully. That's all I hear from you. <laughs> right, so, right. Let's move on. Well, let's go I, with you, Stu. Yeah, because I don't think I'll beat what Sars just put up, to be honest with you. I had three to choose from this month, and um, I'm keeping the other two back. So I'm going to take you back to 1980. Mm. Yeah, Lego, Playmobil, Star Wars. And in amongst that little lot, there was was a a thing come out called Airgam. Airgam Space Adventurer. Now, for a Greedo Focus Collector... This is ideal. Okay, so let me just put it. So at the moment, this is still for sale, but it won't be by the end of the week. The Space Adventurer looks nothing like the Space Adventurer that's on the box, but the figure has a kind of like an original Playmobil body, um, but with basically Greedo's head in grey with red eyes and then a sticker going across his chest with a couple of missiles coming out. Space Adventurer. Um, if that's not a rip-off of Greedo... You're never going to see one, are you? I can't even tell you how I came across this thing. I think I was looking at something else, and it was in their other items. What is the character on the uh, box going to be? I don't know. It's a Kraken, isn't it? <laughs> I, I do recognise that. I do recognise the face on the on that first one. Yeah, he reminds yeah. me of Legion from uh, Red Dwarf. Yeah, it's a perhaps that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. And if if you click on the second photo on it, it comes with a box of accessories. <laughs> a bag of accessories so in there if you look closely there's just lots of bits of plastic obviously to make him the space yeah. adventurer he truly is so as a Greedo Focus collector I think it is something that will fit in my collection I, I would dispute that that's actually Star Wars Gimcrack myself 
what you came up with a Nazi robot, which was actually <laughs> like, to So you want to sit yourself down? At <laughs> Stu, I, I, I do like it. I do like it. It it's, is good, yeah. It, it is. is it's awfully good. Awfully, awfully, yeah. awfully yeah. good. I love his boots. I think the Funny boots sweet, yeah. are very flammable, isn't it? It's got those clipped together like um, those things used to clip around his um, around his wrists. If you look at his wrists, you know the little bits that used to come on their own, the little tiny bits of plastic used to push on to make it look like they got yeah. cuffs. But um, he does look a bit like a hash of old other toys. So. It, it, it definitely is. Definitely is. Doesn't say doesn't say Star Wars in my head, but but the Greedo things are very Greedo. Yeah, I think it, it slips in in the back door there, Stu. Definitely slips in through the back door. Right, like it. I'd be interested to see your, your other entries that never made it. But that I do like. But let's see what Richard has. Richard, come forth. Right, okay, so this posted on uh, the Star Wars Phenomenon in Great Britain book. That's all just what we're talking about with Craig Stevens. So it was a it's a look in magazine from March nineteen seventy eight, and I just could not stop laughing at the picture in the front. For those who, I mean, obviously we'll put the photograph up there, but it's a picture of Darth Vader with his head that's clearly been. Moved, I still I can't I can't look at it with laughing. His head's been moved so far to his left that there's no way on earth his neck could be in one position and one one place at the moment. Underneath that, you've got a pretty good Han Solo and Princess Leia. Um, they they actually don't look too bad. You've got the stormtrooper who's standing there. He just looks like Jez, uh, who, who's just standing what? there. With... That's exactly what I was just thinking. Yeah, he's just, standing like Jez when he had a photo. Just, exactly. <laughs> so you've got the stormtrooper standing there like Jez. You've got a, a, a Star Destroyer that's so far out of proportion. And I can't even tell if it's been finished because it merges into Vader and obviously the background as well, the yellow background seems to have taken something away from it. Underneath the Star Destroyer is a, is, it's a ship, but what is it? It looks like it's just fallen out. It's like, oh, <laughs> it's just, oh we've lost yeah. it. The eyes. The Darth's eyes. Well, I was going to come to the eyes. Yeah, the eyes. Definitely as if his neck's just been broken. And he's like, <gasps> bloody hell, what's happening there? And then there's like a green thing behind Vader as well, which I'm looking at that thinking, what what could that on earth possibly be? So it's I was just, thing. I was laughing and laughing and laughing at that cover. And I thought it was brilliant. The fact it's got Jez on there. The eyes are just brilliant. I mean, it's clear. I think whoever done the Han and Leia, it's actually done a pretty good job. But whoever painted that Vader in the background, that must have been a kid on some YTS scheme or something back in the day. But it looks. I mean, like the the, the black. Looks like they've got a black felt tip, mm-hmm. and they've just gone. Oh yeah, let's go for it. And uh, it's kind of hasn't quite settled down. You know, when when your felt tip doesn't quite you know meet up nicely, and they've got oh wow, it's got a bit grey now. We we'll just keep going. And yeah. not quite done it. Not quite black. It's a bit like a small child's. But you, you're Leah. Oh, she looks grumpy. Oh, yep. I'm going to shoot you because I'm grumpy. Look at her face. <laughs> so grumpy. It's just clearly, she's clearly aiming at you as the reader, whereas at least Han Solo is looking off to the side uh, to shoot something. But she's got her eyes on you. And then when you open it up, um, I know I haven't sent you this page, but there's a, there's a nice photograph of um, Han and Chewbacca standing there. Um, but it's got a Benny Hill comic inside, which I thought was, it was pretty amusing. But the second page that I've given you is it's got an advert for Leprosette, and there were two Leprosette uh, transfers as a gift inside this um, edition of 
the junior looking TV Times, whatever it is, yeah, the, the junior TV Times uh, magazine, looking available every Thursday, price ten p, and that Leprechaun advert with the uh, with the box showing the Leprechauns there. In fact, actually, the artwork on that is far better than the the artwork that's on the front cover. So, I just. I cannot look at Darth Vader without laughing. I cannot look at it. It is. It is. It's just. He's missing half a body. <laughs> he's got scary eyes. He's got. I mean, it's all wrong. I mean, it's as if he went. You know what? I've made a right mess of this. Right. I tell you what we'll do. We will put a star destroyer, and we'll get. And we, people won't think that you've made a right mess. That's of it. what they've done, haven't they? They've used the star destroyer yeah. to hide the mess of the helmet. <laughs> But they put it in the wrong place because they, it's just it's it's an abomination. It's just bad art. And I see I like bad art, but that's bad art. <laughs> it's terrible art. Okay, now it's summing up time, so you must be quiet. I think it's size month at the moment because he came forth with something which I adore. Richard's looking. I mean, Richard's been on a been the winner for the last couple of months. Uh, that is another absolutely startling effort. Mm, looking. Uh, Ooh, oh, I don't know, Stu. I think for your focus, I think that's a corker. I really do. I think that's going to fit in nicely. But and it does. It it is in the game crack, but it's just not quite ridiculous enough for me. And I've got to give it and size on a roll. But I've got to give it to Sai because I adore that. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. I've got to give it to him. Welcome back to the market section. Let's start by looking at eBay again. If you start filtering by the top priced items, there's not really any change at the top. It's full of vinyl cape jowers on cards and a nice yak face graded 85 on a pair of the force card. All a little bit dull. Full of modern stuff. There's all sorts of prop rec and and this that and the other there and signatures and just ridiculous things selling for ridiculous money it really does almost put the vintage world to shame considering that most of the items up there are production items and they're going for eight nine ten thousand pounds i don't understand it let's not just go modern however i did cycle through and i went through a fair few listings and i pulled out the most interesting high price sales over the last month the big eye-opener for me, in first place, was a Return of the Jedi poster, which achieved a whopping eight and a half thousand US dollars, just shy of six thousand pounds. Now, in fairness, it's a whopping price, but it's a whopping poster, measuring in at six foot nine square, two hundred and six centimeters. It's a Jedi poster. It's not a revenge poster or anything like that. It's a Return of the Jedi six foot nine square poster in four parts. Now. If anyone knows about posters, it's Matt Fox. So I contacted Matt about this. I said, look, what's the deal here? I understand it's huge. I understand it's bound to be a rare survivor. But it is just Jedi. I say just Jedi because it's obviously the the most modern people have got into the whole collecting, grab everything. There's going to be more survivors from that period than the earlier stuff. And he says, yeah, it's a very rare survivor. It is awesome. It's what is called 
a six-sheet poster, even though it's made up of four parts. And that's because the US one-sheet poster in the portrait format measures 27 inches by 40. This, if you multiply it up, is exactly six of those posters. It's designed for mini billboards, either in shopping centres or sometimes in the bit larger cinema lobbies. And Star Wars was unusual, the trilogy, insofar as it bucked the trends, because six sheets, these this style of poster actually died out in the late 70s. Star Wars continued with the six sheets up until Jedi, and he says that it was probably one of the last six sheets ever produced. He said he also wasn't surprised by the price point of it, and he said if you want to see an expensive poster, look at this, and pointed me in the direction of an Empire Strikes Back eight-sheet poster, which actually was made up of eight separate sheets. It's a full billboard-sized poster for Empire Strikes Back, and it is utterly stunning. I mean, there's no other word for it. It is absolutely beautiful. It is also absolutely £178,000. Yeah, I don't think that's going to sell anytime soon, but fantastic. Great. Thank you very much, Matt. Top information. Really interesting. No reward is worth this. Moving on to number two, the second entry. This is a fantastic item, and we've discussed this before. It's the cast and crew glory book from A New Hope. The end of filming A New Hope, and a quantity of these books were handed out to those that had worked on A New Hope in key roles. So all the assistant directors and producers, the those responsible for the makeup, costume, wardrobe, props, all those sorts of things. This book in particular had been given to Sylvia Croft, who was the makeup artist on A New Hope, and also worked with the Freeborns creating the Creature Cantina. The book itself is a sort of, I don't know, it's more of a landscape-style book, uh, it's got the triangular Star Wars really cool logo in the bottom right hand corner and it's it's photographs, it's behind the scene photographs and just beautiful photographs from throughout the production and each book is typically signed by George Lucas and Gary Kurtz. Very rare, incredibly hard to find. What is really nice about them is you've got instant provenance with it you know this was given to a particular person who worked on that film and it is absolutely signed by gary kurtz and george lucas to celebrate the end of filming and to thank them for their their hard work this one was advertised at three and a half thousand pounds here in the uk and ended up achieving two thousand eight hundred pounds which is a fantastic sum of money it is a fantastic item it's a fantastic sum of money i'm not entirely sure if this wasn't the one that appeared in the second-hand bookstore for about 50p. Can anyone remember that story? If it's a story I'm thinking of, it was the one that was found in the northeast of England for round about that that amount of money and stuck on eBay. Ah, okay. Okay. I'm sure it was Sylvia Croft's book that did turn up for that ridiculously Mm -hmm. low sum of money. So, and as I also recall, the story describes how it wasn't in the best of condition. That's correct, yeah. It had been sort of manhandled a bit. It may have been someone else's entirely, but nonetheless, one of these turned up in a second-hand bookshop for 50p. This one's achieved £2,800, although it does look very nice. What a great piece. Nice to see something genuinely rare and interesting come up for sale on eBay. You want this, don't you? In at number three, more towards your traditional vintage Star Wars toys, is a red-caped Lily Leddy Bib Fortuna with a absolutely battered but nonetheless original card back. This one was on bids in the US, achieved $3,750. 
Lily Lady keeps on coming up, particularly Bib Fortuna, whether it's been through new acquisitions or appeared as a quiz question or whatever. I just keep on recalling it coming up. And I'm sure, I'm sure every time we say, cool, you know what, for what they go for, you can get yourself a real rarity with that, as opposed to a vinyl cape jower, which they made stacks of. Well, I'm certainly not in the business of paying £2,630 for a vinyl cape jower. Nonetheless, price aside, what was really, really interesting about this is how it's been authenticated and verified. We've already discussed earlier in the show the Action Figure Authority AFA being none of authority at all. This one, interestingly, has made its way off to Ozio and Mr. Leddy, who have both poured over it in fine detail, taken photographs, analysed it, looked at it, compared notes with each other, and have awarded it their own certificate of authenticity. That struck me as quite an interesting way of doing it. Because let's face it, these are the very well-known, and I believe well-respected experts on all things Leddy. So I was just wondering, Rich, what are your thoughts on the way that this has been authenticated in terms of individuals being asked to authenticate and certificate items rather than the likes of AFA? I think it's brilliant. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I know that Tom Darby or Derby, however you pronounce it, I know that Tom Darby sends bootleg items that he gets off to Joe Y if he's unsure about it. And Joe Y, who is the expert on bootlegs, checks it, authenticates it, and then gives Tom his advice. I've also seen Vectus Rocket Fire and Fets that have got COAs from Chris Fawcett and Chris Jogulius, the two Rocket Fire and Fet experts. So if I was going to purchase a Walker Fire and Fett and I seen one that was AFA graded and I seen one that was AFA graded but had both Chris's signatures on it I know which one I would be leading to is the one that I'd want because I, th- I think it's absolutely brilliant and it's one of the things I do actually like about the grading companies that for some of these items if they are not 100% certain that they can reach out to people like Joe and both the Chris's and ask them and say what do you think of this before we put our name on it they should be doing more of that and that I don't understand why they don't. I'm, I'm guessing it's possibly because it's a money thing and maybe they're getting a little bit too cocky in the fact, like that one that got rejected. Remember the rocket firing effect that got rejected yeah, by EFA? and went The short port and went for £400. Surely EFA should have got that and then asked either the Chris's, check that over, what do you guys think? Instead of rejecting it, sticking on Vectus, Vectus sell it for £400, and then Chris Jorgulius and possibly Chris Force as well went, wow, didn't even know anything about it, would have purchased it. I would value those two guys' signatures over any AFA case at the end of the day. It's great that the people with the actual knowledge are being approached for their opinions on these. <laughs> I'm out of it. For a little while, everybody gets delusions of grandeur. Moving on, In at number four, we're back on posters again. Two posters in the top five. This is 1977 original Star Wars poster. It's been rolled as other than folded. It is the US style A, as it's called. So it is the, I guess it's, it's pretty much the pinnacle of desirability. Certainly in the States over here, obviously the quads would be far more desirable. It's the Hildebrand image. It's, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. But is it really $3,250 now? That's phenomenal. Just short of £2,300. What a beautiful poster. When 900 years old, you reach, look as good you are not. Hmm? Finally, on to number five. This one is just a little bit bonkers. Over the last six months, I've been saying that we are going to start seeing a correction 
to loose figures at least they're going to start coming down in price we've got the various combinations of those that started collecting three four years ago again have pretty much completed their loose runs the improvement in the quality of these nasty repro weapons is having an undermining effect on some of the prices all these reasons are bound to cause some kind of suppression in the prices and yet here we go we've got something that is described as 94 vintage star wars figures last 17 r2d2 han solo luke skywalker yak face ev99 that's the title here in the uk 94 figures the photos are terrible there's no description of actually exactly what you are getting in terms of condition or which weapons are present or anything like that and yet these 94 figures which it's not a full set achieve 2100 pounds the only real rarity or really sort of desirable slightly odd figure in there that i could see was a hollow tubes tuscan the rest of it was just very very standard seems like an awful lot of money for a really badly described lot what you brought me today is worth one quarter portion on to the auction roundup the main thing to follow on from last month was a little trip down to cnt auctions in tunbridge wells as you recall last month i mentioned that there was the final lot of shop stock of palatoy 20 bags coming up for sale cnt have done rather well in drip feeding these over the last gosh year 18 months now i went to the first wave that they released where they released seven of the figures one of each there was no luke x-wing as you may recall and they've been bringing them out since then they've done a final splurge a dump of what they had left and it all went up for auction last month it was interesting to attend i got my hands on all of them at first and i was chatting to the auctioneer he confirmed the story that all these palatoy 20 packs about 44 of them i think it was something like 40 44 came from a lady who used to own a toy shop in Streatham back in the day. I asked, has she not got any more? Why Why just Palatoy 20 backs, no 12s, no, no 30 backs? He said, no. She ran a small news agent. She started stocking them at the 12 backs. They flew off the shelves. So she got the 20 backs in and he says they didn't sell at all. So she took them off the shelves, stuck them in a box and forgot about them. And here we are, 40 years later, bringing them out. What a great story behind them. They were all unstickered, stuck in a box, nice and safe, no mould, no damp, no nothing like that. And in this sale, we saw the appearance of seven walrusmen, two greedos, two hammerheads, and two snaggletooth. What was quite clear is, if you are going to spend £1,400 on a Star Wars figure, can I suggest you ask for a condition report first? In particular, I'm talking about the first of the two snaggletooth. The first one hammered at £1,100 plus the 26%, I think it is, if, you, if you're bidding online. So you're looking at nearly £1,400. What wasn't mentioned in the catalogue, and should have been really, is there was about a 15 to 20% bubble lift. Well, not even a lift, a separation from the card. You couldn't have got the figure out. You could have shaken the weapon loose. For £1,400? No. No, I, personally I see that round about the maybe £600 mark maximum whoever bid was bidding on i think if they were bidding on the phone i suggest no condition report had been asked for and obtained someone's going to be very disappointed when that turns up in the post other surprises were a walrusman that was about c50 had a nice big crack in the bubble that went for 520 plus fees Mm-mm, definitely not there were much better walrusmen that went for less that in fact a few lots later a c75 went for 500 again someone's clearly not had a look at it 
and yet the last snag that went through, bear in mind the first one with the big bubble lift, perhaps a C50 went for 1100, the last snag of the two went through was absolutely perfect. That sold for £100 more. There were a spattering of other lots, some loose vehicles, incomplete loose vehicles, a few tri-logos, which are going for silly money. I I had a look at a a Yoda that was paired with an Emperor. I took that £100 above where I wanted to be for it, and I think I dropped out at about 280 £300, remember? Plus your 26% fee. They weren't that great. But the Yoda had a nice price sticker on it, and I thought it would be nice to keep them together as a pair. Again, done in by an online bidder. You really want to check the condition. We said this before in the show, if you're going to spend serious money, get the things in your hands first. Other than C&T auctions, there really wasn't much going on. As you may recall, I said there was only about 100, 110 Star Wars lots around the country in the coming months. Nothing of any interest at all. It was all regular, pulled out the loft, stick it for sale stuff. In the month ahead, we've got, and they've pop up for a third time in the show east bristol sales rooms or east bristol auctions have a sale on the 20th and 21st there's some nice bits coming up in there there's another walrus man on 20 back there's a nice c3po on 12 back there's a few boxed vehicles nothing to set the world on fire a few loose figure assortments east bristol i've bought from them before they do get good stuff and prices i found in the past have been fairly low they're great on toys games and collectibles they do get some really interesting things in However, I think they've got this one a little bit wrong. They've got the 12-back 3PO with an auction estimate of 1,000 to 1,200. Lump your 20% on that and you're paying way above market rate for one of the easier 12-backs to find. They've got a battered speeder bike. Well, sorry, the speeder bike's fine. The box it's in, a, a palatoy box, absolutely shot to pieces. 30 to 50 pounds? No, I'd rather keep it in my pocket. Thank you very much. Second thought, let's pass on that, huh? Then coming up on Thursday 26th of April, 10.30am kickoff, we got a sale at Vectis in Thornaby, up north. There's not really much to get excited about from a Star Wars perspective. Usual offering of carded and loose figures and incomplete vehicles. Two or three lots of note. There's a couple of empty packing cartons from Palatoy for action figure assortments, 48 figures originally included. And then the real one of note is lot 5,400. I don't know if any of you guys have seen this. It appeared on Facebook in one of the advertising, Star Wars advertising groups. The owner, aged 12 in 1983, Glasgow, saw this sign up in his local boot store. And it measures about 72 centimetres long, 43 centimetres high, which is just under 29 inches long, 17 inches high. One side it's got some boots, the chemist slogan on it, and on the other side it's just the return of the Jedi symbol. It's got wear and slight damage to it, but no one has piped up saying that they've seen another one of these yet. So this has obviously garnered quite a lot of interest. Speculation as to whether it was maybe even just specific to that store. They've got an estimate of around twelve to fourteen hundred pounds on it, which is a huge amount of money for what is essentially a, a relatively uninteresting sign. However, if it really is a one-off, then you can understand the estimate. It'll be interesting to see what that ends up going for. Other than that, not much there. In actual fact, the most interesting pieces, I'd argue, are non-Star Wars. You've got a couple of original drawings for an Action Man Space Ranger vehicle that have come from Palatoy. Really nice to see anything pre-production Palatoy. And there's an Airfix prototype for a Chinook. I'd, I'd argue those are more interesting than pretty much anything that is for sale in the Star Wars section. Let's see what happens with those prices, and I'll report on it next month. 
So, again, relatively low on the numbers. Flicking through the sales room this month, looking at about 120-odd lots, something like that, coming up in the next month. Nothing particularly impressive, but things do pop up all the time. So I'll be sure to come back to you next month with what's happened in auctions around the country. Finally, flavour of the month. How do you get so big to do food of this kind? Absolutely nothing. I think everyone's saving their money. We've just had Farthest From. We've got Echo Live coming up. Facebook sales seem to be relatively quiet. I saw Steve Savory selling a very nice Power of the Force Luke Stormtrooper with an unusually non-yellow bubble. It, it wasn't crystal clear. It, it, it was on the turn. Slight bubble lift bottom left-hand corner. But overall, a really, really nice card. And I think it ended up at £350. Superb. What a great buy that was for somebody. I was so tempted. Then I remembered that I'm behaving myself. So there's not really much going on in the marketplace. I've got to say, there's no big wows and thrills. Flavour of the month is saving your pennies to getting down to shows and buying from people rather than buying from the internet. Hopefully that's going to be the case because we're going to be selling, aren't we, Stu? Yes. Selling lots, aren't we, Stu? Yes. We're going to be selling Simon's soul and all his belongings. Aha. Uh-huh. We're not buying any life-size Ewoks, are we, Stu? Um, that's flavour of the month, mate. <laughs> And that's it for this month's Market Roundup. Join us again next month for updates on the auctions and current trends and prices. I'm still hard into Han Solo. I'm still... Hard. I'm still hard. I'm still hard. 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 I'm still hard into Han Solo. I'm still hard into Han Solo. Han Solo. Han Solo. Solo. I'm still hard into Han Solo. I'm still hard. I'm still hard. I'm still hard. I'm still hard. I'm still hard into hand solo. Hand solo. I'm still hard. I'm still hard into Han Solo. Right now, I want to welcome back Jared, Andy, and Steve for this month's rapid fire, which isn't rapid fire, rapid fire. And and Sai, I'm going to get you to join in this as well as you're with us still. Oh, thanks. You've been hanging around for the last few hours. Yeah. Now, two of you have already done rapid fire, so it wasn't worth me going over old ground. So I thought I'd, I've got some prices of tracker. There's no way that Jared should lose this because he knows every figure, <laughs> every number. <laughs> He's sure all in. In. <laughs> yes, I memorise every. So we're going to do this. Yeah. No one can have tracker open, and I know if you're cheating, Simon, because you uh, never win anything. Jared will know because he I logged on the other day, and within about 15 seconds, he sent me a message. Ah, <laughs> and I thought Facebook had data issues. <laughs> <laughs> right. So what we're going to do is. I've gone with a couple of your items you collect, um, and just to see a couple of different things. So we're going to start 
in Andy's area, a Han Solo ESB31A. You know that well, Andy, don't you? I do, yeah. What the average prices for sales in 2018, this is ungraded. I would say somewhere around the £190 mark. 190 for the average, yep, sorry. Hey, I don't know, it's American, Kenner stuff, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, no, um, yeah, money, it's gone lots. Well, you might as well have a go, sorry, you might as well be wrong in another quiz. Oh, okay, yeah, why not? Uh, ungraded 31, yo. 31 pounds. 30, no, £205. OK, Jared, obviously, I'll come to you in a minute because you'll give the exact answer. Uh, Steve? I'm going to go a bit lower, actually, 175 175 OK. Jared? Um, yeah, so pounds, right, our answers. Yeah. Um, I think I'll probably choose 205 205 the same as Cy. Right, a, a rule of... A, a really good plan... Jared is never to follow Sai <laughs> because he's, <laughs> yeah. pretty, he's pretty bad at this it's kind of thing. Be because really wrong, he's the furthest out. But we so a point for Steve is actually one hundred and thirty-four ninety-four. Wow, bargain! Yeah, so wow. still bargains. So we're going to go over to uh, Steve's one of his passions: a small head hand loose. Steve, uh, oh. the average for this year. We'll start with you, Steve. As it is your figure, Presum- presumably with a weapon. Oh, wow. You As in, a, it's a complete figure. Do you always yeah, have the tracking prices are complete, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, they're ridiculous. People think they're really rare and special. £65. £65 for the average, yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sai, give us a laugh. What are you, what are you going for this time? Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna go considerably lower than that. I'm going to go for £51. <laughs> considerably <laughs> lower. That's <laughs> <laughs> percentage points, that is. <laughs> Andy? I'm going to go, I will go considerably lower, 35. And Jared? Um, I'm going to go considerably lower and say £28. <laughs> £28. So uh, Jared on tracker and Steve's chosen figure. Andy, uh, £34.82, only 18 oh, p out. That's not bad, is it? You weren't, you weren't yeah. too far out, actually, Jared. Um, it's Steve that amazed me there, really knows his product. <laughs> I, think, I think the problem with us focus collectors we probably overvalue what we regard don't we? <laughs> I think it's every time you go to look for something in immaculate condition that's what you end up having to pay and you go yeah. whoa yeah. it's painful yeah maybe you're missing the average there so we're going to return to Andy's field because we know that he's uh, he's up there so Andy now you collect diecast yeah so We've got Diecast Land Speeder on a Kenner A card. 2018 sale and 2015 sale. What do you think the difference is between the price of a carded one in 20... So, basically, tell me what the difference is. This is just a standard Kenner Land Speeder, is it? Yep, I just need the... um, I think... The difference, not the actual price. Yeah, I think there's probably... might be like something weird, like a £20 difference, but more expensive in 2015. Right, so you're saying like a minus 20. Yeah, but I'll go, I'll go for the other way, though, because <laughs> we go for 20, 20 plus in 2018, but they're very, I'd say they're very similar. Okay. Uh, sorry? Six quid. Six <laughs> quid. Uh, Steve? I reckon it's probably gone up by about £35. And Jared? I'm going to say something like £12 difference. Yeah, you're all along the right lines there. So in 2015, the average was 87 79 
and in 2018 it was 110.56 so 22 pounds 77 and it and it's and it's belting at this game uh-huh. you want to get him on your tracker staff <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go one more thing um make it make this one sure another two prices okay so i'm a greedo lover as we all know so we've gone with a return of the jedi 77a and i want the average this is for 2017 and 2018 i want the average for graded and the average for ungraded um and let's go with Cy first because i don't think i've given him that opportunity yet tonight so what a 77 back what luke, luke jedi Se- do you say Gre- oh, goodness sake, Greedo, and I want oh, Greedo, Greedo. <laughs> ungraded. Yeah, right. Uh, ooh, so they can't come up too often, those. Jedi, Greedo. Uh, graded and ungraded in 2017. Ooh, okay, ungraded, I'm going to say 110, and graded 160. This is going to turn out to be the rarest Kenner <laughs> card ever, isn't okay, it? Okay, interesting. Uh, Jared? <laughs> Um, all right, let me try for um, ungraded 85 and graded 230. Okay, Steve? Um, ungraded 140, graded 265. Okay, and Andy? Yeah, I think I'm similar. I've got no idea. So the others, I think I did have a, a genuine rough idea. This one, no idea. I'll go for 150 ungraded and 200 graded. Interesting, interesting. So, an ungraded one, and I'm almost 99% certain that he suddenly has got tracker open. Sometimes it takes him a little while to click on, because it was £109.28, and I don't believe Cy would have yes, got... Yes, I've got points! <laughs> <laughs> I have points! <laughs> well, not only one point, Cy, because the graded one was £148.54, and you're the closest oh, to that boom, as well. Boom. Jared, tell him I've not wow. got tracker open. Uh, it's just from his mind his brilliant mind no, thank more. you very much I'll, I'll pay you later you know yep, what yep. I love sarcasm <laughs> <laughs> well Andy you win well, well you should be uh, well very proud of yourself you um, you win this have you done any of Jez's races uh, not races? with my knees no I just, oh, I just gave well, cash. so when you get a medal arrive you get a fridge magnet with a dog wearing a neck scarf um, that's going to be in the post here. <laughs> dog next guy. Is that a Star Wars dog? <laughs> uh, well, it can be. I can put just, something on it. Yes, Star pet. Wars. Yeah. Well, thanks, uh, thanks very much, Stu. That, that's going to mean a lot to me, I think. When that well, to be honest with you, it's the kind of thing that will knock around my desk for about three years. So if I've got to send it to you, it means uh, you're helping me tidy. Gents, all three of you. Jared, thank you so much. Great to have you on. Definitely yeah, want to get a, a full interview with you on here yeah, some point soon, yeah? Steve, always great to have you back on. Thank uh, you, my friend. Yeah. So, and Andy, I love you. I, I can't. I love you. I literally love you. <laughs> <laughs> That's very kind. Um, I can't wait to read the icon. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like. And Sai, thanks for coming along, mate. Making up the numbers. Well, you know, somebody's got to bring up the rear, so to speak, haven't they? Hey? I know. Yeah. And you're only 96th on the list. I I know, <laughs> but it's lucky I was available. Otherwise, you'd be uh, you'd be talking to Rich now. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, he was ninety fifth, actually. Oh. <laughs> but, yes, thank you all so much. Uh, I really do appreciate, it, especially at the short notice. Um, no worries at all. 
you were the first three people I asked and all of you said yes so made my life very very easy <laughs> <laughs> been a pleasure wonderful right gents thank you very much Right, let's go on to our closing question for this month. Now, Pete has, has jaunted it away in the distance with 12 points at the moment. Jez somehow is sitting second on eight. Simon what? is third on seven and Richard has six points. Remember, five points for the winner. Three, two, one for the remaining three. Previously, last year sometime, you all came up with a place that you'd like to make. And I'm sure, Pete, you'll remember your weird multi-level layer world. Yeah. Hair salon <laughs> and whatever it was, and Jez was even stranger. So we're returning to play sets this month, but I've come up with four play sets that I would have loved from Star Wars, A New Hope. So I gave each of you one of them, and I wanted you to come up with a concept for the toy, five playable features, but also to include like a pricing point, whether it's going to be plastic or cardboard, and so the whole caboodle. So you're, you're, you're pitching your toy to me. Like I said, I've given you all an item, so we're going to start with Rich who I gave the Lars Homestead to. So I could have went weird and wacky, but what I've tried to do with this is, I thought, right, you've given us a new Hope playset, so I've tried to base it in what would Kenner or Palatoy have released back in 1977-78. So I've tried to give it a bit of a vintage feel, okay? So what I've gone with is something that's the shape of the Palatoy Destor, but is on a smaller scale, not as big as the Palatoy desktop, because I think that initially would have been too big to have been released right at the start. We're going to go with something that's a bit smaller, maybe maybe 75% scale. So on the bottom level, I thought there'd have to be a kitchen area, and there would have to be one of the playability features in there, there's something that would allow you to pour in some kind of liquid to generate blue milk. Because at the end of the day, nobody cared about E-numbers. E-numbers didn't exist until the late 90s when people were going loopy. So, in fact, it was Blue Smarties. Blue Smarties was E-numbers. Was so I thought, right, okay, there's, there's one of the play features. And then we'll have another area where you have the oil bath simulation, where you could dip 3PO down in, in, in and have his oil bath. So I thought that would be a nice little feature, some kind of elevating seat or platform that 3PO could go up and down on. I thought another area, now this is where I got really clever, I thought Hologram Leah with a voice chip that would play the Help Me Obi-Wan Kenobi, just like something that was on the Imperial Transport. But then I thought, right, okay, what would the hologram have looked like? And it pains us to say this because the hologram on the Darth Vader's playset is so naff. But I think I would have to say it's going to have to be something like that where a, a poor quality layer piece of plastic would come up off the floor and then you would uh, either the recording would play when it reached its vertical position or you press the button to play the Help Me Obi-Wan Kenobi line, which I thought would have been a great little feature. So I thought, right, we'll just have those three features on the bottom level. Then on the top level, you'd have an area to spread out the droids for sale for when the Jawas arrived. So you'd have, you know, your R5-D4 and your R2-D2, C3PO, and perhaps other droids that you built from the build droid playset. You'd have them spread out on the top level with some Jawas so you could do your whole buying and selling scene. And then I thought, okay, what can I do for the other half of the top side? And I thought, right, why not go the whole hog and have the racing track for bullseyeing wombats on a on a cardboard T16 which floated via lever that could go up and down so you could uh, you could imagine that you look on some kind of cardboard land speeder and I thought all of that playability 
I thought would be absolutely fantastic. Now, I've tried to keep the price reasonable, but as low as possibly can. I think they could have retailed that for somewhere around about the, the $8.99, mark. And I, I thought, I wanted to keep something under, under £10. I'd easily see 90 pence, but that's never going to be realistic for all those features. And I thought that would be an amazing playset. You basically, I've took virtually everything in Tatooine that wasn't released and put together in that one playset. Interesting, interesting. I'll give you my thoughts at the end for each of them, so I don't give the others any clues, but interesting to start, Rich. Pete, I'm going to come to you next. You've come <laughs> with... Uh, I gave you the trash compactor. Now, obviously, we had very small, like, uh, situation ones from the Death Stars, but um, a proper trash compactor playset. Going for a proper trash compactor playset deluxe, because I think this needs a deluxe feeling to it, because... You know, this is this is one of my favourite scenes in the original Star Wars film, and I played it over and over again. But obviously, we would have figures in there, so we'd have a Han and Luke in Stormtrooper gear, so an exclusive figure, Han in his Stormtrooper gear, a brand new figure with a Dianog, obviously. So you've got three figures there straight away. Don't need a Leer or a Chewie, but you can obviously get those at any available small store. Right. So the whole thing is um, is a kind of like tray. And in that tray are two kind of little mini walls where you, you have a little lever. And then as you wind it in, the walls come together to to compact. Now, the walls are cardboard. So you slot those bits of uh, cardboard into the, the two retracting walls. And on the other side... Um, on the third side, obviously the fourth side won't have any on there, so you can get into the thing. On the uh, third side is quite a large kind of frame thing, a bit like, like the mousetrap kind of tower. So you've got a nice thing there. You can put a bit of cardboard in there as well with the door on it, um, a little flappy cardboard door so that people can run through once they've, they've escaped. Uh, on that top of that tower is a chute. So you can throw the figures through the chute into the, obviously, the trash. Also in that, that little area, because I don't want to have too many platforms, there's also a little, little, little side platform there where R2 and C3O have a little, little turny thing, which uh, when they turn, the door can be pressed open. So that's a little nice little feature there. can recreate the, ah, oh, we're, we're getting crushed to death. Oh, sir, we've... Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so right now into the, the fun part of this set which obviously we've got quite a lot of fun already. Now I was thinking, how can you do the trash water and Dianoga? You know, you can't put water in there because it's going to, you know, you don't, you know, kids wouldn't be putting water in there and stuff. So I thought, how can I recreate it? So I went with small marbly kind of things or marbles or not ball bearings, they'd be a bit too heavy, but marbles. So grey and black marbles. So they'd be in the bottom sort of like pretend that it's kind of water. Uh, you'd also have a few bits of uh, trash. You'd have obviously the uh, the pole, which uh, can be gripped by Princess Leia and Han Solo, and uh, you'd have some boxes and sort of general bits of plastic nonsense. I'm sure Hasbro and Kenner had plenty of the play sets they could have nicked boxes and bits of nonsense from, just throw them in there in a bag. So you've got those in there now. You also want to drag Luke underneath the Dianoga. So I thought alongside the tray, you would have a little kind of like lever which you attached to Luke's leg and you could drag him under, underneath the marble. So it's, it's, it's like a ball pit for action figures. So it'll be deep enough that you can actually drag them in and underneath. So you, you could get all the sides of that film. And then, of course, as you're bringing the two sides of the walls together, all the marbles are all obviously you know uh, building up into a, into a big thing you've got Lear with a pole and you're trying to keep it open you've got R2 going oh my goodness and C3O oh, gotta help our friends and then once it's all over you can just retract the the, the walls the figures can pop out the door and uh, everyone's happy and alive 
So yeah, um, I would say price point is obviously seventeen ninety nine, which mm-hmm. is a great price, um, and it would have come out probably after Star Wars. So probably sort of like. Uh, the, the frenzy of Empire Strikes Back because it would have been a deluxe set so you wouldn't want it out of the time would have come a bit later technology had moved on but uh, yeah no no nonsense with you know uh, things that will decay everything will stay uh, for 40 years so you could sell it on when you're older brilliant I'm thoroughly enjoying this first two <laughs> first two. so we're going to go to Jez next I set him Cantiv Tantive, whatever you want to call it. To start with, he thought I had texted him Tatooine and it started creating a Beggar's Canyon game because he is a little bit simple. So I'm going to read you what Jez has sent me. So Tantive, so a cardboard structure to keep the costs down. So everyone thinking very Patoy based here. Essentially an out of scale model, slightly bigger than the Kenner Star Destroyer made up primarily of some internal corridors of the Tantive. One end, there are Vader and Stormtrooper access doors. Unlike the cantina doors, these explode, a bit like the speeder bike. There will be sound effects, music from the film, door exploding, blasters, Darth Vader breathing, droid sounds, and dying rebel sounds. No, (laughs) drop the last one in brackets. (laughs) The ship is secure and solid enough to be a carry case. There's an escape shuttle, which is made of plastic. A cardboard it's... carry case. Yeah. <laughs> it's exploding doors. Exploding doors on a cardboard go. carry case. <laughs> <laughs> He's not the full shill in him, is he? <laughs> uh, the, uh, the escape shuttle fits with the Tantive, can hold two droids. This is great as the escape pod was missing from the Palatoy one. It could also be a spare if kids already had the Kenner one. Finally, the clincher. The cost saving of the cardboard is paid back in full by having not one, not two, not even three, but four exclusive Rebel Troop figures. This would cost the same as the X-Wing. I think we said that was fourteen ninety nine earlier, didn't we? From a Kenner marketing point of view, people would buy for the figures. Plus, by having four Rebels, kids would be likely to buy more Stormtroopers to balance it out. And battle. Nowadays, stores call this tactic a loss leader. So, that is Jez's. Four figures are going to be eight quid of that £14. It's a loss leader. leader. Sound effects, yeah. Realistic sound effects. Right, a little crap. When I first read it, when I first read it, I thought, ah, that's quite good. But I must admit, the two of you have come out and, and impressed me so far. He have impressed me. I'm sure Jez would sit here and argue like he does because he's, when he sounds a bit like Bungle. But, um, (laughs) Let's go over to Simon, because Sai's been doing all right in this. He's not won one yet, but he's been picking up second and thirds and picking up a few points. So let's see how he's come up with. So I sent him the trench run. So what have you got for me, Sai? I mean, you, you've, this is nowhere, Grumble, because I do like a challenge. You've just heard Pete go, oof. I mean, you know, Jez gets a spaceship. <laughs> I thought Pete, to see him as well. Pete gets a room. <laughs> Rich gets a small building. I get the circumference. <laughs> can I? Can I be honest with you, Sai? In yeah. for each of these, I had an idea in my own head. Okay. And okay. I had some. I had something in my head for this, which I liked. And if you can get near it, I do like this one. I do like this one because this is. It's not going to be a playset, unfortunately, because to do a playset, you'd either have to scale it to the X-wing and Tie Fighters. That's not going to happen. Or the diecast. And I never had diecast as kids, so that was out. Didn't want to consider that. So instead, I've developed a sort of a game. It's a game. Essentially, what you've got, you're going to have to have a plastic base 
with a cardboard structure, a quite a rigid cardboard structure. But here's where it gets slightly complicated. The floor of the trench run and the walls of the trench run are moving. And you do this by basically having effectively roller blinds, not quite as quick as roller blinds, but you have vinyl printed up for the walls and the floor, and they're on three spindles, three separate spindles. You can, if you want to keep the price down, you can have a hand crank, similar to uh, the wall structure for Pete's excellent trash compactor, or you can make it motorised, whatever, it depends where you want to be on the price point. Anyway, what happens is you have player one sat at one end with a little X-Wing. Now, this X-Wing is going to essentially... You're going to have a little control column, and it's going to be on a bit of wire, and it's going to be a dampered control. That means if you turn it hard left, it's not instantly going to go flying left. It's going to move left, but a little bit more slowly than the sort of like thrashing about left and right. Anyway, the player at the other end is sat there with the controls, either the hand crank or the motor, and they are going to essentially control the rate of flow or the rate of flight, if you like, of the X-Wing. As they move, the walls, the trench go forward, so it looks like the X-Wing's coming towards them, and they will have buttons there that they can press that will make little TIE fighters pop up on the trench floor at ran- not random spots, because you obviously have to have them fixed into the floor. They're going to be very, very thin uh, trying to think of the the right expression, the, the sort of plastic, very th- almost like bubbles, thin. If you see what I mean, tie fighters that pop up, and if they hit the X wing, then that's obviously a damage point, etc., etc. And that's what they're going to control and try and hit the X wing as this rolling floor continues. The object of the X wing pilot is to obviously avoid the tie fighters as he's flying down the trench, and then after however many feet or meters of rolling trench. There is the exhaust port that appears underneath his X-Wing, held on by whatever mechanism you want, magnet or electronics or just a simple mechanical clasp, is a small bomb. It could be a ball bearing, it could be bomb-shaped, whatever. It's meant to be the torpedoes. And it's up to the X-Wing pilot to drop that into the exhaust port and clear and pull away. The other thing that you could work into, again, depending on the price point, is the chap at the other end controlling the rate of flow could have himself a little... It would probably have to be a Nerf gun type thing because I'm thinking firing ball bearings at a kid at the other end is probably not a good idea. But he could have himself a little Nerf gun with so many shots in it and his job is to try and shoot the torpedo out from underneath the X-Wing and therefore win the game as well. In terms of pricing, well, it depends. If you want your electric motor and some lights and crashing noises, etc., etc., that's going to bump it up. You're probably going to be looking at 19.99, maybe even 21.99. So you're getting quite ex- expensive. If, however, you did this palatoy style and you made your cardboard superstructure and you had your thin printed vinyl that was hand crank operated without electronics, I think you could bring this in at eleven or twelve ninety nine, and I think it'd be quite an exciting little game. I would have liked to play it anyway. Okay, okay. We'll come back to that in a minute, Si. I think <laughs> it will. We'll come back to you last. So <laughs> let, let's let's start at the top like we did then. So I set Rich a Lars Homestead. Very different to how I thought about it. He's going to come with a Death Star, a Death Star thing. I love the Droid Factory link when he's selling the droids at the top that you could link. Yes. Okay, okay. And I like, I love the oil bath. I love, I'd love to be able to dip my three PO. I love the hologram layer, and I love how you went 
the cheapy bit of kind of plastic coming up of her. That's what it's all about in that, those days, you know. This is 1977, 1978. The racetrack for the Womp Rats um, wasn't really necessary for me. But I did like your detail. I did think your price point of nine ninety nine was probably a little a little generous. I think it was a little a little keen for what you described. I took that from the big palatoys playset and scaled it down a touch. Yeah, I think maybe on the little cheap side, but Sai, not... how much is the palatoy? <laughs> Give him forty five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but um but yeah, lot, lots to play there, Rich. I was I was impressed. I thought, oh, he's come up with some good answers there. Yeah. Then we went to Pete. Yo. Gave him the trash compactor. I had thought of, of a tray. I was thinking more like the um, plastic trays, the kind of size of the, the droid factory, that kind of size. But Pete, I'm, I'm blown away by the amount of exciting play features. The chute on top of a tower, bundling them in there. Now, like yourself, Pete, the trash compactor scene is one of my favourites as a child. Loved it. And I loved, I loved the, the cardboard balls. Wolves? Walls. <laughs> <laughs> that wind in. I love, I loved the, the droids that are standing on a platform that you can turn and the door opens. That's the kind of thing. That reminds me of um, Castle Grayskull when you used to move them on the plastic bases. Mm. Things used to open. Yeah, I like, I like that. Like the marble idea for the thing, the pole, brilliant, brilliant idea, and the leg up. Yeah, very, very sold on it, and I like your figure packing. Now, Jez, when he sent me his, I thought, oh, that's all right. But now I look at it, I think, hmm, hmm, he could have done a bit more, couldn't he, I think, with um, Tantif. I think he's a... I think you overthought it. He probably could yeah. have done a bit less with it. Yeah, but the features of it, so I like the exploding door. Yeah. Um, and I like cardboard. the shuttle. I think mm. the shuttle was essential. But you made a very, very good point, Rich. He's got a carry case, but he's made his product out of cardboard, which which is cool. last in two or three far. carries, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he really has. Thing. And then you've got Sai, who's decided <laughs> to take the concept of the question and do his own thing. Let's make, <laughs> let's make a board game. It is a play, sir. You play <laughs> with nice. it. And it's the same. Do you, know what? do you know what I was thinking of for this? I wanted you oh. to go high point. Do you remember the um, G.I. Joe massive flag? flagship thing yeah well, i was oh, thinking geez. big like that and you put in your own ships you didn't have to have use the three and three quarter line that never says that anywhere no i know but what big. would you mean your own ships well you could have you could have made your own falcon four that, that place set your own x-wings and your own tie fighters kids who who have their own make their own ships <laughs> are not buying my play set they, they they're out the store they're not even allowed in the shop Right, let's just go back to your game, though. Okay, so we've got a game here. It has to have three people. Two. Three. You've Two. said someone's on a hand crank, moving the yeah, side bits. that's the what person. exciting I afternoon explained, I explained that is the person <laughs> at the other end that's trying to stop them. They're controlling the speed. But, you know, don't listen. Why about This goes to show it was a foregone conclusion, because you've already made up your smart ass. <laughs> wait, 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 wait there, wait there. And you've let's not even through. listened to what I've got to say. Let's go through my notes here, okay? Right. Okay, but so I like it, and I can see it as that era toy. But it's one of those games that's easily broken. Two, three games in, that's had it. Those tie fighters that are thin have snapped off, and those roller blinds. We've got roller blinds in a children's toy. Love that. A uh, bit random. Oh, you just make it so easy. Uh, do you know what? You've kind of reinvented Crossfire and made it rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> that's. that's that's what I've got here. And you've gone and put in a ball bearing. So this is going to be for 8 plus easily now. I just... They're easily swallowed. You just make it so easy to ignore you, Stu. See, Si, I really wanted you to do well with this. No, you didn't. I have didn't. to give you one point because... Oh, shock. Because that it's... Because you're a nerf and you herder. Going, and then you were going, 
Well, it could be nineteen ninety nine, but if you want sounds, it's twenty one ninety nine. No, you tell me. It's your place. You tell me. Have some confidence, son. What's that game as a kid where you had the red car with a steering wheel and had the screen that revolved <laughs> around? Move it around yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what that's that's the route I thought you were going to go down with that. Because I'd uh, love that, but that had to be a Death Star. No, that's, a little, that's just a little game, isn't it? That's a console. Sorry, what I'm going to say is that just, you have given me a fresh idea tonight. I'm going to give Jez two points because he's like he's lucky. Cyber's was here, really. I'm going to be honest. Um, there goes Rich and Pete both love them but Rich I'm going to give you three points because I did I think Pete I would have played lots and Pete is stretching away here oh, oh stretching on 17 points somehow Jess is still second on 10 points I don't know how that's happened Jess what Rich has moved up off the bottom with 9 and Cy is now on 8 but I believe in you Cy next month Cy is the I'm board uh... game I'm not even here next month. I'm telling you now, I'm not here next month, this. I'll suddenly have to leave the room, and you can just give me one point anyway and save the tedium of the predictability of the competition. Frickin' trash compactor compared to the Death Star trench run. I mean, realistic play sets. (laughs) I chuckled when I saw that as well. I thought, thank God, I didn't get that one. I mean, you're not even (laughs) attempting to try and hide this as a skewed competition. You've got to try and make it in some way attainable. That's not attainable. Yeah. You've got to come up with a board game, but you can't use plastic or paper products. Or people. That, You've got to come up with a board game not played with by people. <laughs> sorry, sorry. If, if, if I'd had yours, no, I'd have done with that idea. So I would need have a bit had of effort. <laughs> I would have had little, little catapulty things <laughs> going yeah, crossbows and catapults. Yeah. You know what? You would have, you would have won that because a you've just mentioned cross. Oh, you've reinvented crossbows and catapults. Oh, you're firing catapults at children because yeah. Stu wouldn't have mentioned either of those. Because it would have been fine, because it would wouldn't be comedic, would it? There'd be no comedy value in making you last, Pete. Because this is hey, this I'm, is the MacGuffin for this whole I'm section. You now. Like, I'm telling you, you now. Oh, everyone that's listening, everyone that's oh, listening, they're loving agrees it, with my order. They uh, don't agree with your order. Your order is like the first order. It's nothing <laughs> but pure fascism. Just just missed out on the the best scene in on the Tantin, which was. Yeah, Leah blasting a stormtrooper, then getting shot. And to be to be honest with you, next month, if I put out there now, we're going to all be invented a board game. Cy will probably come up with a playset. <laughs> <laughs> well, good good effort, lads. Um, <laughs> Cy, uh, you're doing really well. Okay, you are sleeping in the streets in two weeks' time, Skinner. That's all I'm saying. Thousands of streets of Reddit are about the same, to be honest. Rich, can we uh, go over to feedback for episode forty-six? Yeah, we had a massive amount of feedback last month, and thanks for everybody who liked, commented on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on on the forums. It was absolutely fantastic response to last month's episode because, I mean, we weren't exactly worried about it, but it was the longest episode we've ever done, and I think that shocked all of us a little bit. So I'm going to put out the highlights, so I, I can't read every single possible one out. So over on Stars for me, okay. Um, it was clear that the Repro items bit was a massive hit, with everyone agreeing with all of our positions. Most people agreed with Pete in his very, very hardline stance, but there were a few who perhaps agreed with more with me with the softer line stance, where some Repro does have some place in the hobby so you know i thought there were some interesting points coming out there apologies to the jabber wookie it was him who referred 
us to look at books and it wasn't toughiest. I think one of you guys actually corrected us on the podcast and I edited it out when I was uh, doing the editing. So that was a mistake on my behalf. Although I do think that Taffius enjoyed being referred to as Jez's plaything or, or mouldy chicken. <laughs> the Jabberwookie and many, many other people on Facebook enjoyed the book discussion. And what I really liked about it was that there were more great books that were put forward. And some of them I've never seen before. Um, so a special shout out to the Canadian Connection, which is a book that's just been recently re-released in the second edition. And I got my copy from Bill Kennedy through a Kickstarter campaign that happened a few months ago. And some Japanese collecting books as well were brought to us by Kenneth Flavio. So thanks very much for them. Those are definitely uh, two that I would add to the list of books that we reviewed. But I just want to stress there were many others. We are aware that Dizan Sweet and Gus Lopez and others have written several volumes. And it wasn't just a, these are the books that you need to get. These are these are the ones that we would recommend starting off with. So thanks to everybody who contributed to that. Our Vintage Rebellion Alliance contributor, Chris G, was thanked and got a lot of feedback. It was great to see people enjoyed his discussion. Uh, great insight into the Droids Factory Mark II information. A lot of people commenting that they'd never seen any of the images before. Well, I've got to refer them back to episode, was it 36, when I had the interview with Bill Wills and Josh Blake? Because we did show all those uh, photos before, so perhaps we need to resend some of those older episode photos out again at some point. Now, Scott Cato mentioned that it would be a great idea to release the Jim Quack images earlier, and that's a fair point. So as soon as the show goes out, we will put the Jim Quack images up there for people to see them on the Facebook. Perhaps we can put them in stores from UK as well. Um, so that people can look at those when they're reviewing the podcast. We are very conscious of the fact that you can't see some of the images, and we do try to describe them, but sometimes when Cy brings something to the table and we're killing ourselves laughing, we may not go into the depth of it as much as what we should do. Jason Smith clarified the with not stroke with possibly with figures in the 41B card box, and he's updated his website to show that the Kenner Darth Vader Star Destroyer playset did not have the figures. So thanks for that, Jason, and uh, for keep up the great work that you're going on with your Palatoy um, archive. Now, Spoon's made a fantastic post on Stars for Your Cable Repros, and he was saying that he thinks that collectors generally are not the problem. Perhaps sometimes collectors get too much of a hard time over repros, uh, especially when weapons are so expensive. And he is more in the camp of it, the repro maker making near-perfect copies that are the problem in the hobby. And I, I do agree with that. The repro makers clearly are the main people in the hobby. Um, but perhaps if we educate some of the people more about if you really have to buy a repro weapon, um, you know, think about the longer damage that could happen when the guy gets that money and they reinvest it into something else. A lot of people there uh, think my Havens came across really well with his ICCC discussion, and I sent some screenshots of some of the posts and stars from UK over to Mike, and he thought they were wonderful. Um, so thanks to everybody who enjoyed that interview. Andy Preston joined in with the three-legged R2, and he found two items in the Clyro range. One was soap, and the other one was a bubble bath, a bubble bath dispenser. So great to show them. Jared Cole from Star Wars Tracker spotted that the look on the Kenner Droid Factory box when he did comparisons with the Ken and the Palatoy one, the look is a DT, and he wondered if the Ben could be. Uh, now, I doubt that the Ben is also a DT because there are so few of those made when you compare them to Luke, but who knows? Who knows if that Ben on the box is also a DT pen? That would be great if it was. So over on Facebook, some feedback from Chad Damon. Wow, that's one hell of a great show, gentlemen. Hats off to the great interviews this month. The handful of the most knowledgeable, well-known, and especially helpful members of the Star Wars community today. And then he goes on to thank Chris Joe Grudius for his encyclopedic knowledge. Ian Sanderson, who's the go-to man for showcase and protecting treasures. And Mike Havens for putting on a con, which everybody called the impossible. Uh, so thanks very much for that uh, feedback, uh, Chad. That's, that's great. 
Um, Andrew Kemp, uh, now this is interesting because this has been brought up so many times now and I've yet to see it mentioned for any of you lot at all. Andrew Kemp came up with saying, I do often feel sorry for Rich. He clearly seems to be the one who's abused the most. So, yes, I agree with that, Andrew. I do take more than my fair share stick. Uh, so, cheers for that. Um, Scott Bradley, and we've got to get Scott Bradley on as a main interview guest at some point. So, Scott Bradley, who came on and said, Great show. Just a note about the Canadian utility belt sets. The story about Lucasfilm LFL demanding that they be pulled from production is a pure urban myth. They were never pulled from production. In fact, they were sold in Canada well in the early 1980s. That's at least three years on the store shelves. I'd like to encourage you guys to visit the Canadian Star Wars Gallery, which is a website that we've been to many times. This is Scott's Canadian website for research and information on the Canadian Star Wars releases. This is the second podcast in the world where questions were asked about Canadian items. The last one was a Hoth Ice Planet special off our carded figures, contents, and the Power of the Force 2 pack. These could have easily been found on the website. Totally agree with that, Scott. Sometimes when we come to put the show notes together, questions get asked on the podcast that weren't in the show notes, and none of us are experts in the hobby at all. None of us have ever claimed to be like that. What we do do is we'll go to the likes of your website, the SWCA, and we'll prep as much as we can, so at least we've got a bit of information to come forward. So sometimes we do catch each other out. Uh, but you are right. I'd recommend if anybody's got any invest in Canadian products, then the Canadian Star Wars Gallery and also the book that I mentioned, The Canadian Connection, re-released by Bill Kennedy, are two things that you absolutely have to look at. And finally, Alternative, thanks very much, Clint. He's back to his best. He's been poorly recently, but he's back to his best, putting a great review with links to all of the items that we discussed each show. We truly, truly appreciate it, Clint, and it's glad to say that you're back up and running on the Alternative. Thank you very much. Now, Stu, if anybody's got any feedback that they want to leave us, whether it's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Stars from UK, emails, how do they go about it? Yeah, you can find us on Facebook by searching The Vintage Rebellion, on Twitter at SWTVR Podcast, on Instagram by again searching Vintage Rebellion, or email us on SWTVRPodcast at gmail.com. And also, we're now on Vero. Vero, what the hell is Vero? Rich, how can people find us on Vero? And what is it? Uh, Vero is another social media platform that's allegedly going to be always ad-free and have these advanced algorithms that will not give us things that we're not wanting. So we've only signed up for it in case anybody else gets there first and steals our handle on there. We've got five followers on, on Vero, so I have been putting things up there. Um, and, and of our five followers, three of them are interacting quite regularly and liking, so <laughs> I don't know if it's going to last. I really don't. No idea what it is. Uh, if you want to listen to the previous shows in our back catalogue, you can find them all on iTunes or directly at swtvrpodcast.podbean.com. Don't forget, get those running shoes on and join the running Stormtrooper virtual run. Again, find all the details at www.myrace.run. Or if you don't feel you can do the running part, be sure to support Jez in his charity work. Find everything you need to know on Facebook by searching at Stormtrooper Run. Big thank yous to all our guests this month. Uh, Steve Savory, Andrew Norton, Jared Cope, Craig Stevens, Brian Angel and Bob Steffi. So for April we are done. Episode 48 next month where Jez will definitely be back as we home in on our 50th episode. Boys, maybe we could do something special for that show? Maybe a giveaway or something? Well, so it is for this month. Goodbye from the Mouldy Chicken, Rich. Later, guys. Goodbye from Cy, the sulky one. Just do one. And it is goodbye from Peedy Weedy. Oh, goodbye. And it is goodnight from me. And remember... Only you can decide with Star Wars toys.
This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual copyrights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? Um, <laughs> do you get the moldy chicken reference down south or not? Huh? The moldy chicken. It's a bit on the side. So, the Jabberwookie and Isn't that many... You don't have mouldy chicken on the side of your plate, you norther. Why would you have mouldy chicken on the side of your plate? To go with your normal chicken? Exactly. I don't know. Perhaps perhaps you should call the next show ointment because ointment gets rid of viruses and rushes and things, doesn't it? Keep the keep Jezebel. This this is why you get abused, Rich. (laughs) 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 That and your bit on the side mouldy chicken. Who's got mouldy chicken? I've never had mouldy chicken. It'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy man. <laughs>